Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello again, wrestling fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 282 of the podcast, and uh, you know, the old mixer there starting to uh, starting to not respond so well to some of these fade outs and shit like that, so um, I don't know. Had it for nine years. It's done pretty well up till now, so you know, hey, it's a good run. We'll see how this thing holds up, but... Anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming back to the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 282, as I indicated. This is also chapter nine of the Big Four Project. And on this episode, we are taking an in-depth look at Royal Rumble 1991 and WrestleMania 7. Um, I thought the last episode, last chapter, chapter eight, was really good, really well done. This one's probably even better. And shockingly, even a little bit longer. <laughs> so, I, you know, you don't you go into these things and you're not sure how it's going to go. And then uh, Tunny, DJ, and I just uh, go and discuss things for a very long time, uh, a very long time. And the analysis, though, is tremendous. And, and I and the three of us have great chemistry. We are so enjoying doing these recaps of these events, tying in certain things. I think we even enjoy talking about what's going on in the current product. And I'm going to touch bases on that at the end like I normally do, because as I'm recording this, it is Black Friday. I'm recording this in intro here on Black Friday. I'm anticipating this episode will come out later on today. And of course, that means, unless you're living under a rock, that tomorrow is Survivor Series from Chicago, Illinois. To say there is a lot of speculation, anticipation, trepidation, anything ending in shun, probably, is an understatement with respect to this event coming up in Chicago tomorrow. Um, nobody knows what's going to happen. All sorts of wild theories. There's stuff happening hour to hour right now that just is like, well, I, I really have no fucking clue what's going to happen. We will see. Uh, but, you know, before we get into all that, we are going to get into Chapter 9 of the Big Four Project. We will be talking Royal Rumble 1991, WrestleMania 7, and then I'll come on at the end like I normally do. Give my thoughts on a few things and get, and get you guys out of here on this holiday weekend. Holiday season is here. Thanksgiving was yesterday. Hope you guys all had a great, happy, safe turkey day. Um, unless you're a Commanders fan like I am, it was kind of fun. 
but you know that's it is what it is right 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 yeah i mean you know uh i did want to give a shout out though to a friend of mine who i work with who i know has been listening to the podcast i work with him in the real world if miguel if you're listening to this man i hope you enjoy this episode it's another good one uh had some miguel's had some very complimentary things to say about the show so i wanted to give him a shout out here at the outset of this episode and i hope you enjoy this one but in that light we are going to get to some big four music then we are going to get into royal rumble 1991 there'll be a commercial between that and wrestlemania 7 we'll close up with wrestlemania 7 then I will be back to close this episode down to talk about a little bit of AEW, lots of bit about WWE. Obviously, there's some stuff going on, and uh, we will see where we are. So with that being said, let's get some Big Four music, and let's get into Chapter 9 of the Big Four Project, Royal Rumble 91, WrestleMania 7. Let's hit it. Folks, we are back for yet another installment of the Big Four Project. I'm actually recording. I'm verifying shit that went wrong last time isn't going wrong already. It's recording, Tony, so that's good. Uh, we don't have to restart it. And I actually think this time it is Chapter 9, Tony. Is that is that where we are? Is this Chapter 9 for you? <laughs> Got it right. Eventually, I was going to be right. Eventually, Eventually like you were clock. 50% of the day. time. Every you know, that time. works because this is... We got jam in the sand nine this weekend as we as we record. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Crown Jewel coming up in just a what about twelve hours less? Less than that. It's noon uh, over here on Eastern Standard Time, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, at three thirty in the morning Pacific. I it's got to be later than that. Six sixteen and a half hours. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is a weird weekend. You got Crown Jewel. And then you've got you got Chiefs and Dolphins at like three o'clock in the morning out here on the West Coast. Like, what are we doing? But nobody gives a shit about any of that stuff, do they, Tony? I I mean, I I can't see that they really do. Maybe, maybe some of them do. I'm happy about that. Tony's like, yeah, and early morning football. I'm awake. (laughs) Uh, Well, in any case, whatever's going to happen, whether you're awake or asleep at the wheel, like we kind of are sometimes. Before we get going, a big, huge. Congratulations to my main man, PC Tunney, DPP, AJ Belaz, Christopher Platt, anybody who's been involved in it, DWI podcast, 400 episodes strong. We had a hell of a time on DWI 400. That was a a, a blast and a half. Congrats, Tunney. That's all I can say, man. Hey, it's all about uh, working with everybody. That's why we do it. It's why it's fun. And that's why the episode was was just, just a little fun with friends. You know, that's, that's what it's about. It was, and I, I mean, it, it brings back memories from, from my standpoint, like when, like you're talking about how Kenny got us all kind of together and like, you know, I vaguely remember the first time that I talked, I think it was just me. I don't think Gator was on where it was just me and you and Dan. 
and we did some episode and it was just, there was like this, you know, even though we were all fledglings as far as podcasting and didn't know what the hell we were doing. And, and it's debatable whether we still know what we're doing or not. Um, there was this instant chemistry that we all had that is carried over for all these years. Well, I mean, here's a prime example of, of what you mean is the bearded one joining us right now, because while he's been podcasting for a while, we haven't all been working together as long with him as you and I, Dave have. Right. But it was like, it didn't take more than half an episode of doing something with DJ to know dudes, dudes, fun, dudes, smart dude knows his shit. You know, he, he likes the, the same kind of stuff. You know, we get along and you make good, you make good audio. So that's what it's all about. And I, I've always said, you know, don't, I've learned a couple of things. Don't try to plan too hard. The important stuff will come up and it, it pop yourself. Usually the most fun you have listening to a, a, a podcast is when the person is enjoying themselves and you're going to enjoy yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and DJ, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you so much for being a part of another installment of the Big Four Project. How are you doing today, sir? You were a part of DWI 400 as well. So how are you uh, doing, man? I appreciate you guys having me on here. That was a hell of a lot of fun. If you guys haven't listened to it, go back. That is on the chairshot.com. That is DWI 400. Uh, you can listen to me absolutely tank at trivia. Uh, I, th- I think I was 0 and 5 on trivia last night. <laughs> it was pretty, or the night before, it was pretty awful, but it was pretty epic at the same time. Yeah, this whole just synergy of meeting up with you guys, I'm, I'm so thankful that Greg reached out to me a year or so ago and said, "Hey, we dig what you're doing. Why don't you come on and be a part of the part of the, the the radio network?" And you know, there's always a little bit of trepidation. You're like, "Okay, I was very fledgling. I've only been doing the podcasting for coming up on it'd be three full years that the mindless wrestling podcast has been a thing about three and a half since I really dipped my toes in it on my own. So I'm still very much learning. I learned from all of you guys, you know, on the, and then just other various podcasters that I listen to outside of the network. Um, but yeah, the synergy that I have with you guys, it's never been uncomfortable. Like the first time I ever worked with Tony, it was like he and I have been, you know, buddies for years and we just really just kind of hooked back up and that's, that's all been awesome. And I, and I feel that way, you know, even with as much we joke about Patrick, as much of a curmudgeon as he can be very comfortable being on the bandwagon nerds with Patrick, which I, to be perfectly honest with you. And I would, I would tell him this, honestly, I was a little worried about it. Like, I, you know, you, you can't grasp somebody's personality really from text and I was in the, the chair shot radio network text for a while. So I'm like, listen to this guy. I'm like, okay, is this guy really an asshole or is he playing a bit? And, you know, yes. So you, and yes. 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 And yes. <laughs> he is an asshole and he is playing a bit. And I absolutely adore, again, working with him on the, you know, the rare occasions that I get up there. So, yeah, this has been very rewarding. A lot of fun. Tony, I think what DJ saying is that you and I are the aqualube of the chairshot.com because we just make it easier. <laughs> For everybody. I, I think you are, Dave. I can have my own asshole moments as well. So <laughs> That's true. Um, you don't get to 400 without pissing a few people that's off. That's right. Know what I'm saying, this, <laughs> this is actually episode 282 of the Attitude of Aggression. And gosh, Tony, we might actually hit 300 at some point in time. And then we'll have to talk I about think- that. Yeah. Uh, on this episode, this is like we said, chapter nine of the Big Four Project. Uh, chapter eight is actually just coming out as we're kind of recording this thing. But on this episode, this chapter, we are covering first Royal Rumble 91. We've already buried the ultimate warrior, and this is his actual funeral that we're going to have here at this event. 
And then in the second half of chapter nine, we're going to cover WrestleMania seven, which is a uh, interesting event to be sure with at least one. And we'll talk about WrestleMania seven when we get done with uh, with this as far as kind of like what we want to do. Um, As I normally do, I like to kind of touch bases with you guys a little bit about the current stuff going on. We're not going to talk Crown Jewel because we already previewed the shit out of that on DWI 400. Go listen to it. It's really good. But. Um, you know, our favorite topic of conversation, CM Punk, once again, is in the news be- not, and not because of him. And it's kind of ironic that this came up because I'd kind of thrown out on DWI 400 the idea about I'd rather see AJ Lee come back than CM Punk. So the Internet is all abuzz because apparently she was sided with Bailey, which is now fueling rumors that Punk is definitely coming back or maybe it's AJ Lee coming back. This is not Emergency Punk Cast 3, so let's not do that. But do you guys think that this is, is this further proof that the suspicion that we all have that we've been led down the wrong path thinking that he's not coming back? Do not play that audio. It's okay, Tony. You can play it. I know you want to, so go ahead. God damn it. It's as simple as this. Just when they think they got the answers, I change the culture. Dave, I, I blame you for this, Dave. I, I just, I read it and I thought, hmm, that is kind of interesting. I know AJ Lee in the past has said, isn't she working with like, wow, like women of wrestling or something and has been doing that for a while and kind of that all wrapped up. So now let the speculation continue. I saw Corey Graves was on the Kurt Angle show and uh, they'd asked him what he thought about punk coming back and, and. I did not realize that Corey and CM Punk were very tight at one point in time. In fact, Corey was saying that Punk was the first person to hold his son. Then they had some kind of falling out. Can't imagine what that might have been about. Maybe because you shit on the company that was paying Corey's checks. I don't know. But Corey's like, I'm a professional. He's a professional. If it makes good sense for business, I'll welcome him back. I'll shake his hand and we'll move on. I thought, well, that's about the best response. And that's kind of the response you would expect from a guy like Corey. Um, taking all this into consideration, DJ, I'll ask you first. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you feeling now? Punk's return at Survivor Series. Oh, I think it's uh, at Survivor Series itself, a solid 8.5. Solid 8.5. So that would that would basically cause a tsunami, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Tony, where are you at on this thing, man? Punk returning Survivor Series, 1 through 10. To get my hopes up, Dave, uh, I would say I'm at about like a four and a half. Um, but I know that you're going to fucking hear that crowd in Chicago if he doesn't come back. And if they don't bring him out, like I, we've talked about this on other shows, like it needs to be, they need, either need to come out and be like hard time. No, we're not signing him. Some kind of statement from somebody still might get the cheers. But if he is coming back, he's got to be the first thing on the show. Otherwise, everything else is held hostage until he comes out. There's been so many teases in misdirection, whether that's intentional or unintentional. Nobody knows. I'm giving it a five out of 10 right now. I just but I don't know. It could be a 10 out of 10. It could be a one out of 10. Nobody knows what's happening with this guy. It is. And in this day and age where there's nothing held secret, there are no secrets. If he shows up in Chicago, that's pretty good job by both parties involved to keep this thing uncertain and keep everybody guessing right to the very end where you're not sure if he does show up i will say hey while i'm not thrilled about it i will just say well done guys you guys played that very well well and that's so hard to do like you said in this day and age because people are trying to spoil things for themselves like they're trying to find out whether or not he's gonna be it's like let it happen 
If it happens, be surprised. Pop for it if you want to pop. Complain about it if you don't like it. Either way, quit digging for it. And because especially those that want it to happen, you know, God, enjoy the surprise, man. How many times through the years has somebody returning, you know, pre-internet and it was like the greatest, most amazing thing ever. And people just, they rob themselves of that joy. Indeed. Tony, any final thoughts on your favorite uh, guy who may or may not show up? I mean, I don't know that he's my favorite. I just like to, you know, someone's got to take his side on, in the in the whole network. So <laughs> I do it. I do. I do enjoy his character. I would love to see him back for one last run in a couple of years. Um, but it, it, it's the WWE way, you know, like there's a rumor and then it kind of makes sense. And then they come out and kind of deny it, but not really. So like you said, they're the masters of making you think something's going to happen and then making you think it's not going to happen, but then giving it to you. And you I know. got it. You're going to hear his music and fucking jungle boy. Jack Perry is going to walk out and Chicago is going to come unfucking glued. What a rib. <laughs> what a rib that would be. Even though he's still under contract technically to AEW and he comes out and Chicago just implodes. That would be, that'd be tremendous. Blast. With a glass shard. Yeah. Yeah. With a glass. Oh, you want some real glass motherfucker? Here you go. Um, <laughs> the other, the other kind of news story is uh, interesting. It's, it, I thought we talked about this one as well. So this is no big surprise, but uh, the fact that it's almost damn near confirmed Kyrie Sane showing up on WWE's internal roster. Uh, Russell votes is, you know, hat tip to them. Shout out to Russell votes. So the one reporting this stating her return is imminent, which I think, We've been suspecting for a while. Uh, what do you guys think about this? It, it, her her being there on the roster certainly seems like, okay, she's back. It's a question of when. Tony, what do you think? Kyrie Sane returning. She's w- always been one of my favorites. Uh, loved her and Asuka's a Kabuki Warriors. Probably the only really dominant women's tag team that I can think of as far as people who've held that title. Um, I'm all for it. Get her back in. I, I want to see her, Asuka, and Io just... And I know that's stereotypical because they're all Asian American. Well, they're not even Americans. They're just Asian. Um, but still, yeah, I'm all for it. Let her come back. What do you think, Tony? No, same sentiments. She's excellent. And the way they've booked EO uh, lately means that they're interested in more than just than just Asuka as far as the influence from uh, Japan. So I think that's a good thing. And I think she's really good, like you said. I think... Uh, the other thing I wanted to comment that on um, that you said you brought up wrestle votes and for people that like to read the rumors and the dirt sheets, there's someone there or whoever that is or whatever they're doing. You can you can you can put a little bit of faith into what you usually get from there. There's not this off the cuff kind of speculation. It's usually they've heard something legitimately. So that's one to follow. Obviously, take everything with a little grain of salt. But Kyrie saying DJ, I mean, definitely. Oh, absolutely. She was one of my favorites in the Mae Young Classic. Enjoyed. I liked the Pirate Princess gimmick. Like, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I thought it was an incredible gimmick, an incredible look. It played well on TV. Um, I personally, I kind of hope they go back to that. I don't know that they will. Again, you've got, but even the Kabuki Warriors, I agree with what Dave was saying. Aside from Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, they were the most influential and and, um, important with the women's tag team championships, in my opinion, either up on the stage, Dave, either like in the, like if she goes to a corner of the raised part of the stage where entrance area before the ramp, either there or when she gets up on the turnbuckle in the ring, you'd think with all that cool new, um, graphic that they do, 
remember they used to just do that instead of the pyro now they brought pyro back and they use both with the cool graphic and everything mm-hmm. couldn't they give her some really cool like ghost cool ship like it looked like around the wheel behind her like she's actually she's up there and then now the sea of people behind her and she's in the boat i mean why am i why am i not getting paid or who hasn't thought of this that should have her i hope you're right because that would be badass ghost pirate ship Kyrie saying out there with her pirate outfit and in, in the and the theme song coming on but you know next to macho man randy savage she has the greatest elbow in probably the history of re- that insane elbow is it's wild there is so much torque behind that and the way that she contorts her body in midair and never misses uh savage would be like "Ooh, that's pretty good it's almost as good as me yeah but uh, i would say top three her elbow savage's elbow and muda's spinning elbow yeah that's good bailey does a good flying elbow draw and punk does as well so they're but they're not you know i mean it's savage and then it's savage. Then Everyone pretty, else. Yeah, and then it's exactly. So Bailey, um, Bailey does a dead ass drop. <laughs> Damn. Look at that ass on that drop. Uh, that's exactly how yeah, DJ would have liked the early days of attitude of aggression. He would have been. Just oh, no, that's, that's I'm OK with that kind of stuff. Beside himself. A, I too like cake, my friends. Ah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe truck. not the Vicky Guerrero drunken induction, but we'll leave that for another time. That was that was that was a mistake on Gator's part. But anyway, so <laughs> so let's get into it. Royal Rumble 1991. So where we left off was that you know at, at Survivor Series 90, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, standing tall as the sole survivors. Um, in between all that, things in the real world get very serious. Iraq invades Kuwait. Uh, the world denounces this thing. The UN Security Council issues a ultimatum to Iraq. Get the fuck out by this date or we will beat your ass. Saddam Hussein said, bring it. And it got brought. Now, that hasn't quite all happened yet. Operation Desert Storm is not kicked off completely yet. But when Royal Rumble 91 takes place, it's basically four days after I think this d- deadline went into place that the Security Council said. So we've talked about it, guys, on the last chapter about Sergeant Slaughter, the, the gimmick that they do, turning him from American hero into Iraqi sympathizer at a time when all this shit is going on in the real world. Um, this doesn't sit so well with a lot of people. And like even Bret Hart in his in his book was kind of like stating that they weren't real sure about you know, kind of crossing that line, you know, wrestling was kind of cartoonish. It shouldn't be used as a way to kind of like bring to the attention, the real world affairs, guys really risking their life life and death sort of situations. We shouldn't be making light of it. We shouldn't be poking fun of it. On the other side of the coin though, is like DJ and I talking in the chat today, Vince McMahon was a mad genius and only Vince would have had the balls to actually run with this thing and run with it as hard as he could. And somewhere along the way, whatever happened with the Ultimate Warrior, we speculated on that the last chapter as to why he didn't work. Somewhere along the way, Vince gets the idea, man, let's push the patriotic button as hard as we could. Now, this is a calculated risk by Vince, because I remember in 91, when this stuff was all going on, a lot of people of my generation, DJ's generation, although we were kids, the sting of um, the sting of the Vietnam War was still felt by a lot of people. And how we didn't fare so well in that situation for a variety of reasons. Um, there were some 
you know, Jimmy Carter's attempt to rescue the hostages in, 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 in Iran didn't go so well. So there's been successive failures on the part of the United States military leading into this thing that gave you some pause for concern. Hey, how could we, how is this going to work? Are we actually prepared to go to war over there? Now, as history will tell us, we were more than prepared. And this is where the United States military really flexed their muscle. And they're like, oh, OK, shit, we can shoot a fucking missile down a, a, a square the size of like a fucking <laughs> a fan opening and blow the shit out of everything. But at the time, right when this is happening, you didn't know that. So Vince calculated risk here. If this war didn't go well and he puts the belt on an Iraqi sympathizer like he's going to at this event, that could have been really devastating to WWE. Uh, DJ, I'll throw it to you over to you first on this point as to, you know, what what are you thinking about this thing? I mean, this was this was a big moment in WWE history, WWF history at the time, and it wasn't unanimously well received by lots of people bob costas was supposed to appear at wrestlemania 7 after this shit happened he said i'm out of here i'm i i don't think i can do that show given what's going on so vince alienated a lot of people but it's a brilliant storyline in hindsight being 2020 even more brilliant yeah excuse me this is absolutely and I, i told you guys in the chat before i you know before we ever even started here one of the biggest things and one of the most ballsy things did Vince did was start this whole event with just this huge patriotic thing. They make a big point with the, you know, with the national anthem and the stars and stripes and just they like they do the national anthem at every pay-per-view and premium live event. But this was a whole production like they made a point to show the imagery and the people and it was just it was very blatant. It was very obvious. And, you, when, you know, when I was looking at it, this was 91. So I was 18, you know, looking at it through those eyes, I was in a transition period in life. One, I knew what wrestling was and I knew what it was about. So I'd, I'd gotten past the believing in it, but I also understood you know, becoming a young man, becoming a bit more politically minded. I understood the ramifications of this. And I thought even back then, I'm like, this is awful ballsy that we're doing this now. And it wasn't until years later that I realized how brilliant of a brilliantly, as you said, calculated, because it's a risk. This could have gone south in a bad way. Um, but yeah, looking at it back then, I looked at it now I can look at it and go, wow. Yeah. Vince, you ballsy bastard. But back then I was like, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing this with all people? Sergeant Slaughter was on GI Joe a year ago. What are we doing here? So yeah, it was, it was a very interesting time to be a wrestling fan or a WWE fan at at this in January of 1991. Yeah. And they're going to bring in general Adnan to really, Really, and this is really hit it on the nose. Yeah, Colonel Mustafa hasn't come in yet. Iron Sheik comes up as Colonel Mustafa. That's down the line a ways. But they bring in this General Adnan who looks like okay, this guy looks like fucking Saddam Hussein. Now he's in Sarge's corner. Holy shit, they're really pressing this button. Tony, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, this was Vince McMahon is known for making, and Vince has got to be one of the luckiest son of a bitches in the history. You look at gambling everything on WrestleMania one. That worked. Gambling on Hogan and Andre and Andre not getting hurt. That worked. Gambling here that the war would go really well and this thing would parallel how he's going to play this out with Hogan, the real American, being the one to challenge Slaughter at WrestleMania. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was a certainly a calculated risk. But man, Vince just, you know, he's like the Carmelo Hayes of his generation. He don't miss. You know, I... It... You're right. And I think you said it all there, right, about it, about what Vince did here. And in hindsight, 
that is the key word now. Brilliant. But at the time, very controversial. I, do you think Vince thought that he could have Hogan Warrior at eight and that Warrior actually really lost his spot along the way there over the next course of the next year after this? Because Sarge catches fire, right? Like, I mean, he's red hot. He's got heat everywhere. I mean, like big time. And 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 he's got eyeballs, right? Because of what they're doing and what they're paralleling. And if you're gonna, and then once that catches fire, you go, well, Warrior Slaughter, that's a pretty big ticket. But the real American Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, that's that's the biggest ticket, right? So it makes me wonder where in that timeline does Warrior actually just go away? And they're just like, no, we don't, you know. Because he does still have some significant things happen over the yeah. course of the of the next time uh, short time period. Absolutely, and and you know you may be onto something. Maybe they, maybe Vince, because you look at where they are at Survivor Series ninety at the end of the last chapter. They're standing there. This seems like we are on the on a collision course for WrestleMania seven. They're still advertising it at the Coliseum. So then this situation happened, and you may be right, Tony. And I and I didn't really think about it till you just mentioned it. Did Vince pivot and he saw we have a once in a ever opportunity here to really do something special. We can create a mega heel and have him face the biggest baby face, the guy who's synonymous with America and really create a patriotic moment. Now, you know, and Vince, Vince, for all of his faults, pretty patriotic guy, you know, the first after 9-11, who what was the first event? That happened after 9-11. It's fucking WWE. And Vince was the first one to address the masses. So Vince is a very patriotic guy. Maybe he saw that, Tony. Maybe you're right. He saw, look, we're going to go in this direction. Yes, people are going to get pissed off at this. But this is going to work out. I have faith that by the time we get to Mania, this will all be perfect. And, you know, even even when you get to the next chapter, at the end of that match between Hogan and Slaughter, Gorilla Monsoon says, I think it's Gorilla who says, you can mark it down. The war is officially over. Once Hogan beats Slaughter. So maybe you're right, Tony. Maybe he thought, look, let's go in this direction. Having Sarge beat Warrior, especially the way it goes down, is going to make people hate Sarge and Slaughter even more. It's going to create this even bigger moment at WrestleMania 7. We will come back to this. Vince couldn't have anticipated, especially you look at what happens at 7. And we're going to talk in the second part of this. Retirement match. Warrior wins. Savage is forced to retire. So there was no intent on Vince at that point that, hey, we're going to stop this Warrior train. We're just going to make a detour. You might be right. And then, of course, Warrior self-destructed on uh, on the way to SummerSlam 91. Um, what do you think, DJ? I mean, Tony raises a really good point there. He does, and I think it's. I think all of that is very much probably what happened. Vince saw, you know, the the, the temperature in the air, and he also saw an opportunity to tie his business and his main storyline into real time, the biggest news story of that day. And that was the Gulf War, what became, you know, Operation, you know, Desert Storm. He, he saw all that coming. Vince has always kind of been a bit of a futurist in terms of certain things. Like he's always been on the cutting edge of technology, you know, bringing in, you know, pay-per-view and seeing the WWE network as a thing 24, 20 years before he ever even did it. He's always had a finger on that particular pulse. And I, I think it was very much his intention to bring eyes, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, controversial or not, bring eyes to WWE by mirroring what was going on in real life. 
I just just an open invitation to Vince McMahon. You're not doing a whole lot right now, Vince. You want to come on these shows and talk with us about this stuff? Yeah, you're growing your mustache. I would love to just have a one hour sit down. Just with Vince one McMahon hour with on Vince. Wrestling <laughs> Good God, can you imagine? Give me one hour, Vince, and and, and just that's all. You know, and I just. What a dream come true to pick his brain for an I've hour. I've been saying it for years. He listens to all my, all my shows. He steals all my ideas, a fucker. That's true. He's, he's Looking stole, by Tony. He stole a lot of our all of our it ideas over the years. <laughs> it does. It sticks with you like chlamydia. Wow. All right. There you go. There's there's something we haven't heard before. It's like, you know, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Except herpes. That shit will come back with you. So let's go on and talk about this event. Royal Rumble 91, Miami, Florida at the Miami Arena, January 19th, 1991, which actually was a Saturday. Um, so they actually did this event on a Saturday and not a Sunday. It's not, it's one of the rare times they did it. And there's a very good reason why they did that. Usually up until now, the Rumble had been positioned, and I know this is only the fourth year they've been doing it, but they had been positioning it between the uh, conference championships and the Super Bowl because they didn't want to compete with the NFL on a Sunday. It's probably smart. Um, this year though, this is the year that there was no one week gap between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. Buffalo and the Giants were going to play it, you know, it's like one week after this whole thing happened. So instead of trying to compete with the Super Bowl, they're like, fuck it, let's do it the night before. So they did. And the interesting thing about this is that you would think, well, I wonder how that would impact their buy rate. Well, it's like, I think I read the stats on this, like Royal Rumble 90, the one year, the year before did like buy rate of like 250,000 or something like that. And Royal Rumble 92 does like the same amount or something like that. And that's where Flair wins the title. This had like double the buy rate for that. This had like 440 something or other, 440,000 buy rate for this thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you think about double the, (laughs) double the buy rate of the preceding and the subsequent Royal Rumble? Um, So having it on a Saturday, it made no difference, but I don't know. Maybe the fans were thinking the same along the same lines as Vince was. Hey, we got something as major is going to be happening here. Let's tune in. Uh, they're going to tune in for quite the evening here. So let's let's get into it, guys. Gorilla Monsoon, Rowdy Roddy Piper on commentary. These two probably an underrated team as far as you know commentary goes because I thought they were excellent in this event, especially you know when we get to that Slaughter Warrior match. Just those guys refusing to accept what they've just witnessed and desperately pleading with whoever is listening. Somebody's got to do something. This can't go down this way until they realize that it has gone down that way. So um, let's get to the first match. The undercard of Royal Rumble 91 is one of the better ones that we see in the early years of the Royal Rumble. There's some good matches. What, Tony? You want to know the dark match? Uh, I think I... I can tell you who's not in the dark match this time. Yeah. It's not Shane Douglas. No, no. Is it Iron Mike Sharp channeling DJ Jer- from the other night? Jerry, Jerry Sags defeats Sam Houston in five that's, and a half minutes. That's right, because one of the nasty boys shows up in the Royal Rumble. Because, the other one does not. Right. Nah, he's on the dark. Nah. Yeah, because Honky Tonk Man quit. He was supposed to be in. Honky Tonk quits. I think it's. Nobs was like the third to last in the match. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So, let's see. Where is. I'm looking through the order right now. Um, yeah, knobs. Knobs <laughs> eliminated Shane Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> does he really? Yeah, as his partner takes over his dark match. You're spot. right. He does. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so, yeah. So the Nasty Boys come in. Knobs replaces Honky Tonk Man in the Royal <laughs> Rumble. 
we'll get to that. This first match, though, is a hell of a fight. It's a hell of a match. This one, I mean, this one, like you would think it's like, wow, I I don't I don't even remember this match until you actually watch it. And then once you watch it, like, damn, that was fucking good. Orient Express with Mr. Fuji taking on the Rockers. This, my friends, is an excellent back and forth uh tremendously even match there's like it's really hard for any either team to gain an advantage on the other one um sean's gonna foil a double team attempt on marty kato unknowingly slingshots tanaka into marty who executes a perfect sunset flip to pin tanaka and this is one of the bigger victories for the rockers that i can recall because usually they are the ones dropping matches on pay-per-view this is one where they actually win the crowd pops pretty big for them and uh, I thought this is a hell of a match. It's one that I forgot about. I urge anybody who's following along with us, if you're going chronologically, this is a match you're going to want to watch. Tunny, um, what were your thoughts on Orient Express versus Rockers here? It was the best match of the night. You know, anytime you have Fuji on the outside as well. These these two tag teams, though, they know how to do one thing really well, and that's tell a story using a wrestling match and they were given nearly 20 minutes to do it and they did a great job like this is this is a really good tag match to regardless of whatever era you want to talk about in professional wrestling um you can really tell though that the rockers are like red hot with the fans now too like there's a big big push from the fans to get them you know with those belts but unfortunately we all know what happens there but this is excellent it's a great match to start off the show for people watching and and things of that nature so yeah i best match of the night by far damn damn ring ropes you never can rely on them tony and that's all she wrote for the rocker dj what were your thoughts on this uh opening match between the orient express and the rockers i agree with both of you i thought it was an incredible match they told an incredible story my only thing was i thought it they could have cut maybe five minutes off of it i felt like it got a little long towards the end like okay We've gone back and forth enough. We could have told the same story in maybe 20, 25% less time. Did mean I didn't enjoy it. I did. I do agree. I think it was the best wrestling match on the of the night, like hold for hold wrestling match of the night. I also, knowing what's coming in the next 12 to 24 months with Sean and Marty, this kind of felt like, and I have a feeling this might be why the match was so long. It felt like a job interview for the two of them. Like, I think Vince is already eyeballing these guys for singles runs at this point. And I think that's why he wanted them out there a little bit longer to see the, how they handled those longer matches to see what they had. Cause you see these guys pulling out moon moves. You see what I believe, at least as I remember it, the first time Shawn Michaels pulls out a moonsault um, there's, there's some different things in there that these guys are doing. And I feel like that was intentional and that's why the match went that long. So Vince could get out there and see what they had. It makes sense. And like, like you guys are saying, like Tony saying, the Rockers were really over with the fans at this point in time, and you you saw the writing on the wall. These guys are earmarked for the titles. It's going to happen, but it dev- doesn't happen, and we all know the story about that. But yeah, this is a big win for the Rockers on pay per view. Their 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 longevity is not la- going to last much longer, and we all know that. So it's cool to see them get this big win right here. It makes you wonder, guys, what could have been? You know, maybe they if they'd gotten a run as tag team champions, what would it have meant? Don't know. But what would it have looked like? Yeah, what it, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, but you know, with the with the Legion of Doom out there, I mean, <laughs> the writing kind of was on the wall as to where that thing was going. Um, the next segment of Royal Rumble '91 is hugely important, and it's going to have a big impact on what happens later on with the championship match, as the Ultimate Warrior 
is interviewed by, I think it's Mean Gene, and he emphatically denies or declines to give the Macho King a shot at the title should he retain. <laughs> this is some of Sherry's best work. And, uh, you know, as she's okay, sexual innuendo is all over the place in this thing. They're not, they're not shy about it. They're not hiding it. Uh, warrior, one of the best, you know, incoherent as some of his stuff was, this was one of the best things that I ever saw him do was just the way that, you know, give macho man, Randy, give the macho King a shot, you know, and he just screaming at her no and bellowing at her so forcefully you can feel it that it buckles her knees and she crumbles to the ground with him just standing over saying no i was like damn that is that is as emphatic a no as you're gonna get and um i wasn't sure why she went to her knees but you just explained you confirmed it for me now no she was the sexual innuendo was the first part she was already on her knees she was already on her knees she went even lower she oh, went even lower, Tony. It's like uh-huh. I'm gonna no, give no, you. No, I'm right. gonna suck on your toes down here instead of other body parts, you know. So, um, I'm not that guy. <laughs> DJ, I'll turn it over to you first. This moment in this card is going to have a big, huge impact in what we see later on. Uh, they did this well. It really kind of. They've been dabbling with Savage and Warrior a little bit leading into this thing. This is going to take it from dabbling to way beyond where any of us were anticipating this thing was going to go and it's going to continue for a while uh, what did you think of this segment i thought it was essential and really well done it was absolutely the best piece of business the ultimate warrior ever was outside of like any of his better matches with like rude or even the match with savage for segments it was hands down the best thing that guy ever did i rewatched this whole thing again today before we recorded and Watching it in 2023, that segment is a bit uncomfortable. Um, To say that it is loaded with sexual innuendo is probably the understatement of this entire episode. I'm trying to be be PC here a little bit. PC would probably say more than we have. But it it absolutely, again, speaks volumes to not only the lengths that Vince McMahon was willing to take his product to in order to get a reaction – but the balls to actually go out and do that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to turn it over to Tony. There's, and, and like you're saying, it's some of Warrior's best work. There's little things that he does, little <laughs> twitches of his lips as like Sherry's walking around him and just kind of little sneers that, yeah. that kind of allude to insanity, but not really. And I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, he's still a man and she's still a woman. That's right. And But the, the interesting thing here is how, and I give him credit, how well the warrior performed in this particular instance, knowing, because he had to have known by this point, you're dropping the title later. So for him to still go out there and do his job to the level that he did it, I think is commendable. Because he could have phoned it in, and he didn't. <clears throat> and we'll talk about that when we get to that match as to what warrior knew and what he didn't know and how involved he was with all that sort of stuff. But, Tony, your thoughts on this segment with the warrior and Sherry and... Just, you know, I, I mean, are, are you with us? Is this some of his best work? Sure. <laughs> God. Wow. Tony just no-selling the I, shit out of it. It wasn't, I didn't think it was as great as you guys did. I thought Sherry was great, but he's just kind of like weird like he always is, you know? I mean, how many fucking takes do you think that took? They were live, they pal. Were, yeah. It was in front of a live crowd. Live? Oh, that was right. That was right. Yeah. I didn't watch it recently. I haven't watched this in a long time. Like I Mean Gene told Sid, we're live, pal. 
I can't I can't bring myself to watch a lot of this stuff from this far ago. It's just not that good overall. There's good moments. No, but that's a really tense segment. Like I get where Dave's coming from and it's integral to the rest of the show and where they go moving forward. If you get a chance and you haven't watched it recently, go back and watch it again because it's yeah. it's it's really well done. I won't, but if you're listening and you get a chance, he's not that asshole. I, I can see it. I remember it. <laughs> I, see, I'd completely forgotten it until today. I forgot wait, it wait, even Tony, existed. You just, you just watched this not that long ago, didn't you? It was like a week or so ago, right? <clears throat> really drunk. Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Never mind. That explains it. <laughs> I did. I watched it, but I mean, like, I haven't sat down and watched it and, like, dude, I'm not putting three hours in to watch a pay per view from 91 that I already seen 10 times. Uh, see, I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk about this. I'm gonna analyze the crap out of it while I'm watching it. Well, I remember. I've seen it. I lived it. I was there, man. I was alive. Yes, we know you were alive, Tony. I, and I and I appreciate your massive support of this segment, even though DJ and I really loved it. So he shit all over it. He did. Like it still it still stinks around here. <laughs> Hold on, let me try again. Can I answer? Can you ask me again? No, no, no. no you got your chance. We're gonna move on. We don't. Do shit we don't need to shit. We're gonna piece. We're gonna PC Tony. PC Go, Tony. Double here. shit. No, no. You, we don't need you to double shit on this. <laughs> one. Um, the next match is the Barbarian, who's now got Bobby Heenan as his manager, versus the Big Boss Man. Which I gotta admit, this is another damn good match. Um, boss, both guys are gonna get to the ropes to barely foil the other's finishing moves. When the Barbarian goes for the flying clothesline. Boss man catches him, rolls through, and uses his momentum against the barbarian to get the pin and a big win for the big boss man. So no, I mean there was a boss man slam, but it didn't get the pin because both guys get to the ropes. And then you know the boss—it's the move we've seen a thousand times. You know you you roll through with the momentum from somebody coming off the top rope, end up on top and pin him. It's it's a good win for the boss man who up you know at this point he's kind of been Hulk Hogan's lackey for lack of a better term to kind of like hang in there with the Hulkster, be his right hand man. So I thought this was good for boss man to get um get back in the winner's circle. This might be the Barbarian's best match in WWE. To be really honest with you guys, Tony, go ahead and shit on it, man. I'm gonna give it to you first. Oh, the boss man could work. I mean, especially like before his his final run, um, when he was a little bit older and kind of it, it's weird. He was he was he looked like he was in better shape in his last run, but he was more out of shape than when he was a big fat guy, um, which is weird. Maybe he was doing less cocaine. I don't know. Um, well, getting hung from that, the hell in the cell didn't help it anyway. Yeah, well, that was that, that's sure to ruin your career. Yeah, yeah, there was a bad match. Um, <laughs> the Barbarian, I don't know, he's like forever mid Carter, but you know, Bobby probably produced this match, and Bossman made it work, in my opinion, from what I remember watching. Well, you were fifteen drunk. minutes. This, yeah, this one, this one went. It wasn't every time I've watched it; just the last time I watched it. Like I've seen this pay per view like at least a half a dozen times, at least. And it, and it, and it, you know, it's like Beetlejuice. I've seen The Exorcist forty four times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it, or whatever I've he says. Seen this pay per view as many times as Ray has seen. Uh, um, no, you've seen what? it more than Flash Gordon. Come Flash on, Gordon. <laughs> I have probably seen Flash Gordon more than any movie I've ever watched in my lifetime. That's why I love you, DJ. That is why you are the man. <laughs> what did you think of this thing, man? This match between Barbarian and Bossman. Kind of surprising how good this one was. Yeah, it was a fun Haas fight. Uh, and Bossman, we talked uh, either 
last episode or last chapter about Earthquake and how good of a mobile big man Earthquake was, we don't say that enough about the big boss man. He moved around really well for a guy, you know, his size. You look at him, like Tony alluded to a minute ago, he looked like a, a big fat guy, but he really moved like a guy who was in pretty good shape. And, you know, that showed in this match uh, some pretty solid storytelling. And, you know, the finish was what it was. It was a little sloppy, but, you know, the boss man got a much needed win. And I think for what they were trying to do with him at the time, it was important for his momentum if they were even remotely interested in trying to make a single star out of him. Yeah, I, you know, you could, it's it's a tough one. But like I like what you're saying. Boss man is one of those guys who um, really could move deceptively quick, a little deceptively strong, I would say, as well. And Barbarian, yes. of course, just this physical specimen who we've always, we've all talked as to why things didn't exactly work out for him or the Warlord. Um, great bodies, limited, and that's behind in-ring skill, and promo ability, non-existent. No, I don't know that the Barbarian ever gave one promo aside from whatever his native language. I mean, he makes the Ultimate Warrior look eloquent, so, I mean, that's, that's saying something. <clears throat> Let's get to it, gentlemen. We are to the point of the card. Interesting undercard, the way they set this thing up. Slaughter, General Adnan in his corner. Ultimate Warrior, WWE Championship. Now, here's what I know about this match. And what, and you, as Tony knows, I'm going to research the shit out of this stuff coming into any of these big four discussions. Um, what I know is that they had made the decision as to how that slaughter was going to go over. I'm not sure. I think it was like the day of that. They actually made the decision that slaughter was going to go over. Vince tells Sarge, here's what I want to, here's what's going to happen. I'll leave it to you and Randy to figure it out. So it was actually slaughter and Savage who worked out how this thing was going to go down. Um, Warrior was not really involved in the whole thing is what I understand. And to make things even more interesting, what I did not realize until researching this, the end of this match was not how the match was supposed to end. It was actually supposed to go on like 10 minutes extra. And the way it was supposed to end, according to Sergeant Slaughter, was like they were going to have some spot where Adnan held on to Warrior's foot and Slaughter would pin him. And I'm so glad it didn't go down that way. Because like, wait, if they had done a replay of WrestleMania 5 when Heenan held Warrior's leg and Rude pinned him, I this none of it, none of what goes down with Slaughter is as impactful as what we get here, which is, of course, Warrior dominating the match two critical interjections by the macho king randy savage to get even with the warrior for rejecting sherry earlier um are the key points the first one of course he chases sherry we've all seen it savage blasts warrior with the fucking lights you know and and takes warrior out of this thing which i thought was brilliant it's like how do you get a guy like the ultimate warrior to the point where you can beat him well this is a good start let's whoop the shit out of him with a fucking ring lights um then the key moment of this match is, of course, where Warrior gets Sherry, press slams her onto Randy Savage. Uh, the scepter's lying there in the ring. Randy Savage takes the scepter and just absolutely crushes the Ultimate Warrior in the head with this thing. Now, here's the interesting part. He actually knocks the Ultimate Warrior unconscious. Because Slaughter says, he was draped over the ropes. I knew there was an issue. I brought him back in the ring. I dropped the elbow on him thinking that might snap him to it. He covers him. You get the one count, right? We've seen this. Slaughter's like, well, maybe I'll grab his leg. That might get him to, you know, he was supposed to kick out this thing too. The three count comes down. Slaughter's like, fuck, there you go. That's the end of the Ultimate Warriors WWF championship run. Slaughter's the new champion. So, yeah, I mean, they were supposed to go an extra 10 minutes. 
But I'll tell you this, guys, whether this was the plan finish, this is this is a this is how lucky Vince was at this point in time. Even when shit goes wrong, it goes very right because this ending is far better than having Adnan holding on to Warrior's leg like Heenan did at WrestleMania five. Because, again, if they do it that way, this does not have the impact. Slaughter's not as hated as he ends up being. Um, the people aren't as shocked as they are. You know, Grill and Roddy Piper said it's got to be a disqualification. They, they can't go down this way. They, it, this can't be the case. And that right up until the point where they, Howard Finkel announces Sergeant Slaughter is the new WWF champion, Grill and Roddy are selling the shit out of this. This can't be right. There's no way this can go down this way. This is ridiculous. But yeah, if, if Warrior's not knocked cold by Savage, and I, I've heard that this is like paid, Randy's paid him back because I think Warrior did something in a match that they had and Randy ended up breaking his hand, was out for six weeks. So Savage is like, Receipt time, bitch. And there you go. Um, if this doesn't go down this way with this kind of ending, Tony, I'll turn it over to you first. Is the match as memorable? It's one of the biggest upsets, I think, in WWE history because nobody really saw Slaughter being the guy to dethrone the Ultimate Warrior. We're thinking, especially he comes out in that red, white, and blue, the the face paint, the trunks. You're like, oh, yeah, he's going to, you would think he's going to whoop his ass. But instead, they save that for Hogan a few months later. Um, your thoughts on the match, how it went down, kind of the backstory of things that I gave you. Does that change your opinion on anything of this, or are you going to give me a one-word answer and just shit on it? No, I'm not. Okay, okay. I, remember right. watching, I remember watching this match for the first time, um, actually, and in being nine going on ten and a huge Warrior fan, I was like, this is great, this is great. What the fuck? And then, fuck you, macho man. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of the work, if I remember correctly, that Warrior and, and um, uh, Sarge did outside in the, I think they were on the ramp and he was choking him with the cord and a lot of that work was really, I remember that getting to me when I was watching it the first time. So, no, I think this is Warrior, one of better, Warrior's better matches, to be honest with you. Because he was just, unconscious? No, just, well, <laughs> and, and, but you, you know, you looking back and you said, what better way to have this match end? And I think... It was kind of lucky. Um, at the time, I think it, I don't think it, I think it means more now than it would have meant then. I think either way, it would have been shocking for Sergeant Slaughter to have won that title. So, DJ, your thoughts on, on this match, the way it went down, them kind of lucking into what I consider a much better finish than what they were apparently planning. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. If this was absolutely unintentional, it, it was a much better outcome, not only for Sarge, but for the upcoming feud with Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior, because now this is a blood feud. Like, you, you legitimately knocked me out with your scepter. I lost my championship. I'm coming to kill you. Like, I'm coming for blood. And that's laid right out there after that because of that incident. If it was absolutely unplanned, it's probably one of the best strokes of luck they could have had moving out of this match. Yeah, especially you, like, you raise a really good point where warrior and savage are going to end up it gets so nasty blood feud is one thing career ending match never been done before at a wrestlemania i mean how do we get to the point that we are both going to put our title we hate each other so much you knock me out and cost me my title you know and That's, it writes itself and i i know i distinctly remember warrior's trunks which we will talk about in the second part of this at wrestlemania 7 on the back of his trunks there's a picture of the wwf championship and underneath it says means much more than this. So you're absolutely right. This sets this blood feud down the line as to what really motivates 
Savage and Warrior going forward. Savage clearly cost him the title. But unlike you, like Tony, I, I got to say, like, I remember 91 when this went down, um, I would have bet body parts that there was no fucking way Sergeant Slaughter was walking out with the t- championship. No way. And when it happened, it was a mix of shock and outrage. And I was just like, what the fuck just happened? Sergeant Slaughter, he's getting his ass kicked for 90% of the match. Um, they did a tremendous job with every aspect of this match. And if it was fortuitous circumstances, so be it. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Vince had a good enough relationship and Warrior trusted Vince enough that's really only one of the people he trusted enough to where Vince went and said, Jim, it's time for you to give that back and you know you're gonna get another turn with it. Okay. Even even I he goes, You're not it's not you're not giving it back to Hulk and even Hulk gives other people a turn. So you're come back and get your turn. And I think I think Jim believed him and I think Vince meant it at the time. But yeah, we'll get there. In the, in the next few chapters, we'll get there. We certainly will. Um, after the match is done, the heat on Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan was nuclear. <laughs> I would say after this match is over, uh, just, you know, walking out of there back to the back with the WWF championship, there was genuine fear for Sergeant Slaughter's safety. So much so that I've read that they kept him at the Miami arena until three o'clock in the morning. Until they felt it was safe to get him out of there, that he wouldn't be like death threats or worse uh, done to him. You know, you can you can talk about. I mean, we've seen so many guys get heat over the years. Sarge, though, is a different level of heat at this point in time because of everything going on. I mean, can you guys think of anybody who had more heat on him? Then Sergeant Slaughter right now, then maybe Michael Hayes in Mid-South when he blinded Junkyard Dog. That might be one, but I can't think of anybody having this level of heat. And I you mean, Dominic Mysterio is one thing. Not like so this. The clo- not- go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. The closest I can come up with, Rob and I have talked about this on our podcast a lot of times, is the one time back in, I believe, the mid-late 80s, Jim Cornette hit Baby Doll in the belly with a racket. He had the tennis racket and he hit, and he had so much heat after that because you, you got to think about this is keep in mind kayfabe is very much still alive and well in the eighties. This is a man assaulting a woman on live TV, and he took nuclear heat for that. That's the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head where somebody might have had something close, but I don't even think that tops or even comes that close to the heat that Sarge had. Well, this is twofold for Sarge. It's not really fair to compare to anything else, really, because one, the level at which WWE is consumed here is a national level. And two, we're also talking about a global war. Yes. So global war, patriotism, uh, you know, exposure for WWE. Mad genius. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Yeah. Ballsy to the max uh paid off in spades because this this is one of the better story angles and it turns somebody who was absolutely beloved into one of the most hated motherfuckers who has ever walked into a wwe ring at any point um after this match is done <laughs> tunny's favorite coco beach wear and the coco mountie beach. jacques rougeau has a new gimmick he this is where the mountie debuts with jimmy hart they have the unenviable task of trying to follow what has just happened and they, it's it, you know, they suffer uh, for this thing. You know, Coco gives it a good go, but he's eventually going to get caught with that. Uh, Got to turn the page with a shot to the throat and the Mountie gets the win. I don't know if he's using the electrified cattle prod quite yet, but that comes in later. 
you know, this was just in this match, Tony, how long did this one go? This one went a little bit longer than you would expect. Nine minutes. Nine. Wow. Nine minutes for the Mountie and Coco Beware. Coco Beachware, excuse me. Um, Filling time to be sure. Maybe the whole notion of this thing was to kind of let the crowd sort of try and dissipate some of that energy because they were fucking hot after Sarge had won the title. I don't envy. I and I want to applaud both Coco Beware and Jacques Rougeau. You guys. I mean, and they, they actually I think they cut this uh, match from earlier versions of the Royal Rumble, but it's back now. Um, I have nothing but respect for these guys to go out in her. I mean, just for fuck. And we've seen it time and time again through the years. You get a match that's just epic and then have something follow that. I don't envy these guys. It must have been difficult. DJ, your thoughts on the match. And, and I mean, <laughs> your, your thoughts on the poor position these guys were put in to follow that. There was nobody, nobody wants to follow that. The deathmatch slot is the worst spot ever. And if you're going to do it, I guess you inter- you introduce the world to a new character. You bring out a guy who's going to get a reaction. Coco never amounted to much beyond a, a good novelty act in WWE, but he always got a good crowd pop. Um, he's an incredible worker. You know, there's not, not saying anything bad about his, his work in the ring, but he just never, they never invested more in him than they did. And I think if you're going to do that, because some of the other matches that are coming up are important, you know, we'll get to those and they're important in furthering certain stories. You don't want to blow that in a match that people are not emotionally invested in because of what they just watched. So I I think that the placement for these guys sucked, but for the pacing of the card and what they had coming up later is perfect match for that spot. Tony, your thoughts on, on the unenviable position these, these poor bastards were put in here. Fuck them. It's the Mountie and Coco beware. I mean, if you're getting a check, eat a dick. <laughs> God, Tunny is. You got to love PC Tunny, man. Fuck them. I don't give a shit oh, about them. Oh, oh, Fuck them. Hey, you got paid. Hey, I'm the Mountie. Hey, let's talk about that again. Maple syrup. What did, what did you got? What did you get? Tony, let me ask you. What did you think of the Mountie gimmick? I mean, it, it, it you know, the Russo brothers split up and they go their separate ways. Hey, and we. Was a- Monty was a world heavyweight champion like the Rockers were tag champion. Was he? I know he was intercontinental champion. Did he ever win the, the big one? He beat Hogan at some house show, and they never really counted it. <laughs> you never heard that? I had That one I have not heard. So, oh. All right. Thank you, Tony, for teaching me something. I appreciate that. I, I don't doubt it. But, uh, man, the Mountie is WWE champion. That's something really wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> um. The next match is is the last one before we actually get to the to the Royal Rumble match itself. Um, you know, and I I, know I put a note in here, but we've already talked about it numerous times about the Gulf War weighing very heavily over this pay per view. You see it no- numerous times; it's ever present throughout the entire pay per view, especially when Sarge wins the title. This is an interesting one, though. Dusty and Dustin Rhodes taking on the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Virgil. Um, the match is secondary, really to the end of the DiBiase Virgil relationship, which had been building a little bit in the weeks leading up to this as DiBiase was being extra douchey to, you know, it's not Usi, it's douchey. My bad. I just want to uh, uh, correct something real quick. He beat Hogan in 97 in WCW. My bad. Well, that makes a little bit more sense. I can't imagine Vince, Vince would be like, fucking Jacques Rousseau is going to beat Hulk Hogan. That is a cocaine booking decision right there, my friend. <laughs> I haven't sucked that much dick to fucking book that match. No way. 
Uh, so no. It's the only way I could get out of Canada. It's such good shit, but I'm not gonna. Uh, that would be a Carlos Colon's situation McMahon, right there. Later, Mr. McMahon, you know you make the Mountie the champion. You can walk across that border, dearie. Fuck it, I'm gonna have some more Molson and call it good. <laughs> Pat, get over here. Anyway, so uh, now you're welcome back in the country, but no more fucking the moose. All right. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, you know. Exactly. Whatever Tony just call said. Call the Canadian Prime Minister a moose. Um, like I was saying, Ted had been extra douchey to Virgil leading into this match. Virgil had shown little inkling of standing up for himself for the first time in his life. And this kind of um this kind of comes to a head in this match as as you get a moment where there's this an irate Ted DiBiase. Mid match, Virgil does something wrong. And Ted DiBiase just beats the holy hell out of Virgil. In the middle of the match, he just beats the shit out of his own tag team partner because Virgil made a mistake. Uh, DiBiase is then going to avoid Dusty charging at him with an elbow in the corner. DiBiase rolls him up and snatches the win. So, And, and the interesting thing is it's Dusty and his son Dustin who we all know is Goldust or, or Dustin Rhodes. They both bail immediately after this match. This match is over. Dusty goes back to WCW where he becomes like a par- partial booker. His son follows them. And Dustin was basically there for like a fucking fraction of an eyelash as far as his WWE career. And and they have this match. They lose. They both bail. The Dusty Rhodes experiment in WWE, polka dots and all is over. And that's one aspect of this thing. DiBiase basically single-handedly wins the match. Uh, DiBiase then just berates Virgil after this match, demands that he place the million-dollar belt across his waist. Instead, at Roddy Piper's urging, and our, Piper's commentary at this at, during this whole thing is fucking excellent because it's like, what, are you going to take it your whole fucking life? You know, and, and he's just like... I don't know if Virgil can hear him, but Piper's obviously been his ear and he's talked that he's been talking about Virgil and Virgil just fucking crushes DiBiase in the head with the belt. This gets one of the biggest pops from Royal Rumble 91, and it's a huge moment in the trajectory of Virgil, of course, and in this fucking event, because, yeah, you just it's like stuff that you never thought you'd see Virgil turning on Ted DiBiase and turning babyface. It's uh, it, one of my favorite moments of Royal Rumble 91, to be honest with you guys. I love this moment. Seeing Virgil stand up for himself. Piper does a masterful job of selling the buildup to this moment where Virgil is on one knee and Ted DiBiase says yeah, he's just gloating. Everybody's got their price. He turns around and Virgil just jumps up and crushes him in the face with the million dollar belt. Tremendous moment. The match is, the match is what it is. It's secondary. It virtually irrelevant to what really matters in this moment i turn it to you dj i I agree with you the match itself i I remember very little about but one thing i do remember as you allude to dusty and dustin both gone there was literally a roll-up and then dusty just scooted right out of the ring and and understanding you know there was a secondary thing about to happen that he had no part of but i just found it i I remember in that second going damn he just like i pinned one two three and i'm out like, there's, you know, usually they get up, they're like, oh, my God, they sell the loss. Dusty didn't even sell the loss. He just got the hell out of the ring, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, the moment for Virgil was incredible. He was incredible in that moment. Like, you can just see that the emotions going across his face. It's like, I've had enough. I'm exhausted. I'm sick of your shit. Roddy Piper, again, I agree with you, was incredible. He was incredible the whole night. 
you know, going back to the the Hogan or the not Hogan, the Slaughter Warrior match was incredible in that, but his storytelling in this point really made that moment even more special. Exactly. I agree 1000% with everything you just said. And yeah, like it's, it's dusty, just kind of like sliding off into the sunset, that sort of thing. Uh, Tony, your thoughts. I, I know you don't give a shit about the match cause it's just really irrelevant, but the DiBiase Virgil dynamic at this point and, and how they played all that up. Well, it's years in the making too, right? Like this is something that's been going on for a while. Ted DiBiase is, you know, originally you get introduced to Virgil and he's like, you know, this bodyguard s kind of guy and he almost turns into a lackey and is completely mistreated by the end of it. And of course it's going to get a big pop because it's something people can associate with. Right. And, and when you give that time to manifest and like you said, the crowd had a big pop on it. It's interesting that Virgil was never bigger than he was. Um, it kind of, I don't know if he necessarily was the smartest businessman. Yeah, he he peaked at beating DiBiase, and this is probably something we'll get into in later chapters. He, he peaks at that point, and then just, that's it. Well, he catches on with with Hogan in the NWO, but doesn't really do much there either. He becomes Virgil again. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get... Um, he's Vincent, I think, there, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. Vincent, he's Vincent down there. But he's going to have, in, in the second part of this chapter, and then SummerSlam 91, Virgil has a huge moment, even pro- arguably, possibly bigger than this. Um, that we're going to talk about. And then he kind of fades into obscurity a little bit and gets his nose broken by Sid Justice on the way to WrestleMania 8. But we'll talk about that in a couple of chapters. Um, it is now time for the Royal Rumble match here, Royal Rumble 1991. Um, it's interesting, though, as we'll get to it, and we'll talk about how this is kind of, I think, almost unofficially the beginning of where they get the idea of the rumble winner being able to challenge the WWF champion at WrestleMania. It's never official here. And next year at Royal rumble 92, the title's actually on the line during the rumble match. And then 93, they implement the rule. Yokozuna wins. And we'll talk about that several chapters from now, but the way this actually turns out, you get to see the guy who wins the rumble is the guy who gets to challenge the WWF champion at WrestleMania seven. So, Let's get into it. We'll talk about the order of entry and eliminations. As usual, when we do the Royal Rumbles, you guys see something or something you want to talk about, by all means, interrupt me. You guys are my partners in crime here, and I'm sure you saw shit that, well, maybe not Tony because he was drunk, but, you know, I probably, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Tony remembers some important moments in this in this Royal Rumble because he's seen it. Now I know why. Now I know why you started off the show complimenting me. I love you, Tony. I just didn't know you were going <laughs> to. I didn't know you were going to sit there and say I was too drunk to remember any of this event. So you know. No, I, 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 <laughs> I just meant that the last time I watched maybe wasn't the best. <laughs> I, I, I was drunk for the whole thing. Blow me, you got paid. That's been Tony's commentary for that the last is, hour and a half. That is what are you fucking complaining about? Following Warrior and Slaughter, get your ass out there and get paid, bitch. <laughs> I feel like I should get nominated for another award. I'm doing some I, great work. I, I think you are. You're, I'm nominating you for a for a Webby. Do they still do Webbies? Is that still a thing? Oh, yeah. Whatever. Whatever award I can nominate you for, Tony, I'm going to. So give this man his roses. Damn it. Anyway, let's get back to the uh, Royal Rumble match. Uh, first one in the match is Bret Hart. Second in the match, Dino Bravo. So this is a little interesting start compared to the other years. Like, okay. Um, Greg Valentine comes into the match. He eliminates Dino Bravo. And Jimmy Hart is irate about this whole situation. Doesn't understand what the fuck Valentine's done. Valentine's going to last in this match for like 45 minutes. And I 
read that this was punishment, Vince actually, this wasn't any sort of like, hey, Greg's an Iron Man sort of thing. Vince was pissed off because Greg's contract, I think, was coming up, and he'd taken some like bookings in UWF. And Vince didn't like that so much, so he said, look here, motherfucker. You're going to spend 45 minutes sweating your blonde ass off in this match, and I don't want to hear shit about it. So that's kind of what happens in this one. You got it. Go ahead, Tony. I see. I see. Oh, you want to work, huh? You want to work, huh? How about you work tonight? <laughs> oh, I'm not giving you enough work. Is that what it is? You fucking asshole. Here, take your heartbreaker and get in there for 45 minutes. Asshole. Hey, DJ, you got any thoughts on Valentine? Valentine's like the first guy who crosses 40 minutes, I think, in this match. And then Martel's going to bypass him later on in the match. But, uh, you know, Valentine's going to dabble with this fucking face turn here, which which makes no sense if you know anything about Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine baby face turn is probably one of the probably one of the top three most head scratching moments in the history of me watching wrestling. Like who in their right mind looked at Greg Valentine the way he works, the way he looks and said, yeah, that guy's a baby face. Like, who's this? What cocaine was snorted for that decision? Because I never saw it. I never bought into it when it happened. Um, Yeah, I got it. There was a time, a a time machine. Tony Khan went back into Vince's locker room and they got, they tied one on. And Vince, like, I tell you what, Tony, (laughs) you're telling me some of this. I'm going to turn Greg Valentine face at this event. And Tony's like, that's fucking brilliant, Vince. I'll see you in like 40 years. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's, that's amazing, actually. <laughs> that's a great timeline of events. That is <laughs> what came first. Uh, we're not sure. But anyway, Valentine eliminates Bravo. They dabble with this face turn and off we go. And Valentine's going to have a long night ahead of him that I'm sure he was thrilled about. But I mean, you know, Greg doesn't get going for 20 minutes anyway. Gorilla Monsoon used to say that all the time. So maybe it's all right. Um, Paul Roma comes in at number four. The Texas Tornado Kerry Von Erich is in at five. The model Rick Martell comes in at six and model's going to be in there for a good 52 minutes and he's going to set the longevity record. The first guy to cross 50 minutes. We'll talk about Rick as we go along. And yes, folks, this guy still not in the Hall of Fame. Riddle that one out and figure that shit out if you can, because I know the three of us are still scratching our heads like, what the fuck? We've had this discussion on this very show. Yes. And I on numerous podcasts like what the fuck, Vince? Jesus, can we get, we need to start like a petition. I mean, we really, we really need to get Rick Martell in the hall of fame. Tony's like, I'm not I'll, starting, I'll, I'm not starting any petition. Sour face. What is wrong with you? I think he should be in the hall of fame, but I don't know that I care enough to, you know, get off my ass and start a petition. Well, if you, if you start it, I'll, all right, you'll, I'll, you'll sign I'll, it. No, that sounds like a lot. Of <laughs> He'll share, at least share it on the X app. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. My signature. Fuck. I can't do that. Uh, Tony's like, what the fuck are you complain about? He got paid every time. So whether he's in the hall or not, who gives a shit? Just, it's just P C. Yeah. That's you it. Can, you can even leave the Tony <laughs> part off. Getting residuals still from that arrogance, man. Probably, yeah, yeah. I need, I, I know my wife watched him one night. I was watching, I think it was like WrestleMania eight or something. I was watching it. And when I was looking at Mar- Rick Martel, she's like, what the fuck is going on here? I was like, that's a good question, babe. Um, <laughs> um, Anyway, at number seven is Saba Simba, also known as Tony Atlas. What the Oof. fuck was this? I, I, why Ugh. couldn't he be Tony Atlas? We shave his head bald and make him completely African. Saba fucking Simba. I I got nothing. I don't even have a commentary that's, on that. That's a Vince thing. That is a, <laughs> that is a, that is, a, that is a, so we've, 
complimented Vince so much about this match and the balls to book some of the stuff he did. And then you get Saba Simba and Greg Valentine's face turn. So it kind of balances out a little bit, right? Like Jerry Seinfeld. That's true. That's why Tunney gets paid the big bucks, folks, for making these analogies and juxtapositions known to all. Thank you, Tunney. Oh, no, but did that, did that not land, the Seinfeld reference? It did. It did. Went over like a fart in church. We got we to gotta give you a little no-selling, too, Tunney. I mean, it's, it's, it's only fair. It smells in here. <laughs> um, Butch comes in at number eight. Rick Martel's going to end the Saba Simba experiment pretty early on with a great move as he hooks the top rope and launches Saba Simba right the fuck out of there, so he's gone. Jake the Snake Roberts comes in at number nine. Of course, Jake and... Uh, the model Rick Martel, they have a lot of history at this point in time with Martel having blinded Jake with the arrogance. And they're going to have that, of course, that blindfold match coming up in the second part of this chapter that we're going to talk about at WrestleMania 7. It's at this point that I made a note to myself as I noticed something. One of the referees outside the ring. Do you guys know who it is? Shane. Very good, Tony. Tony gets extra points on this one. See, he didn't See, just mail it no. in. I Yeah. Come on, I've seen these a million times. You got so much shit because I was drunk the other day. Come on, drunk <laughs> every day. I'm just not drunk yet today. <laughs> That's PC Tutty, folks. That's why he gets the big money. But yeah, Shane McMahon early, very young Shane McMahon on the outside is one of the refs. Like, oh, okay, that's fun. Hercules comes in at number ten. Tito Santana comes in at number eleven. At this point, Jake Roberts is going to duck under Roma. Paul Roma leaping at him. Roma eliminates himself, so he's gone. Um, One thing I liked, I don't want to interject for a second. One thing I liked was Tito Santana hit the ring and immediately went after Rick Martel. Like, that's great storytelling because Tito never forgot that's where this started, was with him. And I just, I thought that was a great little nuance on his part, whether they called it in the back or whether Tito just knew hitting the ring, I better go right after this guy. And the crowd popped for it. Like, you listen to the crowd reaction, they knew too. Yeah, and... and I think we talked about it the last chapter that they were supposed to have that blow off match at SummerSlam, but Rick got hurt. And so, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, Tito gets in here six months later and says, all right, time to pick up where we left off. But those guys had such great chemistry with each other and had such respect yes. for each other that, you know, in rumble matches, I don't know who choreographs this stuff, but I'm sure they're in the back. Just find somebody and start beating the shit out of them. You know? <laughs> and don't worry about it. We'll figure out the, as you go along. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, Tito gets in. Jake eliminates Paul Roma, or should I say Paul Roma eliminates himself. Number 12, making his first ever appearance in the Royal Rumble, is the dead man, The Undertaker, who immediately gets rid of Brett the Hitman Hart in a matter of poor seconds. Brett. Yeah, poor Brett. It's like, and, and it's fun because you think about the, in the upcoming chapters, many chapters later, well, not many chapters, but upcoming, the matches between Bret Hart and Undertaker are some of the best matches that, I can recall. So this is their first interaction. Taker just beats the shit out of Brett and gets rid of him. Um, Jimmy Snuka comes in at number 13. Taker's going to get his second elimination as he gets rid of Bushwhacker Butch. So he's gone. Um, British Bulldog comes in at number 14. Davy Boy Smith. I don't I think this is one of his first matches back. If I remember, he hasn't been around much since uh, the British Bulldogs actually disbanded. Number 15 is Demolition Smash. Um at this point, Rick Martel standing on the ring apron. He grabs Jake and he drags him out to eliminate him. So Martel gets an elimination of Jake the Snake Roberts, furthering that feud. Martel's been in there for a while at this point, but he's going to eliminate Jake Roberts, so he's gone. Um, number 16 is uh, 
Hawk from the Legion of Doom. So it's the first time we've seen the Road Warriors actually in action here at a, at a pay-per-view. Number 17, Mr. Dark Match himself, Shane Douglas. He's in this thing, Tony. There you go. Tony's like, thumbs up, baby. Mr. He lasts a while, too. He does. Surprisingly. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, Shawn Michaels is Mr. WrestleMania. Shane Douglas, Mr. Dark Match. I'm not sure he would appreciate <laughs> the, uh, the uh, reference. But anyway, at this point, Undertaker is going to duck under a discus punch by the Texas Tornado. He eliminates him. Hawk then is going to eliminate Jimmy Snuka. So we've got some eliminations happening. The ring is staying relatively in control at this point. Um, at number 18, somebody was supposed to come out, but they didn't. So I'm not sure exactly who this was supposed to be, but whoever it was, they never make it to the ring. So there's only, I guess there's only 29 people in this one, maybe, or maybe not. I think they explain this later on. I forget. Anyway, number 19 is Animal. He comes in. The Legion of Doom combined to double clothesline Undertaker out of the match, which is a big moment in the Royal Rumble as the Legion of Doom eliminates the Undertaker. Uh, but then Martell and Hercules combined to eliminate Hawk. So um, it made sense when you're looking at how they're positioning Undertaker at this point in time, this big menacing and he dominated the time he was in this match. He absolutely dominated the match. Nobody had an answer for him. You look at who can possibly match him. Animal and Hawk. There you go. They're big enough, fast enough. They eliminate him. But then, you know, Martell and Hercules combined to eliminate Hawk. Any thoughts at this point of the rumble before we get to like the last 10 guys? Um, I, I thought using Hawk and Animal to eliminate the Undertaker was the right move. You got to have a couple guys with enough street cred and enough believability to take a guy like this out. And I think I told you guys in the thread and I'll, or in the chat, and I'll reiterate it. I'm watching this back, and I'm watching The Undertaker, and I remember how I thought about him back then. I'm like, this guy has done nothing in this match but choke people. He's choking people. He's choking people. In 1991, I was saying to myself, this guy sucks. And in 2023, I'm sitting here saying, this guy is one of the greatest to ever do it. It's just such an interesting evolution of that character. This is very early for him where really he yes. they have not opened up the repertoire on him. And he's just very, very one dimensional dead man or you know, just plotting sort of thing. going. Um, and we're only, what, three months into this at this point between yeah. from November to January. It's barely three months. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, they're putting him over as this menacing, malevolent. Michael Myers ish force that just he's just gonna and he acts that way he just walks through everything you can't stop him um yeah you can knock him over the top rope but all he does is he lands on his feet and rolls his eyes back in his head and that's basically the extent of it so uh there you go number 20 is crush so you got the other demolition member in there 21 ho everybody's favorite two by four carrying son of a bitch hacksaw Jim Duggan number 22 is earthquake um, at this point, Animal gets too aggressive in this match. He's going to rock Earthquake with a couple of clotheslines to kind of like send him against the ropes. But when Animal rushes at him, Quake showing again, like we talked about, this guy can move for a big guy. He's deceptively quick. He ducks under, dumps Animal out of the match. So there you go. Both members of the Legion of Doom eliminated. Earthquake gets Animal out of this thing. Number 23 is Mr. Perfect. And Perfect is going to dunk, duck under a rushing hacksaw. Jim Duggan dumps him out of the match. So the first ever Royal Rumble winner does not last very long as Mr. Perfect, who I think at the last Rumble, he was the last guy in there with Hogan, right? So he gets a good he gets a good draw here. He's at number 23. Number 24, 
is the immortal one, Hulk Hogan. Comes into the match, huge pop, as we expect, and he starts to clean house. He tosses Smash out of the match. That's right. Tony's doing the whole, you know, Hulk Hogan pump up, playing to the crowd, all that stuff. Number 25 is Haku. Um, Hulk Hogan is going to be the one to eliminate Greg the Hammer Valentine, who's still in there, still being punished, (laughs) and he's still there, and he's in there for more than 45 minutes, as we talked earlier. Hulk Hogan finally ends the night for Greg the Hammer Valentine. You know, I'm sitting there thinking about this. If you're being punished, you know, if if you're trying to be punished, you last 45 minutes, and it takes the immortal Hulk Hogan to eliminate you. I'm not sure that was punishment. That almost seems like Vince putting the guy over. What do you think, Tony? Maybe he hated maybe he hated Hogan secretly and Vince knew it. He's like, God, I fucking gotta be out here for fifty minutes and that fucker Hogan, he fucking eliminates me and I hate him. Maybe maybe that's the thing. He's like, This guy couldn't wrestle his way out of a paper bag and he's gonna eliminate me after forty five minutes. Fuck you, Vince. Yeah, I got blonde hair. I'm gorgeous. I guess it all depends on the payday. If you're being paid by the minute, 45 minutes is pretty good. If you're getting paid $15,000 for five minutes or $15,000 for 45 minutes, Greg Valentine got, he got fucked that night. Yeah, yeah, he sure did. I, I think maybe it is punishment. It's just a different kind of punishment. So anyway, Hulk eliminates the hammer. 45 minutes, that's something that we haven't re- well. We haven't seen that yet. So you're seeing this happening in these rumbles as we talk about them, people lasting longer. And this is a a big one. And he's not even going to be the longest guy in the match by the time this is on over 26. Jim, the anvil, Neidhart earthquake immediately right after this eliminates Tito Santana at 27. This is fucking hell. 27 is Bushwhacker Luke. Luke marches in one end of the ring is greeted by earthquake tossed out and keeps marching right back to the back <laughs> never breaking his fucking stride it's one of the greatest eliminations in rumble history it's right there with santina morella as far as like quickest eliminations but i like luke's better because he just he never misses a beat gets tossed out just keeps on going it's like it's just completely oblivious it's fucking hilarious um uh, again are we being paid by the minute or are we being paid by the match Meanwhile, in the back, Greg Valentine going, what the fuck? <laughs> That's right. This exactly. guy got the night off, and I had to fucking dick around for 45 minutes? Fuck you guys. Fucking Luke, I've been an IC title and tag champ. I'm two-thirds of the triple crown. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, number 28 is Brian Nobbs. We talked about this earlier. He comes in because Honky Tonk Man quit. Uh, Nobbs shockingly, like Tony says, comes in and dumps Hercules out of the match. So it's like, wow, okay, uh, you're gonna fill in for Honky Talk. We're even gonna let you eliminate Hercules. Like, what the shit? But anyway, that's fine. At number 29 is the Warlord, and Hulk Hogan is gonna eliminate Crush. And <laughs> right after this, as this is going on, and we're looking at really good. This is, I'm sure uh, Greg Valentine appreciated this immensely. So Hulk eliminates Crush. Warlord is going to get in the ring. Hulk immediately clotheslines him out of the match. And you got like the two quick, two of the three quickest eliminations in Rumble history happen within three minutes of each other or something like that. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, Warlord's gone. At number 30, the last guy in the match is fucking Tugboat. Fred, I don't know what you did to get number 30, but good job. Way to go, Shockman. Um, so anyway, Tugboat comes in at 30, and here we go. Gorilla and Piper speculate that number 18 had to have been the Macho King Randy Savage because Randy was supposed to be in the match. 
but he didn't show up because they're thinking that he got run out of the building by the ultimate warrior. Now, maybe, <laughs> I mean, that certainly makes sense, but the whole mystery as to who was number 18 gorilla and Piper are going to try and solve it at the end. They think it had to be Randy Savage. He was supposed to be in the match. He wasn't warrior ran him off, you know, going back to the whole blood feud sort of thing. This makes sense. And you cost me my title. I'm going to cost you a shot at the Royal rumble. And I'm okay with it. I mean, that's as good an explanation as anything, right, guys? Yeah. Makes yeah, perfect sense only, to me. There's only 28 eliminations, so there were only 29 combatants. That's right. That's right. So we were missing one. It makes sense that it was Randy Savage. He was supposed to be in the match. He never shows up. So, uh, hey, you know what, guys? Brian Nobbs, another elimination as he eliminates Mr. Dark Match. And <laughs> Well, you know, the Nasty Boys are Hogan guys. So. That's true. That's true. And they were, I think they were in WCW up to this. And then they'd just been brought in. So Brian Knobs gets a second elimination. Tugboat nearly eliminates Hulk Hogan. And Hulk's his best buddy at this point in time. And uh, But that's not going to last much longer. Tugboat nearly eliminates Hulk. Hulk survives. And then he goes and he dumps Tugboat out of the match. So you came this close, Tugboat, but it's not enough. And Hulk gets rid of you. Um, foreshadowing the eventual heel turn of tugboat coming up very shortly. <laughs> so there you go. Um, no great surprise there. British bulldog is going to, this is good. He drop kicks Mr. Perfect off the top rope and eliminates the intercontinental champion. Perfect is the IC champion at this point in time. And it's the returning British bulldog who of course we know is going to get a pretty big push coming up here. Not too far down the line. Um, his return to WWE, he makes a big impact right away as he's allowed to eliminate the IC champion. Always loved Davey Boy, Davey Boy and he had a great dropkick. Go ahead, I thought, Tony. I, was, I always wondered why him and Hogan never tried to make money together. I, they, I don't know, man. Davey had his issues. Man. I mean, that's and not that Hulk didn't. Don't get me wrong. Hulk had his issues, too. But I that would have been a good match. Two big powerhouse guys. I mean, Davey could go. Uh, Davey he, could go. When he, yeah, was, when, he was, when he wasn't completely fucked up, Davey could go. And even when he was completely fucked up, as long as he had somebody like Brett to work with, Davey could go. So, But I, I think, yeah, that would have that been a fun match to watch. British Bulldog versus Hulk Hogan. Very good. Yeah, I, I have to look into that more. Why didn't we ever get that? It's like, why didn't we ever get Jake and Hulk? And I know there's been all sorts of podcasts about that and Jake discussing that. Um, Rick Martell, still in the match, eliminates Jim the Anvil Neidhart. The Bulldog is going to dump Haku out of the match. Then Rick Martel gets caught on the top rope by the British Bulldog, gets crushed, and then clotheslined out of the match after nearly 53 minutes. So you talk about guys getting, you know, you look at this match and like who got put over the most. Um, sure, Valentine with 45 minutes, but maybe it wasn't him getting put over as much as being punished. Rick Martel, 53 minutes, you know. For a guy not in the Hall of Fame, and I'll shut up there, um, that's still one hell of a run. British Bulldog, you look at this, I mean, think about this. He eliminates the Intercontinental Champion. He gets rid of the guy who sets the longevity record. Um, so that's pretty impressive and, and a damn good showing for the British Bulldog at this point. Uh, it doesn't last long, though, because Earthquake and Brian Nobbs are going to combine. They toss the Bulldog out of this match. This is a, he's one of the last four Bulldogs, the final four out of this thing. Yeah, that was, I was about to say that he made it to the final four, which tells you what they were thinking of him at the time. Right, right. And I mean, it would have been cool if they'd gotten a Bulldog Hogan kind of showdown here at the end, but that's not going to happen because we got to get some finality to Hogan and Earthquake. Um, after this happens, this leaves Earthquake, 
Knobs of all people and Hulk is the final three. Um, and you know, this is, this is just, I mean, this is kind of, we've talked about it before. I know on this podcast on the big four project that we never got a definitive blow off to Hulk Hogan and earthquake, but this pretty much is it. And at this point, because Hulk is going to Hulk up, he gets hit with the earthquake. He gets up, does the whole Hulk Hogan thing. Go ahead, Tony, do it. I know you want to do the whole hand of the ear thing. You that's right. That's right. He gives him the warning. He gets up, clotheslines both guys, uh, and eliminates knobs with a big boot. So this just leaves Hulk Hogan in the earthquake as the last two one. But you know, it's not enough for Hulk to Hulk up once. He's got to Hulk up fucking again after getting power slammed by Earthquake, who in this is one of these moments, Tony, we've talked about it. We'll see it in the future. Um Earthquake hits this great power slam on Hulk Hogan, inexplicably glows, goes for the pin um, in the Royal Rumble match. Now, back in the early days, you could ju- kind of justify it. At this point, that's you- just that's just reflexes, Gorilla. Yeah, I, I just I just <laughs> I had to go. I had to go for the pin. I, I, I wasn't thinking it. That's I'm sure Savage said the same thing about 93. But uh, yeah, he, he gets power slam. Earthquake goes for the pin. <laughs> um, Hulk. Kicks out, uh, kicks out of this in a Royal Rumble match. That's okay. Hulk hulks up for the second time, slams Earthquake, clotheslines him in the back of the head, and eliminates him. So Hulk Hogan is a back-to-back Royal Rumble winner. And like I said, it's a couple years before the winner of the ma- of the Rumble is de- is granted the main event at WrestleMania. But the effect here ends up being the same as Hulk Hogan will take on Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania Seven. Hulk, your first back-to-back winner. Um, pretty good Rumble match, I thought. I kind of I liked the year last year's ninety-nine or nine, the ninety Rumble match better, simply because you had that Hogan Warrior um, showdown. This didn't have any sort of iconic moment like that. Although seeing Hulk Hulk up twice, and you know, as emphatically as they were going to get without pinning John Tenta, getting the nod over him, and Hulk is finally anointed the winner of this feud and moves on to bigger and better things. Tony, I'll turn it over to you first. Your thoughts on the 1991 Royal Rumble match in general. What stuck out to you? What could you have done without that sort of thing? I think it was smart where they kind of had everything going. It, it flowed pretty well. You know, you had The Undertaker and Bret Hart early. Um, in the middle, you kind of got, you know, your your uh, your quick eliminations and, and your perfect and, and things of that nature. And then towards the end, you, you go ahead and bring the big guns in. So... I like the booking of the Rumble. Like you said, I, I don't know if it's one of the best ever, but it's definitely significant because Hogan puts a stamp on it. And basically, in having Hogan win it twice, it kind of raises the level of the Royal Rumble at the time as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and, don't, and don't get me wrong, although I think the previous year's Rumble match was better simply because of that Hogan Warrior showdown. This is a really good Royal Rumble match. I mean, it's well booked, like Tony was saying. Um, they They... They space things out. You had moments like DJ saying Tito and Martel going right at each other. Um, two guys lasting an extremely long time with uh, Hammer lasting 45 minutes, Martel lasting 50. British Bulldog with a tremendous showing. The first time you get to see The Undertaker dominating things. So while I don't like it as much as the year before, it's a damn good rumble match. DJ, your thoughts on the match as a whole, things that stuck out to you. Uh, things that you didn't like so much, any, anything like that? I uh, can't really say there was much about it I didn't like. Uh, you know, some of the silly stuff, the quick eliminations were there, and they, they served a purpose. 
I did like that a lot of the younger stars were getting some shine here, but some of the older veterans were getting their shine on as well. You you look at, you know, Shane Douglas. Obviously, they were high on Shane Douglas eventually being something. They had high aspirations for the Bulldog. Bret Hart was still from left over from last year's um, Survivor Series. That groundswell for him is still growing. He got a good reaction, and the crowd was really deflated when he was he was eliminated. So there's really fun to see, you know, WWE takes a lot of heat a lot of times for relying on legends. And a lot of people miss the nuance that Vince has always looked at the next generation of superstars. Like, okay, I've got my guys now and they're making money, but who's going to be the guy five years from now, 10 years from now. And you see those pieces start to become important in this rumble, you know, Bret Hart, the undertaker, what could have been with Shane Douglas, British Bulldog, you know, they're looking forward while still, you know, honoring the now and honoring some of the guys that were kind of transitioning into becoming the past, like a Greg Valentine or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I echo a lot of your sentiments. It's a, um, you know, I mean, it, it is it is a big moment. I think Tony hit something on the head that you're still establishing this event as as a marquee event. And this Royal Rumble, you know, I talked about earlier how it outdrew the one in uh, 90 and the one in 92. This actually, I think, outdraws WrestleMania as far as pay-per-view buys. Although WrestleMania 7, they will advertise as it goes on. This is the largest pay-per-view audience in the history of pay-per-view. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. But um, this event was a, I think you got to say, a huge success. Um, Massively controversial. And not well received by a lot of people. And Vince, mad genius that he is, really, really pushed some buttons on this one to maximum effectiveness. All right, fellas, go ahead, DJ. Sorry, man. No, I was just going to—I was just going to agree with you. You know, for and sometimes that's the case. Something that is a, I guess, for lack of a better word, critical failure because of how controversial it was, ends up being really good. And then throughout history of entertainment, you see that. Something will critically bomb, but it actually ends up in the general audience being really good. And I think that's this is one of those events. Yeah, you see that all the time with uh, movies that don't resonate at the time, and then they get cult classic followings. And and yeah. I, I wouldn't call rest, uh, Royal Rumble '91 a cult classic, but you can look back on it now, like we've done here on on, on this review, and say, man, that was really smart. Really ballsy, but very smart. And sure, it could have backfired, but it didn't. And Vince comes out looking like the mad fucking genius that he is. Whether Tony Khan was time traveling or not, maybe that's where he got his idea to bring in all these legends was from just kind of, anyway, who knows? Score time, fellas. I'm going to turn it over to DJ first. Scale of one to 10, what do you give Royal Rumble 91? Uh, I'll give it a solid seven and a half. Uh, there were some really good matches, but there was some really good storytelling and going forward into WrestleMania season. There's a lot of good stuff that they springboarded off of here. PC Tony, does this get more than three and a half from you? I, I really hope so. It does. I'm going to give you my score, but, but I, unfortunately I have to go. Um, so I'm also going to say goodbye right now before you guys wrap the show up. I'm really sorry. Um, I thought I was going to have a little more time and I don't, um, but uh, six and a half, I would give it a six and a half. It was a really solid show. I think the tag match with the Rockers, 
I I enjoyed the Warrior uh, Sarge match, and obviously that is a huge part of the show. And then the Rumble, like I thought, I thought it was put together decent. So you have other things going on there in between the Virgil turn. So yeah, just a good show overall. Um, follow me at PC Tunny. I'm sorry, Dave. I gotta go. That's all right. Tunny's got a hot date or something. It's all right. So. I gotta go. <laughs> Don't stop listening though. <laughs> we'll be back. Tunny will be back. I promise you. Tunny will be back before you know it. Thank you, Tunny. Bye, guys. Have a good one, buddy. So it's just DJ and I now to close out this segment. I gave this an eight out of ten, and I, you know, the Rockers match was tremendous. A uh, Warriors shocking defeat, and especially talking back with you guys about it and kind of reliving it and looking at this uh, carries even more gravitas than it probably did. Certainly, and I mean, in '91 was one thing, but you look back on the grand scheme of things, and like, wow, that was really unexpected and a big upset. But I love what you know, Tony kind of tying the war into this thing and did the war change Vince's mind? Did it change the trajectory of where he wanted to go? Because the war, when they announced WrestleMania seven, a year earlier, the war wasn't on the radar, but this, these events, did they change things? And did it cause Vince to say, I'm going to take a chance and go in this direction. And the only way I can do that is to have the belt on slaughter and to help Hulk dethrone him. He might be right. Um, Virgil's face turn was another big moment in this event for me. And the way they sold that Warriors interaction with Sherry was tremendous. The Royal Rumble match, again, like I said, I don't like it as much as the year before, but that's not to take anything away from it. It's a damn good match. I'm giving this an 8 out of 10. It's one of the better Rumbles that I can recall seeing. Um, they have a good run of Rumbles here for a while, and and this is just another one. But there you go, guys. That Well, it's just you, DJ. It's Guy. No more pluralism. Um, so... That is going to bring us to the end of this first part of Chapter 9 of the of the Big Four Project. We've talked about Royal Rumble 91. On the second part, after the commercial break, you will hear DJ Tunney. I'm sure he will be back, and I are going to review WrestleMania 7 and talk about everything that went on in that event. Hulk Hogan is going to make history at this point. He's going to become a first time, the first ever three-time WWF champion, and we will talk about that in the next chapter or next section before we go dj where can people check you out on the socials uh on the socials you can find me on the app formerly known as twitter at the mindless pod there is actually a mindless wrestling pod facebook page if you are and so inclined to go check that out i post on it next to never but i'm my goal in the new year is to start actively promoting my podcast on the social medias. I've been very lazy about it this year, just with personal and work and everything. Uh, beyond that, that's about it. You can hear us on the chairshot.com on Saturdays. That is the mindless wrestling podcast with me, Rob and Jason. Well, shit, if you got a Facebook page, I'm going on there and liking that thing right now. So please do. I have to send you. I don't, I don't even know if I'm, we're Facebook friends. We need to be, you need to like, we, need, my page. we definitely need to be, you Dave, need to absolutely. like my, yeah, then you can see how fucked up I really am. But uh, anyway, <laughs> All right, DJ, thank you so much for being a part of this. As always, great discussion. Look forward to coming back pretty soon here to talk about WrestleMania 7. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you for having me, Dave. Yeah, have a good one, okay? All right, man. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
This is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Big Four Project here on the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. We are back for the second part of this chapter. And of course, I've got to almost verify with one PC Tunny what fucking chapter we're on. It is I, chapter nine. nine. Chapter nine. nine. We nine. always get it. I love it. That's our gimmick. We it's like it's like it's like Odoud. It's like Odoud forgetting names on bandwagon nerds. Like, what chapter is it? Andrew Blaz has done the power rankings every week, so it just called it the segment for Andrew Blaz power rankings, right? And he picked Power Surge, the song, and so I bring him in on it, but he fails every time, and now he does it on purpose, to start talking while it's fading out. He just waits for it to fade out, and I'm like, why did I even fucking fade it out then? You know what I mean? But yeah. it's the gimmick now, and they just got to live with it. It is. It's it's like it, we are. We are steering into the skid. It is just like Mr. O'Dowd forgetting names and every episode. Um, and God knows how he's going to do after his sojourn to, uh, Disney world this coming week. But anyway, it is, we're not talking bandwagon nerds completely here. It is, I said, this is second part, chapter nine, big four project. The first part we talked about Royal Rumble 1991 and that stunning epic title change that took place. Sergeant Slaughter dethroning the ultimate warrior and off they go. And on this part of the chapter we are going to be talking wrestlemania 7 uh a big event in the history of pro wrestling i don't know we'll we'll talk as we go along i know a lot of people think this is underrated as far as wrestlemania's i don't know about that there's a lot of fucking filler here and uh yeah tony's giving it a thumbs down already um we'll talk more about that as we go along I'll just I'll say this and you can move on. I I the only thing as I went back and watched was was Warrior Macho and now I'm finishing Hogan Slaughter as we start this podcast. It's not a good pay per view. It's not. I watched it this week and uh, we're going to talk about a lot that I've probably already forgotten. <laughs> it might be the worst WrestleMania ever. Worse than two. It might be worse than nine. We're going to get to nine. Worse no, than nine. I don't know, man. Nine, In nine, terms nine. of cumulative you, matches, I may not disagree with Tom. Dave Ungar attended WrestleMania. Just Dave Ungar's <clears throat> presence That's alone. true. Me at WrestleMania 9 elevates that above 11, just barely. Um, I but, mean, plus, you know, you're out there, like, talking up Bret Hart and everything in the casino and that shit. That was. That's true. We will, we will recap that story when we get to that, because that was, it was a fun trip. I will say that, so... We heard that first on uh, the the. Uh, I should just put some of the. Well, I'll wait till Mania oh, comes out again. Mania, Mania Madness. Madness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Me and me and Shawn Michaels having a fun conversation about the women he's with, and he didn't know their names, and that's okay. <laughs> so that's that's all right. Um, before we get into WrestleMania Seven, though, as is customary here on the Big Four Project, we're going to touch base a little bit on the current product because. Like you guys were saying, I know, Tony, you recorded DWI 402 or whatever. You know, it's like 402 in the coffee maker, that sort of thing. I don't know what it is. But um, and you were saying in the pre-show before we started recording how you guys were kind of scrambling to find stuff to talk about. And then like shit happens in the next day, like today that that has got all of us conversing about stuff. So we we still hit on a bunch of stuff. You know, we and and we I just kind of. I went to one of the wrestling websites and I just started reading some of the headlines. I didn't even go into the stories. And then we just kind of talked about, it. so we hit Osprey, you know, 
Um, we we hit um, all this talking about Punk and Mickey James TNA situation and things of that nature. So I think one of my favorite headlines I read was uh, Cody Rhodes not sure if he will paint face for war games. He still has PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus he hated Stardust that much, huh? He, but if you watch a documentary, he really didn't. You know, that wasn't, you know. It was just a joke. Yeah, I funny. mean, but let, let's talk a little bit. Let's start talking AEW first off, because it's Tony's favorite topic of conversation. And it, I don't mind. Um, so Full Gear is coming up tomorrow night. As we're recording this, we're recording this on what the hell is today? November 17th? Yeah. November yeah. 17th. So we're recording this Friday afternoon. Full Gear is coming tomorrow from the forum in Los Angeles. I've decided not to go because the tickets are just fucking stupid. The prices. I'm like, there's no way I'm paying double to go to full gear as to what it opposed to what it cost me to go to no mercy. And I know damn well that no mercy will be every bit the show that full gear was. And on top of that, dealing with parking at SoFi in the forum is like, no, you know, I, I, I could, I could think of like lobotomy that might be more enjoyable. So not going to do that, but not going to really talk about full gear, but Tony Khan came out, made a big announcement, and, you know, Tony Khan is known for making big announcements that kind of go over like a wet fart in church when they're actually announced. This one, he's proclaiming that they have signed one of the greatest wrestlers in the world to a contract. It will be disclosed at full gear as to who this is, leading to all sorts of speculation. Uh, I forget the guy's name from the Matt Men podcast, Andrew with a Z something. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Maybe DJ knows. That's good enough. Um, oh, and before we get going, you've heard Tony DJ is back from the Mindless Wrestling Podcast here for this second part of Chapter Nine. DJ, before we move on, how the hell are you doing, sir? I know you got your beard all spiffified, and you're uh, ready to roll, man. Yeah, man. I was it, it was getting a little homeless looking there. Uh, figured you know I had the afternoon off and had absolutely nothing. Usually, like the last few Fridays, I've had shit going on like all afternoon. <clears throat> this after, this Friday, I'm like I don't have anything going on. My kid needs a haircut. I need the beard cleaned up. We took care of that. Uh, we're going to a big four band rock uh, rock concert tomorrow night. Tina and I are, so I'm looking forward to that. Different big four. All right, nice. See, we're keeping everything thematic here on this show. That's right. Um, so this announcement by Tony Khan has led to all sorts of speculation as to who it could be. With the prevailing opinion being that it, it, it that it's probably Will Ospreay that TK has uh, kind of scooped in, signed him to a big contract before WWE even gets a chance to talk to him, whether or not that breaches a contract, whether or not it's any sort of tampering situation, who knows? I'm not sure. I really care. Um, Other prevailing opinions. Mercedes Monet is the real popular one that it could be the artist formerly known as Sasha Banks. Finally showed up. What's that? Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks. Yeah. Uh, That's a popular opinion. There's still the CM Punk rumors. There's still the belief that Punk might be the devil. The devil. Yeah. Um, I think he was AEW fans in AEW when he posted the old WWE clip of him and the devil thing. But I, how about let me throw one out because DP and AJ unanimously thought it was it was going to be Dolph Ziggler. I thought so too, and I know Greg pointed this out, and other people have pointed it out as well that he's still within that 90 day non compete, but. I think Dolph is respected so much by WWE that if he went to Hunter and say, hey, can I can I get out of this thing so I can go back to work and I got something, Hunter would probably say, sure, that's fine. Not a problem, man. 
I believe in my heart that 100% Dolph Ziggler will be back in the WWE someday. I agree. I was getting ready to say that. I, he's one of those ones that I'm still scratching my head. And I don't, in, go ahead. I, real quick, I don't even mean in the office. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll have matches again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's one of those things. Dolph Ziggler's always been the go-to guy for them. And something's going to come along. Vince is going to be like, okay, we need somebody for this guy. Just throw in Ziggler, and somebody's going to have to tap him on the shoulder and remind him that they let go of Dolph Ziggler. He's like, well, how the hell do we get rid of, we get rid of Dolph? Get him back. So I, I believe I agree with you. I think Dolph comes back within the next twelve months. So who do you guys think is AEW's big? Is is it going to be a complete letdown, or does Tony actually have something in his back pocket that is going to be impactful? <clears throat> well, we were just talking about it in the chair shot thread, right? And I kind of didn't get. I didn't. I kind of skimmed through. I I turned my Twitter notifications off so my phone battery lasts longer because I listen to Spotify all day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in one year, yeah, either like Smart program man. music all day. So anyway, um, I what you know they talk about New Japan and everything else, but AEW and New Japan work together on some stuff. So why wouldn't instead of New Japan losing him altogether, while they still have him on you know a little bit there, why wouldn't they go ahead and put some dates in the AEW contract and then everybody's happy? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they can they could easily be working together there. So I could definitely see it being Osprey. I'm pr- pretty sure it is. Yeah, I, I would if I had to bet right now, I would say it's Osprey. I, I mean, I just don't see Mercedes committing herself to AEW for any appreciable length of time. You know, is it say a multi-year contract or no? It, it, did, it, it, didn't, it didn't say, but I mean, you know, he normally signs these people to these three-year deals, that sort of thing, and I just don't see Mercedes wanting to commit anywhere other than maybe WWE for an extended period of time. She might come in and run a match or two. I, I don't I don't think I think that's certainly plausible. The fact that she showed up in the crowd at, at all in and, you know, lends some credence to that. Uh she could certainly help a floundering women's division in AEW in a big way. But I think that division, if you look at that and say, what the hell, where does where does Mercedes fit in and all this stuff? Um Osprey on the other hand, that that's one that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. That seems more likely than Punk. Um, or <laughs> here's the other one that could just be. I mean, if people would, there'd be some level of disappointment, but it would make sense. He's just going to come I'll out and have Punk. Huh? What? I'll be disappointed if it's Punk because I want him I, to come to WWE. <laughs> here's the thing that I'm wondering is he's going to do all this stuff, make you know, build this up really big and, and have this great moment. And it's just going to be MJF coming out to say he signed some super max deal and that'll be, and then it fits in everything that the, everything that he said, it's one of the world's best wrestlers, uh, blah, 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 so forth and so on. And it's just max saying, yeah, I'm going to be here for the next few years No, Cause I don't think he is going to sign that contract. What do you think DJ? You, think, you think, you think max is heading? Sorry, Tony, you go th- ahead. He he said the only difference between what's going to make him make up his mind is money, basically, because he said, I like a lot of things that are going on in AEW, but I also like a lot of things in WWE. What's going to change my mind is the money. Don't you think the earlier you get into WWE and into that machine, the more money you're going to make in the long run? I do. But here's the thing. There is one place where WWE cannot compete with AEW, and that is with respect to Tony's willingness to overpay the shit for talent. And W Hunter won't do it. Endeavor won't do it. They just won't throw good money after bad to get somebody. This guy wants desperately to be in Hollywood. That ain't happening over in AEW. No. At least the percentage of that is way lower. So that's where you got to go there as soon as you can. 
I agree. And I think if you got before DJ, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, no, you're good. Go I ahead. think the only way if Matt, if MJF is looking at this from that standpoint, Tony, he'll make a decision like Jade Cardiel did because Tony Khan offered Jade more money than WWE did. I think that's, I think we could all assume that is pretty much accurate, but Jade saw something different, a different opportunity. She went for it. MJF could do the same thing. Yeah, Tony, that's great. The money's fantastic. That's not the issue. I want to do something different. I want to be in a bigger state. And, you know, Tony Khan talking this shit about how profitable AEW is and that, you know, the gate for uh, full gear is going to be so-and-so, but he's looking, he's thinking, oh, well, we'll get a lot more from walk-ups. I don't know what the fuck bag you're smoking, Tony, but if you go on any of the websites, even the secondary markets like SeatGeek, StubHub, there are no walk-up tickets available for full gear you've got they they're pretty much done so i don't know who he thinks is going to walk up buy a fucking ticket to sit in the nosebleeds for 70 dollars. it just and and i know you guys are with me on this thing i just don't buy the fact that they're profitable i don't see how they can be right now not with the live gates that they're drawing not with the fact that yeah they're getting extra stuff from all these pay-per-views but how much did you have to spend extra to get those extra pay-per-views? And, I, and beyond that, and then I'll turn it over to DJ to comment. If he does not get a streaming deal in place for next year, I am not. I, I've tolerated it this year just because it was the first time he's done it and there was some stuff I wanted to see. There's no fucking way I'm going to buy a AEW pay-per-view once a month for 12 months next year. Screw you, Tony. That's Get on the network. You're way behind the <laughs> curve. I'll buy the big four. AEW pay-per-views that's fine but i'm not doing all this bullshit anymore like i've is there been doing a big this four there is the original four double or nothing revolution full gear and all in all out whatever the fuck you want to call it um that's different but yeah all these other one-offs and the shit that he's doing i'm like no i'm done dj what are your thoughts on uh on aw's alleged profitability and this this pay-per-view schedule that he's got going on a um, couple things. I, there's no way in hell that company is profitable. Profitable. They released a like a <laughs> salary a proper thing leader. for the talent, um, and even the upper echelon of the talent is making somewhere in the neighborhood of like what total like twenty to thirty million cumulatively over all these guys. And I think that's probably gone down a little bit since Cody's been gone because I know he was getting paid pretty well. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I, I will. I won't pay for a WWE premium live event in 2023. I haven't paid for one since the network came out. I'm not about to pay for AEW, even if it was, I thought it was really going to be good. As far as <clears throat> the talent goes, I think they're going to look at things one of two ways. Yes, up front, Tony may pay more money. But if you look at the money over the long term, I think that may be what Jade Cargill was looking at. Like, okay, you're going to give me a bunch of money over the next two to three years, but I'm looking 10 years out. You know, WWE money and then the as you alluded to, the, the the Hollywood connection and the siphons to other projects that WWE will afford her that AEW just doesn't have in the pipeline. I think MJF is going to look at the same type of thing. I think he's going to look at that and go, okay, yeah, you may offer me, throw a number out there, $6 million a year up front for three years. But what's the back end that I could get off of WWE for merchandising, Blu-ray DVD sales down the road, um, you know, a longer term contract, a longer term career, everything like that. And then whatever I can get into, you know, funneling out of and channeling out of WWE. I think talent like that is going to look at that. That being said, he's only what, 20, what, 27? Yeah. Young, young so guy. even if he signed a three year deal with AEW, he gets done with a three year deal. He's 30 years old at the oldest. He can still go to WWE, have a respectable 10 to 15 year career. 
and still make a ton of money. So if he decides to go for the easy money early on, I wouldn't fault him for that. Let's look at it like this. Let's look at it like a guy who is leaving college early or going from high school to the pros. What if he gets injured? WWE's going nothing to do with him if he can't wrestle as part of his AEW career because he will never have been in the system. So you won't be someone they will need to do non-wrestling things. You know what I'm saying? Or the right. likelihood of that is so minuscule. You know, you can always go back to AEW if you don't like the WWF train, too. That's the thing yeah. that nobody talks about, right? Say he comes to WWE, signs four to five-year deal, right? He can still go back to AEW when he's 32. Yeah. And to that, that's why I have said for the, for the longest time, I've said Kenny Omega left wow. money on the table. Kenny Omega should have checked out WWE first done two years two years and that's it if you don't like it if you don't like the system you don't like the 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 way they do things you're still young enough you go over to aew he would already be if he hated wwe he would already be in aew today it's been three years a lot of us thought that he was going to do it recently and he didn't do it you know he could have been he could have been the backup to rock now who's the backup to rock because as much as people don't want to say punk or okada Tell me, tell me two other, tell me anybody else that makes as much sense as either one of those guys when you don't have a guy. I don't think it's Rollins. I don't think it's time no, for that yet. No, no they're not going to do Rollins at forty. That's not happening. But that's I, way too quick. I think, like, uh, like you're saying, Tony Khan, uh, he's got some faults, that's for sure. But one place he's pretty good at, as far as like, let me get out in front of this problem as quickly as I can. And he did that with the Bucks. He did that with Kenny. He didn't even let WWE get their feeler. Other than saying, yeah, we're interested. There was no conversation because he locked that shit down. And I'm sure he, you know, there, there's WWE's definitely interested in Osprey. Uh, Tony's like, I got this built-in relationship. He's been here. He knows what I'm about. Uh, you know, I've shared cocaine with him. Let me see if I can't re-sign him right now. So, <laughs> uh, no. So I don't, I don't know, man. Ring the bell. <laughs> we broke bread together. Oh, I, can, and, and, I can ding the bell. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so he may be in that direction. But I'll tell you one thing that you said that you guys have said that makes me think that MJF might bolt would be you can make, if you're trying to make a brand out of yourself, that is WWE for sure. You can't do that right. so much in AEW. Jade Cargill is looking to make a brand for herself like a Becky Lynch. Like a Charlotte Flair, like a Seth Frickin' Rollins, Roman Reigns, any number of these ones. You know, MJF is tremendous. He's a, he's a great talent. He's been an amazing champion. I fully expect him to retain tomorrow. But he doesn't have the brand behind him like these other guys do. And that's the big difference between AEW and WWE right now, amongst look other at things. Guy, look at a guy like LA Knight. Do you think anybody in AEW is close to merch sales to what he oh, was? No. Is what he was eating the frick? You're like, oh. come on, that's... That, no. You know how much added income that is? It's not even close. There's nobody in AEW comes. They're most po- I don't even know who do the most think, popular person is now. MJF, do you I'm think guessing. That, do you think that he was making as much mer- money on merch as he was for his salary What in his hot period there? LA Knight? Ooh, LA Knight? Yeah. No, he'd no, probably making more money off merch. So they're not even um, paying him that much, and he's selling that much of merch. How about that? Let, let's turn real quick to WWE before we get to WrestleMania 7. And um, a big announcement earlier today, for the first time ever, a PLE is going to be going to France. Backlash is going to be the first pay PLE, I got it right, in France. That's that's kind of cool there. And, you know, and I noticed WWE is really starting to, 
uh, stretch their international feelers. And AEW is to a certain extent as well with All In at Wembley, and they're going to go back and do that again. But, you know, you look at the last year, AEW, or excuse me, WWE did what? Clash at the Castle. Money in the Bank was in London. Backlash was in Puerto Rico. Um, They're really kind of starting to become more of an international brand. I mean, they've always been that way, but now these big events are going, and I, I think it's only a matter of time. You know, Crown Jewel always happens. That's, you know, two or three times a year. But it's probably only a matter of time before WrestleMania is in one of these overseas markets. And, you know, London, Wembley would be the one I would be looking at saying, okay, hey, Tony Khan, you want to see a big fucking crowd, a bigger crowd than you can you can draw. We're going to put WrestleMania for two nights at Wembley. And, and we didn't have to do four for one tickets. Uh, no. I see. I see more so, you know, like I'll give them. I'll give AJ first. I'll give a couple credit. I'll first. I'll give AJ for breaking that yesterday on DWI uh, that the France pay per view was was likely to happen. Um, and then I'll give Greg credit for saying that SummerSlam is likely to go to a two night pay per view, and that would be perfect for London, um, considering their past history with you know I believe it was the big match at SummerSlam um, that they the had Bulldog and, Bulldog and Brett. It's right. coming, Tony. Uh-huh. It's coming very soon on the Big Four project. Um, and uh, I I just I would. I'm all for the, the foreign events and them taking big pay-per-views out there, but I think WrestleMania should stay in the United States and Canada. I yeah, you don't have to sell me on that. I I like the idea about sending SummerSlam back to back to Wembley. There's um, a plenty of people that will fill the right places, that, and you just got to pick the right venues, and you can rotate them throughout like a ten to twelve year basis. Because look at someone like me and DP, right? Like. We're not going unless we can drive to cut down the cost and something of that nature. But if it's in Minneapolis and we're from Milwaukee, we're going to go. If it was in Nashville, we might go. There might be one in Indy, we'd go, right? So that's just kind of the way it is. You know, there's pockets of people like that everywhere. You don't have to, right? <laughs> I say give it to Canada. They deserve it more than any other place that is outside of the United States. They've had it a couple times in Canada. Yeah, they so, have. Yeah. Last thing before we head. Sorry, Tony, go Mexico. ahead. Oh, Mexico, Mexico. There you go. That would be that'd be some shit at that big stadium in Mexico City. That'd be woo. man. You talk about setting some records. Um, it wasn't going to be so fucking cold. I'd say go up to like the big house in Michigan and sell out that stadium in Ann Arbor for one hundred and twenty five thousand people because they would that's, too. Yeah, they would. But that's the wrong time of year. That's a summer <laughs> slam thing. But then you're fucking with it's actually like a money in the bank thing in yeah, like early summer. There you go. Um. Last thing before we get to WrestleMania seven, uh, we're about a week away from survivor series. There is still no shortage of CM Punk rumors. Nick Aldis has certainly fanned the flames of that by making some comments that may have been taken out of context. I've read what he said. I'm like, he's not saying anything. That's not true. <laughs> he's saying, Hey, look, the guy make, he, he moves, he makes money. He moves tickets. He sells merch. If there's a way to do it, we should do it. Not saying we're going to do it. And then, of course, now he's having to backtrack and defend himself. He didn't do really any backtracking, to be honest with you. He just made sure that the whole quote was was was, uh, you know, made available and for people to read, because what they did was they took one snippet that basically said he was advocating for CM Punk. If you if you read the entire thing of what he said, he's basically saying there's a way to do it. And, you know, it's because there's money to be made basically if you break it down. So man, I hope, I hope one rumor I heard is that with all the things going on with Mickey James and TNA, that they bring her in to be the fifth women's partner. That would be pretty badass. That would be fun. She could come out like wearing a trash bag. 
Oh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, a, a week out. I got to got to get your feeling for this. DJ, what are you feeling right now? The percentage chance that CM Punk shows up at Survivor Series? Um, <clears throat> if I'm just going with what I'm reading, I'm going to say about 75% chance he's going to be there. That's pretty good. Tony, uh, I'm going to wait for you to get back so you can play your sound bite. No, I'm here. Oh, you want it? Uh, you, I know you're going to do it, so you might as well do it, man. Uh, I wasn't going to, actually, but, but if you want Oh, he's so full of shit. It. No, I wasn't going to do it this time. <laughs> See, I don't even have it ready to go. Yeah, if he doesn't have it loaded up. See, I can't even find it. I don't know where it is. I believe oh, that. Oh, it's got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> it's deleted. <laughs> Your computer gave oh. you a CCD. <laughs> It's as simple as this. Just when they think they got the answers, I change the culture. I don't know. I don't I don't think he shows up at Survivor Series. I think he shows up at Royal Rumble. Um, I think you get Randy Orton at Survivor Series because I personally think, like, let's talk about this for one second. Like, how likely do you think The Rock is to show up and face Roman now that the actors and stri- and writers and everything is solved and everybody's going back to work? 10%. Zero. Okay, so we all agreed when I brought it up, and, and we all know that Greg said it. He said he thinks it's going to be Seth and Roman now. Who do you, who else do you have? Who else do you have? 40? Who do you do it with? Who do you do? Who do you do it? Do you Cody again now? I I still think Cody's winning that title. And I, I know you guys think he's passing <laughs> Hogan. I just don't think you're I, I i don't see the reason and it's interesting to me let me get you guys opinion on this bob backland's title reign has mysteriously been scrubbed from any mention of anything going on with wwe and he's got the second longest title reign next to bruno and i know there's controversy about him dropping it to anoki and getting it back which wasn't recognized whatever but they're not even talking about haven't talked about Backlund for like modern. I think they've gone modern era though, you know, like WrestleMania. Like and we've done it. WrestleMania. Start at WrestleMania, then that's it, you know. I mean, I think you should go probably since from the Vince McMahon era because yeah, Bruno and, and Backlund were Vince Senior. I just, Even though, well, I mean, Bob came in and won it again with Vince, but he was definitely like what three months, <laughs> definitely a senior guy, but he came back in. I I still think Cody's taking that title at, at WrestleMania. That's that's my. I don't see how you. It's a better story if Cody finally beats Seth this year, and then he finally beats Roman next year. That's he beat good. Seth three. Yeah, she he beat, beat Seth three straight. Yeah, exactly. Seth needs to beat <laughs> Cody. I not for the title. Not for the title. They still beat him in three straight matches. I mean, they do. They do have. But then you have the longevity of after Cody beats Roman. Who beats Cody? Seth finally beats Cody. Well, I'll and say just keep the story going with three guys. I will say this. If they go in the direction of Seth Cody at 40, um, that's got a built-in story. And you can really play that up well because of what DJ just said. Cody beat Seth three times. Cody beat you with a torn fucking peck in Hell in a Cell. It creates a situation where Cody says, I'm coming after the world. If Cody was to win the Rumble and shock everybody by saying, I'm going after Seth. And then you have this situation, can Seth beat Cody? Because now he's got all the doubts in his mind. I can't beat this guy. I've never beaten this guy. It has a cool story to it, but that yeah, raises a problem. Who faces Roman Reigns? If it's not Cody and it's not Seth, and yeah, we can fantasize that they're going to get Okada, which I would say there's a 5% chance that Okada makes a jump to WWE. Oh. 
It's about getting him because it don't think that he can't just jump in and challenge him. That's stupid. It's like true. he can definitely come back. He could definitely come here, win the rumble and challenge fucking Roman reigns and have enough of a storyline for between rumble and mania to make that sell big time. There's well, they would print their own the, money for that. Easy. If nothing else, we've got Randy Orton, Randy and Roman have not faced off in this modern Roman reigns incarnation. Like they wrestled years ago at SummerSlam, but Randy Orton has never faced the tribal chief. And I feel like Randy, depending on how physically fit he is, may be winding down. And if you're going to collect the money on that match, it's going to be sooner than later. I still kind of feel like, and here's just my opinion, my theory on that's, this. That's the most logical thing, DJ. I agree with you. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering with Flair jumping to AEW, whether they don't try and get Cena to break the record somehow. And Cena's been on this big losing streak. And, you know, maybe he does something to earn a shot against Seth for the world championship. I think the only thing Cena has left is his retirement match. What he just did was the last time he came back for an extended period of time. And it was by the grace of God because there was a strike. That guy is in Hollywood and he'll do everything he can to come back and say hi and, and, and greet and host something or do whatever or, or, or have a guest spot or, or, you know, make a wish and everything else. Yeah, He's a Hollywood guy now. That dude had a private conversation with Dwayne and said, you know what? Now I get it. He get, he got, he got, he got his one last run, like guaranteed even now after what he just did, like, dude, we love the shit out of one of the fucking slowest periods in fucking wrestling right after SummerSlam. And he fucking gave us a whole ton of great stuff. And I really think it's just his last run is, is left and it's not much. It's a build up to a retirement match. Which is great. Does he break the record on that match? That would be. Uh, I mean, he's not beating Roman, but I could <clears> see. I could see Seth doing the job to put Cena over for the record breaker, right? Couldn't you? Yeah, yeah possibly. Do you count that amongst the record though? Because the lineage is That's tied up in what is the universal, undisputed universal. No, I, I think because how many? Because John's been WWE champion. He's been World Heavyweight champion. Those all counted. So, I guess they cumulatively the, count when all it was those because he had the big, big gold, gold at one yeah. point. Thir- 13 to 4, right? 13 and 4 something or 13 like and 3 or something like that. Yeah. He, is the most, he has had the WWF title more than WWE title more than anybody ever. Yeah. That's what all that. And, and I'm sorry, Rick. <clears> that, all well, really that begs the question. And, and I'll throw this to you guys real quick. Uh, Dave, I'll go with you first. Do they let John Cena retire as champion? They let Edge do it when Edge went away the first time. Well, they I let Edge retire do they let john cena retire as champ i did they let yeah did they have a choice with edge i don't think that that's accurate no, they didn't have a choice with edge he he got the, well, he got no, the diagnosis and um i think they would i think that if if cena was to win the for the 17th time and he just and he just says like tony saying i've done it i broke the record i'm very proud of myself it's a great moment blah 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 but i'm not going to be here full time i relinquish the title and then you get a tournament that gets resolved at Jam in the Sand 13 or whatever the fuck it is. It has to be the World Heavyweight Championship. Absolutely. because It's not going to be Roman's title. Add, well, no, just add his name to that lineage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if okay. Seth, Seth holds it and John's the one who like ends it. that run, I don't, that would happens. be cool. But you'd have to tell a good story. John's got to get on a winning streak, like win, eliminate. But he, he, he hasn't he, won a singles I, match, so who knows? Anyway, all no, right. You could just call him out. You could have Seth just call him out. That's I don't true. have any more opponents. I've beaten everybody. You're the goat. I want to be the goat. I mean, they've got history. You know, Seth and Roman, or Seth and uh, 
and uh, and Cena from that match at SummerSlam years ago with both titles. Seth broke his nose. Seth broke it. Yeah, there. Okay, there you go. There's okay. Where there's smoke, there's fire, and where there's the Big Four project, there is WrestleMania Seven. Yes, Tony, it is time. That was great. Is that your Tony Khan <laughs> imitation, or is that just Vince getting warmed up for WrestleMania Seven? That was Vince getting warmed up for WrestleMania Seven that is, and inspiring a very young Tony Khan. That he, you know what? Yeah, Tony can stop, talk all the shit he wants. Vince was a major influence on him, obviously. But um, yeah, man, that is that is a hell of an intro. That's like the first time that they did that WrestleMania music, isn't it? Was Seven was the first time they got that new nine? I think. Yeah. 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 Um, Man, yeah, that 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 brings back some memories, man. And and just hearing Sar World Wrestling Federation champion Sergeant Slaughter, like what? That's right, kids. That's what it was. And you heard that last episode, last part of this chapter. Sarge was a champion. Here we are, several months later, after Sarge torments uh torments Hulk Hogan, uh, and, and you know with the all American shit including stuff like burning the American flag, you know, and all this other shit that Slaughter did. And Hulk Hogan shirt. What's that? He burnt the Hogan shirt. Oh, he burnt, yeah, that's right. He burnt, burnt the Hulk Hogan shirt. Um, so, yeah, they, they played into this perfectly with the whole, and it's the only thing that made sense. Warrior, despite coming out with the red, white, and blue face paint in the trunks at Royal Rumble 91, certainly not the symbol of Americana, quite like the Hulkster was. So that made sense. Meanwhile, yeah, the Savage and ultimate warrior situation gets progressively worse uh they get progressively more into it with each other leading to clearly by far and away the best match on this card which is the retirement match career-ending match between randy macho man macho king savage and the ultimate warrior both guys careers on the line we will get in that in a little bit but the wrong guy won (laughs) possibly but we'll talk about that um Date of this, March 24th, 1991, the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. We've talked about this numerous times, about why they moved this event from the L.A. Memorial Coliseum to the sports arena. And there's still, in my research leading up to this, still controversy, still conflicting reports as to what was going on. The one that Sergeant Slaughter will tell you is that Vince went to him and said, look, we can't do you and Hulk at the Coliseum. They want me to provide security at the Coliseum. It will cost me between four to five million dollars. I can't do that, Sarge. We're going to move this to the sports arena. I'm sorry. Um, maybe the, how much? How much? Is, what's it? What can they hold at the Coliseum? Hundred thousand at least. I think like the Super Bowl I was at was Super Bowl seventeen. There was a hundred and three thousand. So you figure so that was for a football get, game. Like, so they could have done one ten. Do you think they would have tried to do that? I think they would have probably tried to do like around 50 to 60 though. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think they would have gone, they would have gone for the full Monty. That's, that was, that was what their plan was. But here's the other story is that ticket sales were very slow 
so slow for the to the extent that Vince said, "This is why I have to switch it to the sports arena because we can only get how many how many was yeah. in attendance at this one, Tony? Fifteen thousand, and just watching the last match back, there's some open seats. <gasps> Shit, you could have gone there. Anybody got a time machine? Uh, I hey. As 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 lame as this card was, if I had a time machine and they said you can go back to WrestleMania Seven, I'm there and I'm taking you guys with me. I say, yeah, I want to be here for this shit. Uh, Absolutely. God damn it. <laughs> you're going, Tony, and you're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> damn it. You're going to have beer. Do they have beer? Two, back two for one beers. Yeah, two for one. Four <laughs> for one. Four for one. Four for one beers. He made you do it. Can I can I be the age I am now, or do I have to be the age I was back oh, then? We'll go. We'll go the age we are now. And people will be oh, like, okay. people will be like who right. are these old fucking guys here, man? <laughs> and then we'll just start predicting match outcomes. I tell you, I guarantee you this is what's going to happen in this match. This and- night one will be like, <laughs> I've been watching wrestling for six years. Screw you. Is this night Is this night one of this event? They'll be like, night one? What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> give, it, give it 30 years. Yeah, but. Uh, it- Your kids aren't ready for that. But your no, kids are going to love it. That's right. So yeah. who knows what the truth is? I I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the idea of the LA Memorial Coliseum saying, Vince, you've got to provide your, your own security detail for this thing. Doesn't seem quite right. In the, especially Does, at this point in time when the war was pretty much over. Doesn't it seem like a rumor that was started to cover up the fact that they had slow ticket sales and they had to move it to a smaller arena? Yes, I agree. Okay. Then let's go with that. But you know, there's there's rumors that there were bomb threats, threats on Sarge's life. I that that stuff I can buy into some of that, but I don't know, man. You know, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody that was. Oh, I think it was. um, Who's the uh, Red Sox guy that had the Buckner, right? That had the ball go between his legs. Yeah, Bill Bill Buckner. He got death threats and all that other shit, right? And he's like, you know what? I never worried about the people I got letters and calls from. I was always worried about the ones I never did. Yeah. <laughs> the people who tell you they're going to be coming for you. You don't worry Usually about them. Just steam. Right. Exactly. So in any case, no one really knows for sure. The reasons why it got moved from the Coliseum to the sports arena could be security concerns, could be ticket sales. I tend to think it's the ticket sales because, you know, the thing is at the Coliseum, they had like the Ram, not the Rams, the Raiders were playing there. They rarely drew anybody, even when they played like the Dallas Cowboys. You were lucky to get 60, 70,000 people in that Coliseum. The only time or the only time I ever saw the Coliseum got sold out. And I'm and I, I need to retract. I was not at the Coliseum for a Super Bowl. That was the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, maybe you're right, Tony. Maybe it would have been maybe 100,000, 102,000, something like that. Uh, it didn't have the same capacity at the Rose Bowl. I thought was, well, I'm going to look it up. I thought it was 90. We also we're about a year away year and a half, maybe two years tops away from wrestling in general, hitting a lull Yes, in popularity. And and I really think that the wave is crested and we're on the downswing. Absolutely. People have gotten a little burnout. On Hogan. I know I was at this point, I was still rooting for Hogan because he was the good guy. And, you know, I bought into the whole story, but being, this is what 90, 91 at this point, 91. Yeah. This is 91. I'm uh, getting ready to graduate high school. I'm 17 years old. Um, I'm almost too for too cool for school. So all those kids that grew up on Hulkamania are mine and yours age. And like I said, the wave is crested at this point. We're heading down. So it, it likely, you know, ticket sales was probably the the reason. Yeah, so I could see pre, that. So pre 2018, 
Um, 77.5 for a football game and 93.6 for a concert or something of the WWE's nature. So they're nature. probably looking for 93, 94,000, which isn't going to happen at the Coliseum. But they kept advertising over 100,000 screaming fans. Uh, maybe not. Not so much. Now, had they done like modern stuff where they announced Hogan Warrior in advance, then possibly. But that flames out. Nothing happens. And here we are at the LA Memorial Sports Arena, the same place for WrestleMania 2, one of the three nights or three, not three nights, three venues for WrestleMania 2 was at the sports arena. So the event gets going with Willie Nelson singing America the Beautiful. I mean, that was, that's a highlight. He's a little high. I'm a little high. Uh, but, you know. Man, was he gimmicked out too. He had the shirt and the hat and the belt. It was awesome. Yeah, he, uh, man, man. I did not mind that. I mean, as as far as like, you know, when you compare some of the people who've performed at WrestleMania, such as uh, Mean Gene, and uh, I don't know who else has sung some <laughs> shitty songs there at this event. Willie Nelson, definitely a step up in talent. Um, this is it. This is the first WrestleMania without Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse, the body Ventura on commentary. Well, Willie's appropriate for a California crowd as well. I would say they were all high. Uh, so they could all relate. I mean, it's California. I'm not judging. I'm not. I mean, they're, they're, my, they're my people. Different, completely different J word. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh Gorilla Monsoon is still a part of this WrestleMania. Jesse's not. And it's a rotating number of co-hosts for much of the show. Uh, Gosh. Beginning... This doesn't help, by the way. This no, doesn't help at all. There's no continuity. No, it does not. It was there's very no continuity, and that is not good for anything like this. Especially, it starts off with Hacksaw Jim Duggan dressed up like Uncle Sam. I mean, you know, death, taxes, Hacksaw, hitting people with a two-by-four, and now he's dressed up like a, at least the only good thing is he's not involved in this. So nobody's going to get hit with a uh, deadly object. Right. So he's horrible on fucking commentary. Let's just say it. Uh, he was terrible. He's bad. It's like I was like, this isn't really what's happening here, is it? It kind of <laughs> is. Why am, I, why am I getting punished? Because he rode in a car with the Iron Sheik. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, I'm glad he didn't spend the whole night out there. He came out, he did the hype job at the very beginning, and then that was pretty much it for Hacksaw for the night. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's get into this first match, uh, which right. actually is a pretty good opener, I thought, as far as... Hold on. As, oh, sorry, Tony. Hold on. Go ahead. Come on, no. You got to get the stats. You gotta, no, you got to ask me something before we get into the first match that wasn't the first match. Oh, was Shane Douglas on the dark match? I'm just wondering. No! It was Coco Beachwear versus the Brooklyn Brawler, yes, baby. Yes, baby. Six so, minutes of heaven. Coco Beachwear relegated to the uh, dark match. Now it's uh, now your jobbing is complete. There you go. So uh, uh, the buy rate was two point eight. So I'm guessing two point eight million they, buys on. Pay- didn't they? They advertised. I mean, during this broadcast, Gorilla Monsoon will say that this is the largest pay per view audience in the history of pay per view. Maybe. At, in 1991, maybe that's true because we're still talking a fledgling industry at this point in time. So perhaps. Yeah. Um, but like Tony said, roughly 15,000 people in attendance, some empty seats here and there. Uh, I tell you, though, they really the, the set and the way everything looked was done really well. I like the red, white and blue and all the, you know, the kind of the bicentennial sort of thing going on, the theme of that. So they played up into the whole Americana theme of this immaculately so you got to give vince credit for that that you know he's adjusting on the fly he's making she's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit and just you know doing whatever he can to make this event excellent yes it's going to fail largely but he's trying and 
I like this first match, though. I will say that. The Rockers versus Haku and Barbarian. Bobby Heenan's there. I thought it was a pretty good uh, opening match. Hot Tag has worked really well in this match. The Rockers are able to knock the Barbarian out of the ring. Marty Jannetty is then going to hit Haku with a nice missile drop kick. Sean then is going to uh, hit a flying body press. And I forget who he hits this on. Probably Haku. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, no, but I think it's barbarian. was it barbarian? I think so. Okay. Anyway, Shawn Michaels gets the decisive uh, flying body press. The Rockers get a pretty big win. Um, we're nearing the end of the Rockers run as a as a team. This is actually going to be Marty Jannetty. I think it's his last WrestleMania match. Marty's going to be around for a while, but Marty's demons start to catch up with him at around this time. Party party Jannetty. He posted on social media like a couple weeks ago. He's like, I just had a sex with a rabbit. It wasn't that bad. Now he's, he's gonna a have fucking his, weird dude, Now he's going to have his foot amputated. But I, I mean, Marty's going to. Marty's Chris gonna, Platt is the Marty Gennetti uh, expert. He actually partied with Gennetti. That's why. That's where he got the name Party Gennetti from our friend, Mr. Platt. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it doesn't surprise me that this was the end of the line for Marty as far as WrestleMania. Because you and you and you see it in this match in, in this match. Marty does some stuff, but he's not Sean. And Sean's the star of this match. Sean gets a decisive fall. And we talked about it. I think it was the last chapter when we did. Um, we were talking about the end of Survivor Series 90, where it was just down to Sean and Jake the Snake Roberts at the end of that one match and how Sean did so well in that moment. And you got to see this dividing, this separation starting to come into fruition. You're like, Sean's here. Marty's way the hell down here. Um this is more of the same. Sean's the star here. You can see it. It's a big win for the Rockers, kind of on their way out. Um, and it just kind of says, well, yeah, we're done with the Barbarian Haku experiment. I'll say this, and DJ can take over because I'll be just real brief. In the fact of what you're saying, Dave, I think the best way to sum it up, uh, Sean Michaels and Marty Chinetti, is the difference. You can't ignore it anymore. Uh, yeah, I agree with Tony. And I think I should use these exact words last half of the chapter or in the last chapter, Shawn Michaels has been like on a several month job interview because Vince wants to see what he's got outside of the rockers. And he by far, by far and large lapped Marty Jannetty at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see it in this match and, and we're going to see it's not that much farther down the line before we get one of the most iconic moments in WWE history and the ending of this uh, relationship between the Rockers is coming pretty soon. We'll talk more about that as we go down the line. But the Rockers get a pretty big victory here at, to kick off the televised part of WrestleMania, not Coco Beachwear and the Brooklyn Brawler. Who won that match, by the way, Tony? The Coco Beachwear defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. Okay. So he's... I think it was like uh, threw sand in his face, and then he, like a crab bit his toe, and then, yeah, he submitted. He hit him with a bucket. Hit him with a noodle. There you go. <laughs> That's for po- why would there be a bucket or a noodle? That's preposterous. Oh, making buckets for sandcastles, Tony. Haven't you ever been? No, you're in Milwaukee. You don't do the beach. Yeah, I'm fuck so it. selling yours. That's the way. It, that's the comedy, DM. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get on. Mean Gene uh, does a segment with Regis Philbin, Marla Maples, who's fucking Donald <laughs> Trump at Donald Trump at this point in time, and oh, Alex Trebek. Is this that last WrestleMania he's ringside for? I he is ringside for this, isn't he, Donald Trump? Yeah, other than the one where, right the other middle. than the Battle of the Billionaires, the time, right? For the, for the big matches, yeah. But I don't think he's is he at eight? Where is Ada again? I eight's, forgot. Eight's in Indianapolis. 
he's not there for no so yeah this is it uh but yeah i mean mean gene regis philbin hall of famer marla maples definitely not <laughs> alex trebek should be god love him it's uh, crazy get vince at this time and regis in a room right and you'd think they're both going nuts on the fucking powder but regis is just regis hey vince is going nuts over here <laughs> Kathy Lee, get a look at this guy. He's bonkers. Yeah, he's fucking crazy. What the fuck is going on? Anyway, uh, you know, it's 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 hey, it's WrestleMania. It's time to get a little bit wild. Hey, you know, I don't know. Donald Trump's there, Marla Maples. What could go wrong or right? Anyway, DJ doesn't care. I don't care. I fast forwarded through that segment. <laughs> uh, at this point, Bobby Heenan jo- joins Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. Hacksaw thankfully leaves, and the commentary picks up significantly from this point. You know, I, and I, I and you know, for all the faults of uh, the, the continuity here, um, Heenan and Gorilla together are tremendous. Always have been. Always will be. So much chemistry. So much love between these two guys, and they play up this hatred for each other so well. That you kind of almost believe it, but when you know what's going on behind the scenes, it makes it even better that these two best friends for life. Um, go ahead, Tony. It's amazing. These guys, like if they had longevity and a consistency over a period of time, they might be the best ever. Um, mine, mine is, oh, mine is, it's for me, I was a teenager during the Attitude Era, um, so it's always going to be JR and King, but yeah, I mean. It, gorilla it's a credit to gorilla really and it doesn't get talked about it that much because gorilla with jesse or bobby is basically a together kind of thing almost and it's like that is a such a gorilla was so good i'm sorry he was and like the night that he fires bobby the brain heenan you know just kind of like throwing all of his belongings out there and them selling that um if jr if jr made austin then vince and gorilla made hogan yeah and it, it, to to make a really bad pun, Gorilla was the glue that kind of held some stuff together at the time. Oh my God, it's so fucking good! I gorilla, love it. That gorilla glue. There you go. You are awesome, DJ. You're welcome, that gentlemen. Is, You're welcome. Fucking that was, DJ. That was free. That was free for you guys I, listening at home. Dave, Dave, I've loved DJ since day one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I still remember the night the night that Gorilla passed away, and then Bobby trying barely holding it together on Nitro. Um, oh God! And yeah, that was that was just <sighs> heartbreaking. But uh, anyway, so these guys are on commentary for the first time ever at a WrestleMania. Things get much better from a commentary standpoint. Match standpoint, not so much. We've got Dino Bravo. He's still he's still doing his thing. He's still alive and he's still kicking. He hasn't been gunned still down for smuggling cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah, hasn't, still hasn't, selling cigarettes. He's still selling camels unfiltered up in fucking Canada. <laughs> still all good, but I feel like it won't be soon. God damn it. What is it? There's some problems with us. We've got some issues, guys. Any, yeah. Anyhow, but um, Dino Bravo's there with Jimmy Hart. He takes on the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. This is certainly not much of a match. Uh, Von Erich's going to kick out of Bravo's patented side suplex. The tornado catches Bravo going off the second rope, gets him in the iron claw hold, clobbers him with the spinning tornado punch, and the Texas tornado gets a victory at WrestleMania, which I'm pretty sure is the only one he's ever going to get. Uh, cool. I, I like, hey, man, not much of a match, but seeing Kerry Von Erich get a win at WrestleMania, I'm not going to complain about that. This was like, how long did this last, honey? Four minutes? Four and a half? Um, if you... Bring the time down a little bit. There's a famous band that would represent this time. Oh, 311. 311. 
uh, the Brockers uh, uh, and Heenan family Aku and Barbarian match was was ten forty one. Yeah, I felt like that was a long match, and it was a good showcase for those guys. That was a good match. That was <clears> it was this top one was three on the show. Everything else sucked. This one was thankfully not so long, and that's okay. Uh, DJ, your thoughts? You got any thoughts on this other than Kerry Von Erich getting I, a win? I popped for Kerry Von Erich getting a win. I never cared either way about Dino Bravo. Um, he just never. You know how heels win you over, and you're supposed to hate them. I didn't care. I, I I don't know why they invested as many years in him as they did. Well, you care now, now that he got gunned down for selling Paul Malls or Virginia Slims or whatever the fuck. Why well, you got to make me the heel in this situation? I didn't do it. <laughs> the first first cigarettes I smoked was Paul Malls. Oh, shit. So, <laughs> At least they weren't Virginia Slims. You come a long way, Tony. Uh, Tony, <laughs> you got you got any thoughts on this match, PC? Five bucks a pack, twenty five years ago. There you go. Um, for all you smokers, you'll be like, damn. Wish they were still five bucks back. No, I don't have any thoughts on this match. You can continue. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> I uh, gave you the so the, the time. That's we're gonna be men of few words on this on this uh, premium live event. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's gonna there's so much to talk about though in two spots. It's a three and a half hour event. <laughs> well, that's Vince's problem. They packed mm. a lot of shit in here. Um, we get the warlord with slick versus the British bulldog with. Winston, the actual British Bulldog, or it's not Matilda anymore. Now it's Winston, who I guess is related to Matilda in some way. It's interesting to me that we're going to see a lot, not just like the, a one-on-one match. We're going to see a lot of the Warlord versus the British Bulldog over the next year. They're constantly <clears throat> intertwined with each other. I've noticed on like these other pay-per-views I'm watching, it's like, these guys again? Not one-on-one, but like Survivor Series matches, you know, meeting up in the Royal Rumble, shit like that. So this is kind of the first one, the Battle of the Power Slams. I think that's how they build it. Um, this is actually, though, a pretty decent back-and-forth match as far as these two guys are concerned. Um, Davy Boy is going to... This was cool. When Davy Boy breaks the Warlord's full Nelson attempt, reverses a Power Slam attempt by the Warlord, hits his own running Power Slam, and the British Bulldog gets a big win here at WrestleMania 7 um, in his kind of his return. Wasn't this like his first match back or something like that? Um, I don't remember him being in the, was he in the rumble? He was in the rumble. He was in the rumble. You're right. Pretty sure he was in the rumble. Right. Cause we talked about that last uh, half. And you know, you talk about, and, and we're about what, about a year, a little over a year away from the British, the biggest moment without question of the British Bulldogs career coming up at, at, at Wembley stadium, SummerSlam 92. Um, this is cool. Cool. Because you get to see, Another one of these tag team guys breaking free of that of that shadow where he was, where he was only looked at as one of the best tag. I mean, British Bulldogs, one of the best tag teams of all time. Um, and here you get to see what he can do in this in this one on one match. You know, we've talked about guys who can. You know, DJ, you've talked about it before in the past. A guy like the Warlord needs somebody who can bump really well for him. Davy Boy was that guy in this match, and. It, you know, you look at the say, well, this shouldn't work. The, you know, Davy Boy is really talented. Warlord, not so much. This was one of the better matches on the uh, on the card, I thought, as far as like looking at it like this shouldn't work. But I kind of feel like it did with these guys. Tony, I'll go to you first to see if you've got any thoughts about this one. What do you think of it? How long yeah. did this one last? This one went a little bit of a time. Uh, 815 okay. um slick was slick was really good on the outside in this match. It was it was it was entertaining. Um, there were. There were two matches that were entertaining, and there were four matches that were good. I'll put it that way. All right, I'll take back what I said about the three solid matches. This match was one of the entertaining matches that was solid. Um, it's interesting because I thought even you, you could have given it 
more time, honestly, and it could have been better. Um, but that's not where they were at. But yeah, it's, I love British Bulldog, man. That guy, he just he oozes charisma. He really does. You just can you can feel his character and and what he's doing, even though he's all power moves. You can still get behind it. Yeah, I agree. British Bulldog was always one of my one of my favorites during this time frame. DJ, what are your what are your thoughts on this match? I I agree with Tony. Very entertaining match. Maybe could have gone longer, but uh, for these two guys, and especially this may be honestly this may be the Warlord's best match in his entire WWE career right here. One hundred percent agree with you, Davy Boy. You know, if anybody was going at this point in history, if anybody was going to drag a good match out of the Warlord, Davy Boy was it. Again, he bumped for him. Warlord, you know, to his credit, went out there and had the match of his career. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was, you know, I enjoyed these big hoss fights, these big boys going at it and, you know, really hitting each other. And and we got a lot of that in this. I agree with you. We probably could have gotten another minute or two. And I think they could have, you know, made more magic out of it. Uh, I, I enjoyed the finish. Davy Boy hoisting up that big hoss over his shoulder and then like just... He didn't even, like, grip him. He, like, let go of his grip, stood there for a second with this dude just dangling across this massive shoulder that he's got. And then he drills him down for the power slam. Absolutely incredible. Um, Davy Boy was a guy who you can definitely tell at this point in his career, Vince has earmarked for much bigger things. Um, But unfortunately, Bret Hart became what he became. Davy's demons eventually would, you know, kind of get him. And I think that may have been, you know... Very instrumental in his downfall, obviously. But yeah, you can tell at this point in history, Vince has has him eyeing for bigger bigger things. Yeah, Bret Hart versus British Bulldog. That might be watch along worthy. We'll have to think about that when we get. Please, please, let's watch. That. Okay, there you go. DJ's nominated that. Put it down, Tony. Mark it down. We will be doing a watch along unless we do something else in the meantime. But that is the next one for sure scheduled. British Bulldog. Uh, Brett, the Hitman Hart Wembley Stadium. It's um, what got to be top five best SummerSlam matches of all time, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, it's 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 up there. It's a tremendous one. Uh, it is it is the greatest moment in Davy Boy's career. Uh, you got to say, and and let's be honest, Brett has a lot to do with that. But we will get to that when we get to that. Uh, at this point, then we get the Nasty Boys with Jimmy Hart taking on the Hart Foundation for the WWF Tag Team Championships. DJ already not happy with this match. I don't know if he hated the match or hated the outcome or both. Yes and yes. I got gotcha. you. This is my favorite match. Oh, fuck. It's, okay, so let me say this, and then I'll turn it over to DJ first. I thought it's a good match, but it's not a great match. It's like our description of Marvel movies lately. It's good, but not great. Um, a minus. But there is that part notwithstanding. What is excellent about this match is the tag team psychology and the way that they lay this match out and the things that they do. And it is brilliant tag team psychology. Um, They work the hot tag excellently again. And this is by two, you know, two of the best in Jim, the Anvil Nightheart and Brett, the Hitman Hart in their last match as the Hart Foundation, as we know it. And this is the end of Nightheart's run with Brett for, I guess, until the attitude era and you know that's way down the line but they work the hot tag these are two of the best guys in the industry as far as doing this whole thing um the foundation the heart foundation they haven't won they have the match one knobs gets hit with the heart attack this thing is over but as the ref is trying to get brett out of the ring sags is going to crush the anvil in the head with jimmy's motorcycle helmet knobs then drapes and then i i do like the pin here because there's 
there's nothing to it, but it, it's like this guy's wiped out. There's been a cheap shot. All Knobs does is drape an arm over the anvil, and we have brand new WWF Tag Team Champions, the Nasty Boys. That's right. The Nasty Boys are the WWF Tag Team Champions. This is the end of the Hart Foundation as we know it. Brett's tremendous run as a singles competitor begins shortly after this match, and in the next chapter, we will see it get kicked off in epic fashion. There's another potentially watch long worthy match is him versus perfect at SummerSlam 91. Um, but it's the end of the line for the Hart Foundation. Uh, they, you know, Vince saw something, wanted to give him another run with the title. I don't know if Vince maybe thought, hey, look, we've got teams like the Legion of Doom are coming in. Demolition is phasing out. Let's do something transitional to help establish these teams a little bit more. Hart Foundation, I can rely on you guys. Brett, your time will come soon enough. Um, but here you got the Nasty Boys with a unscrupulous victory. Nefarious means, as Mr. Platt would say. Um, but I lo- I did love the psychology of this match. I love the end of this match. I love Nobbs just draping an arm over the anvil. One, two, three, new champions. That was really well done. Definitely issues with the match. DJ, you hated all aspects of it. I will turn it over to you first. Okay, I gave it a double thumbs down for the match and for the finish, but I got to preface what I'm about to say with the Hart Foundation and everyone else as far as tag teams for me at this point in my life. The Hart Foundation was was the apex tag team for me. So watching them lose like this was the shits back then, and it was the shits the other day when I watched it again. Um, so that, that feeling came back, that that want to puke in my mouth that the nasty boys beat my favorite team in the entire world so this is, uh, this is the way they did. This is personal DJ. It was personal as a match. I agree with everything you said. The psychology was great. The finish was great. The way the nasty boys won was really, really good. Um, the storytelling on board was, was really good, but the match performance was okay. You know, and then, then of course, you know, the finish, I, I probably inject a little bit of personal bias into my my my, uh, my opinion on that match. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's all right, brother. It's all right, brother. You're entitled to your opinion. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. From a personal standpoint, it sucks when your favorites lose, especially like this, um, and it, it bothers you. But, hey, if it makes you feel better. Legion of Doom is going to get a, a pound of flesh and a payback in a few months. So we will we will talk about that in the next chapter. Tony, you said this was your favorite match of the night out of the entire card. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Do definitely. tell. Do this, tell. It's just a fun. It's a fun match. This is this is makes the nasty boys too, right? I mean, like they're a tag team that is so underrated because they're not very talented guys, but they go out there and they get under people's skin. They can move for bigger guys, right? They got the power moves. And I just think they got a really good gimmick for a heel tag team. This is the Hogan gets over pay-per-view because Nobbs is a Hogan guy. Yeah. Uh, big time. Like, really big time. Like, they're good friends and shit. So, quick, quick question. Is there any greater tandem tag team move than the pit stop itself? I mean... There is about, no greater tag team move than the pit stop. In all honesty, think about the Nasty Boys and what they accomplished. Are they not one of the most underrated tag teams of all time? No disagreement. I would agree with you. Yeah, they're very they're very underrated. They were tremendous heels. They lived that nasty gimmick. I mean, rubbing just somebody's face in your armpit, dude, it doesn't get nastier than that. Incredible. And I, I met these guys. I, I met both of them. I got a picture downstairs. If you guys ever make it out here, it's me with uh, the nasty boys at uh, 
It was WrestleMania 32 when we went down there and, and Gator and I paid our way to the front to get to see Ric Flair. And along the way, there's Brian Cage and there's the Nasty Boys. These guys were super cool. They were, I mean, Knobs and Sags were just super cool guys. Um, I agree with you. They're horribly underrated. And it's easy to forget that they were tag team champions because of all the stuff that's happening during this time frame. But this is, this is the high, this right here, this is the high water mark of their career. No doubt about it. No question about it. Winning they, here. They, yeah. They're multiple time champs in WCW. Yeah. WCW. In WCW. I okay. still, I still would say none of those. You add them all together. Don't no, 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 no. Match. But I'm just saying to add to their add to it. You know what I'm saying? So the legitimacy. Yeah. But technically under the WWE umbrella, they're multiple time champions because they absorb all the WCW records. That's true. You know, that is, that is very true. Um, and I love them, actually. Yeah, they're they're an excellent team. Uh, very, I agree with you, Tony. One of the most underrated, if not the most underrated, tag teams in WWE history at this point. Um, from here, we get one of the most unique matches in WrestleMania history. Everybody's drinking beer. I should be drinking, but it's still a little early. You got to run the show. This is your show. You got to run. Got to run. Tony and I can drink. Rick the Model Martell taking on Jake the Snake Roberts in a blindfold mm. match. Um, mm. <laughs> is like, uh, look, this match sucked, but it was so fucking fun. It, it yes. is. It is. It is not. It look. It is not I much. It is, I don't even qualify it like as putting it on the radar. No, no. <laughs> it's no, just. No. It, it's it, different. It's something you, different. It is. It is not. There's. It's not a match per se. It's more like oh. Marco Marco Polo in front of 15,000 people with bags over your heads because, you know, I think it's a skit. It is. And they do look God love and all the credit in the world to Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick Martell for this match because they do a phenomenal job at working this blindfold angle. You know, they can see each other. I'm pretty sure they can. Um, but there are moments, you know, it, it, it's like. The way that they play this thing with Jake pointing to Rick and the crowd getting him, you know, cheering louder if he's pointing in the right direction. And then these guys fumbling around for the first, like, how long did this match go, Tony? About 10 minutes? Uh, this one right here was 8, 8.34. Okay. So for at least the first four minutes, they're just fumbling around trying to find each other. They can't find each other. Um, there's some hilarious stuff with Rick the Model Martel, you know, spraying arrogance to no one in nowhere. <laughs> trying to hit the referee and the crowd's helping Jake and not, and not and Martell. Not right. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's perfect. And it, that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and Jake pointing. And then, and as the match goes on, Jake gets better at it. He starts starting to figure out, okay, this is what the crowd is doing. Uh, it's still, you know, near the end of the match, Jake Roberts is caught in a Boston crab, right? But he still is able to get out of the Boston crab, which is Martell's finishing move. He finds him. Hits him with the DDT, Jake the Snake. And after it's great. After Jake hits him with the DDT, he can't find him. He's reaching all over the place for him. Finally <laughs> finds him. He basically just puts a shoulder on top of him, gets a three count. It's it, it's so hard to quantify this match because it's not a match. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. And thank God they haven't done it again. But immensely fun. As far as matches go at this WrestleMania, very fun match. So different. So unique. Jake and Martell simply fantastic in everything that they did in this match. Uh, DJ, I'll turn it over to you first, man. Your thoughts on this very unique once in a lifetime, not like the rock and Cena, a true once in a lifetime match between blindfold match between Jake Roberts and Rick Martell. 
The only way that I can explain this one is it's that match that I hate to hate it and I hate to love it because it was both of those things. It was great and terrible uh, for all the reasons that you said. Jake working the crowd, getting the crowd into it. The Again, you alluded to making chicken salad out of chicken shit. It may have been spoiled chicken salad when they were done with it, but it was still chicken salad nonetheless um, for what they had to do. Uh, I, I, I can't find it in my heart to shit on this match. Oh, I, I'm not shitting on it at all. I mean, it, it's it's difficult difficult just because it's not it's a match, yes, but it's not a match. Tony, it's a thing that happened. Tony, I know, I know you're. I get the impression you're very fond of this match um, for reasons other than the in ring te- technicalities of things. Uh, your thoughts on this, Mar- Rick Martel, Jake Roberts blindfold? So I got, I finally got my dad to order WrestleMania six, right, and then everything that's going on with Hogan and slaughter, like him and his buddy from softball, they, they were in on it. So he was coming over with his kids who loved wrestling who were just a little bit younger than me. And this match popped the house, the house went nuts. The non-wrestling fans were like, Oh, they can't see, but they were into it or, or they can see, but they were into it. Right. More than any other thing that was going on up to this point. Right. Because Basically, they knew Warrior from the year before. They really wanted to see Hogan beat Slaughter's ass, really. That's what they wanted to see. Everybody was into, you know, USA, Iraq. But, yeah, I mean, it it was great. I mean, I was 10 going on 11 shortly. So (laughs) I loved it back then. You talk about, you know, retrograding things. This is horrible. But I had such a good. I, I still even watching it back. I still have fun with the match because it's oh, it's just a fun match. I do because I remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I re- we know what it is, right? You know what I mean. Well, exactly. watching it again this past week, you can see the mesh eye holes in the hoods when they pour them Can you? Because I didn't go back. I watched. Yeah, Warrior. I watched it again over the weekend, and I watched it. I was watching it with the hoods on. You can see like these little mesh eye holes right in there i was like uh, you probably shouldn't have zoomed in on that right there buddy well it's it's interesting like if you watch certain matches back and you're doing it like we are with headphones on you can hear pick up shit that you would never hear on tv right like them calling spots talking to each other when you've got like yeah. decent headphones on you can pick that stuff up so there's a uh, it's still real to me damn it kayfabe's dead <laughs> Play along, guys. Just play along. Uh, all right. We are Suspension pl- of, of disbelief. Exactly. Uh, the next match is iconic for one reason and one reason only. It is the beginning of the streak. As it's Jimmy Superfly Snooka taking on The Undertaker, who is now no longer Kane The Undertaker. And now he's got Paul Bearer as his manager. So we got rid of Brother Love. This is officially where the greatest streak in WrestleMania history begins with an absolute complete... Go ahead, Tony. What's up? What did Jimmy Snuka have against The Undertaker? I don't know. <laughs> we got to get someone on the card, pal. Yeah. I mean, it did not look like Snuka wanted to lose this match, and it didn't look like he gave a lot to The Undertaker at all. He was not having it. He wasn't, and it didn't matter because Undertaker was taking it. Whether oh, he... <laughs> it did, but it was fucking brutal. I'm sorry to fucking interrupt your introduction to no, the match. No, it's but just there's not, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> but I think you're right. Yeah, Snuka came out with a different kind of look. And just got dominated by the Undertaker, whether he wanted. And I think even if he didn't want to get beat by him and wanted to fight this finish, Undertaker would have probably beat his ass for real Um, because much bigger. It's just an absolute it's a complete domination of a Hall of Famer to start the streak. You know, it's just, you know, Snooker tries to do some bullshit slingshot body press. Taker catches him and plants him with a tombstone. And it's one and oh, there's nothing to it. It's just over. The streak, I, it's a, I mean, 
I don't even know if we want to talk about the streak in any sort of detail until later on down the line, but this well, is the beginning of it. Here. We got to talk about it every time he has a match. Now you got to start here. DJ. All right, Tony, I'll turn it over to you first. This is the beginning oh, of the streak. Huh? That's basically said everything I had to say yeah, while I was interrupting you. So you can not, give it to DJ. Yeah, DJ, <laughs> I mean, there's not much to say. It, it, it is the beginning of the streak. Um, certainly when this match happened, nobody in their right mind could have foreseen where this thing was going to end up. 22 years later well not not years because he missed a couple here and there but um yeah i mean nothing i i i've tried to look back at this many times and say is there any inkling that when this happened that this was remotely in vince's eye i say hell no not yet it's just you know putting over the next big thing undertaker's gonna have a big 1991 um so anything to this other than just the beginning of uh of the greatest run in wrestlemania history I no, because again, I, I still at this point, I'm looking at the undertaker going, this is cool, but it's also the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And at the time I'm looking at this, like there's no longevity here. I, you know, if, if I went back today and told 18 year old me that you're going to be loving this guy well into your forties and watching him do this shit into your forties, I would have laughed at myself, you know, in 1991, um, I, I don't think anyone had a streak in mind, certainly not Vince, certainly not The Undertaker. I don't think that they even realized, I, I think there was probably an epiphany one day that somebody said, well, we're on number like eight or nine and this guy hasn't lost yet. Now let's make it a thing. And, and I think probably after about a half dozen of them or so is when somebody decided to make a streak out of it. But certainly at this point, no, that's not in anybody's radar. Yeah, we got to figure out when they first say he's undefeated at WrestleMania because that's probably the beginning of the streak officially. But yeah, yeah, there's no way they're even looking at this at this point in time. This is just he's the next big thing. You know, Vince loves The Undertaker. He loves Mark Calloway. So um, there's a reason yeah. why. And I mean, yeah, things will get a little <laughs> a little fugly as we go along with some of these matches. But um, yeah, there's not much to talk about here with The Undertaker defeating Jimmy Snooker to go 1-0. That is not the case with the next match and lots to talk about here. I thought about it, guys, between the three of us, we've probably hosted or co-hosted at least, I'd say a thousand episodes involving pro wrestling. Right, Tony? Would you say? I'm probably close to that number on my own. You probably are, but I'm trying, I'm trying to undersell us here. So So two, so 2000. Okay. Uh, I I did a count out earlier today. Um, for myself, everything that, you know, where the Mindless Wrestling Podcast started to what we did this past week, we're sitting at 169 episodes. Yeah, Tony's probably right. Between between Attitude of Aggression, DWI, Mindless Wrestling Podcast, us going on other shows, us being on Greg DeMarco's show, going here, going there, Kenny Killis, Sunday Segway. like WrestleMania. Yeah, we've at least, let's call it conservatively 1,500. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. Um, We've all talked about every time we've talked about WrestleMania over the years, we've always talked about how there's a difference between a great WrestleMania match and a great WrestleMania moment, right? And we've talked about greatest WrestleMania matches versus greatest WrestleMania moments. It's rare that you get both happening at the same time. This is one of those moments and matches as it is the Macho King, Randy Savage, Sensational Sherry, the Ultimate Warrior, the career ending match. Um, It's interesting kind of some of the backstory of this thing that savage i know on the last chapter we'd commented that hey where was macho why wasn't he involved you know he got run off in the royal rumble he couldn't compete that match and we talked about how 
when Savage hit Warrior in the head with the scepter and actually knocked him out cold. It was a receipt for something Warrior had done. Warrior had fractured Macho Man's wrist, and Savage had to have surgery on that. That's why he couldn't compete. His first match back, ironically enough, Tony will love this, is a steel cage match against the Ultimate Warrior in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like two weeks before WrestleMania 7. That, amazingly enough, Macho Man Randy Savage wins that match. Uh, there's some trivia that I had not even... I God damn, I wish we could get a film of that thing. I would love to see Savage actually beat the Warrior in a steel cage match. Now, clearly, he didn't pin him, and he escaped the cage. But that... See, like if Raw was around and that would have happened, that would have created so much extra interest in this career-ending match because you've been like, damn, Savage just beat him. Maybe he actually can win this thing. The thing is, everything I've read says Macho Man Randy Savage had every intention of retiring for real after this match. That's why he loses because he was done. He'd had a lot of wear and tear on his body. He's in his late 30s at this point in time. He was officially done with this thing. Circumstances are going to change. You're going to bring him back. But he really wanted to be done with things after this match. Were him and Elizabeth still together or, or together at this yes, time? They were. They were okay. still together. So they were on that, the rock. I believe that Elizabeth was like, listen, Randy, if you want to stay together, because they'd been through a bunch of shit leading up to this. If you want to stay together, we're done with this business, because the way you treat me around this business is, is you know, I think I think that might have been it. I think you're right. And things are, as we know, things are going to change after, after seven going into SummerSlam 91, uh, the Warriors issues are going to have a big impact. Hulk Hogan starts to get some bad publicity in his direction leading into SummerSlam 91. Vince basically said, Randy, I I need, I need you back. I, I need you to come back. And then of course we do the whole marriage angle and everything that happens from there. And we're off and running, but Savage's intention was to retire. He was done. He was. This is the perfect send off. And you look at everything that happens in this match and everything that happens afterwards. It's still one of the most iconic matches in WrestleMania history, in my opinion. And as much as as fond as I am of Hogan and Warriors match at WrestleMania six, I got to say, guys, I think I like this one a little bit better. Um, I think Savage got more out of the Ultimate Warrior in this match. I think it's a, a better paced match. I think there's better action. And I attribute that entirely to to Randy Savage. I loved at the beginning of this match, it's the one time that you don't see Ultimate Warrior run down to the ring. He walks down to the ring, and I think, like, isn't it Bobby Heenan says, is that the Ultimate Warrior? And Monsoon's like, of course it is. Why isn't that idiot running at a million miles an hour like he always does? And and it's like, because the stakes are different, and I mentioned it on the last one. His uh, He's got the jacket on. He's got the, the trunks that say with the WWF t- championship means much more than this. Go ahead, Tony. Who do you think convinced him to not run down the ring, Randy or Vince? Okay. Yeah. Because I like literally believe that you know, besides a Hogan for one day, um, you know, Randy and and Vince were the only people, and maybe he heard a couple words Rick Rude heard, but other than that, that dude didn't listen to nobody. He didn't. Although I think he probably listened to Randy in this match, and oh. that's why. And I think Savage said, "Look, I, I and maybe Vince did, but if I had to bet, I would say Randy told him, look, Jim." Don't run down to the ring. We want to make this feel like something very different than all your other matches. This The stakes are bigger. You wear these these trunks with this message on the back. Don't run to the ring. Um, the match itself is, I thought, there's moments in there like Warriors just, and it's so different. It's To me, it's so different than the Hogan Warrior match. Hogan Warrior equal as far as power goes. 
that is not the case here. Warrior easily outmuscles and outpowers Randy Savage, but Savage can wrestle circles around the Ultimate Warrior. That's evident throughout the entire match. Hogan couldn't do that, and they play into this. You know, at certain places where where I love the part where Warrior like grabs Macho Man, puts him down, just holds his head, and just slaps the shit out of him. And Savage just that look in his face of like you motherfucker. And as the match goes on, you know. Even as a match, I mean, I, I tend to go back and remember this match as I was watching it happen. And when Savage hits those five elbow drops, you kind of think at first you're like, okay, it's going to be like, you know, he'll be like Hogan, kick out. But that was only one elbow drop. After he hits like the third or fourth, and even Bobby Heenan making the co- comment, this could be the kiss of death. And I mean the kiss of death. And you're like, five elbow drops. There's a moment back there in 91 where I'm like thinking, shit, shit, he's actually beat the ultimate warrior. Um, warrior kicks out of five elbow drops. It's it's just like, what the fuck? Um, warrior seems like, you know, he and then to his credit, Warrior hits the gorilla press in the splash. Savage kicks out. Nobody had ever done that except Hogan. Backsplash. Except Hogan. Yeah, Hogan had done it. But for Savage to do it, then Warrior's like, you know, getting these mixed messages from his fucking hands. Gorilla's, try, gorilla's yeah, what, trying his. What do I have to do? What do I have right. to do? And Gorilla is selling this so well to say he's appealing to the gods from above. And he's like, this is absurd, Gorilla. You know that. But Gorilla's like, I'm going to sell this shit for all I can. Um, and then, you know, you get the move where he's he's, you know, Savage comes off the top rope. Sherry's trying to hold the warrior. Warrior finally comes to his senses. Savage crashes into the guardrail. And I love the the end of this match is tremendous because Heenan is Heenan. As much as Gorilla is selling what's going on in the ring, Heenan's commentary at the end is absolutely fantastic. Where it's like, you know, whoever stays, stays. Whoever leaves, leaves. But there can't be a winner. And as he's saying this, the warrior's standing on top of Randy's chest. One, two, three. And you're like, oh, my God, it's over. And, and, and Heenan's selling the shock and just the amazement at what he's just witnessed. It's, you know, we talked about the commentary earlier that it was uneven. Not here. This is some of the best commentary in WrestleMania history. They do a tremendous job in this match as far as just selling the enormity of the moment and the match and what's just happened. Those guys are tremendous. I've talked enough. DJ, I will turn it over to you first. Savage Warrior. Warrior wins. Macho Man's career is over. We'll talk about the electrifying moment in a moment. I want to talk about the match first. Your thoughts on this? Hands down, the Warriors' best match ever, um, without a doubt. He, his aggression in this, his um, his timing in this was really good. And again, all credit to Savage, all credit to Savage for quarterbacking this entire thing. More importantly, was the story these guys were telling. And this whole match was the sum of its parts. It wasn't just the guys in the ring, Sherry on the outside, the ref on the inside, the commentators. Every single piece of the puzzle here made it important and told the story. The ref was awesome. Was the that, ref that was, was amazing. That was that, that was Earl's brother, right? Yeah, I think it was Dave. But it absolutely incredible. All some of its parts made for just an incredible story. The warrior, it, it, as ridiculous as it was, him talking to his hands, it made sense in the context of his character. He draws from these mythical, you know, yeah, beings that, that led him down this path to begin me, with. I don't mean to cut you off, but you talking about the ref. It just reminded me, like, he's, when Warrior's leaving the ring, you can hear him say to him, what are you doing? This, this is, is your career, career. This is a career-ending match. Get in here. So, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. No, no, no. No, it's absolutely, because it's all part of it, man. He said the ref's pleading with him. was like, dude, this is it. If you 
leave. I'm counting you out and your career is done. You need to rethink this. And, you know, again, the warrior, as Gorilla is saying, gets his his authority from a higher power. And right now that higher power is telling him you've done all you can do. You threw your best shit at this man and he could you couldn't beat him. You couldn't get the job done. Maybe it's time for you to, you know, check out a talent. It's all part of that story. It was all amazing. And just to see them wrap it up the way they, they did, credit to all hands on deck for this one. Tony, your thoughts. I know you think Hogan Warrior was a better match, and that's fine. Sure. Let me let me yeah, let's let's get to there because I kinda gave you a lot of my comments along your synopsis and and um hope you don't mind. Um I don't mind at all, sir. <laughs> I think this is the Warriors' best wrestling match. I think Hogan Warrior at six is his best match because of the significance of what it meant. And you'd never had the IC and and that happen and everything else. And, you know, just. You I would say Hogan Warrior was a better moment. Savage Warrior was a better match. Fair enough. Any, anything else on this uh, affair, Tony? I mean, we kind of. I don't, I don't have. Yeah, nothing really. Um, the fact that he had a different kind of face paint on. It was more of like a sticker that he was like he kept pulling off for his nose because it was bothering him. So, yeah, he looked good. It was a fun match. Um, Warrior did more wrestling moves. Savage convinced him to do more things instead of just clubbing me. Give me uh, the back or or atomic drop or whatever. He did a ton of even the double choke. Uh, double arm choke, uh, slam. He did that. Yeah. You know, do do something different. And Sherry Martel. Let's... Let me just say this to start that conversation, Dan. If she was in her prime right now in this era of women, she may possibly have been one of the greatest women's wrestler of all time. She could work. She could sell. She got over. She had a personality. She told a story. She was beautiful. Uh, she was well proportioned and dad ass. Dad ass, absolutely. Dad ass, and uh, other things she was was very hate, and that comes through. But she, but she could have been loved as much if she absolutely. wanted to. Absolutely, she knew how to work. Absolutely. She was amazing. She was. And let's get to the moment, and then Tony, you'll lead this conversation off after we just talk about it briefly. After the match is over, Savage is beaten. Um, Sherry realizes what has happened, and they play it up. Your meal ticket's gone, and during the match, Bobby Heenan. In fact, before the match begins, we didn't mention this. Bobby Heenan standing, sitting there, and he's like got this quizzical look on his face, right? And Grill is like, "What are you looking at?" He's like, "Is that Elizabeth in the crowd?" And then you know what's happening. And I mean, that was probably a tell that Savage was losing because Liz is in the crowd. You know, um, Sherry starts beating the shit out of Randy Savage. Her meal ticket's gone. She's outraged by all this. Liz can't take it anymore, jumps the guardrail, throws Sherry out of the ring, and then, of course, we get the greatest reunion in wrestling history. Dare I say, one of the greatest reunions in television history of any sort with the reconciliation of the Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. There are so many things about this that I love, but I want to turn it over to you, Tony, and I'll kind of back clean up here. This is top five greatest WrestleMania moments of all time, at least. I would say when you take everything into consideration, the genuine reaction of the crowd. I mean, there's fucking people in tears. You still see it. Tears streaming down their face, screaming, crying, holding each other, singing Kumbaya. I don't give a shit. But it is one of the greatest WrestleMania moments of all time. I turn it over to you, Mr. Tunney. It's real. It is. If it's if it's what like if it's what like I'll spe- I speculate on it that 
Liz was like, if you get rid of the constant grind and being around this culture, I'll, I will stay with you because when you're not, you're great. But when you are, you lock me in your dressing room and you get mad if I talk to anybody and I can't just not talk to anybody. You know what I mean? Like those are the stories we've heard. It's always been, it starts what we're about to have, right? One of the greatest love stories of all time. One of the greatest summer slams ever. One of the coolest things ever. And, um, you know, I mean, this is real. This is, this is where wrestling is at its best when reality meets the scripted play. And I forget who it was, but somebody very important or of, you know, materialism and, 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 um, credentials in, in the, in the, uh, world of movies, I think, or, or something like that said that or writing that said that Vince McMahon is almost, um, akin to the great Greek writers before Christ and their plays and the crudeness, but the Play-Doh. effectiveness, so, well, so, so and esophocles and, and things of that. So great. So <laughs> like, that's, that's like how legendary wrestling is. It takes that crude storyline telling and, and draws you in. And it's the basis of every soap opera you have ever seen in American television. So Vince McMahon, the greatest soap opera writer of all time, and compared with the Greek writers of the, you know, late, late, well, I don't know if it's late or early BC and which side of the time spectrum I've been drinking, but that's my take. DJ, your thoughts on this uh, iconic moment, this moment in time that I don't know how you feel. It is probably top three, if not the greatest WrestleMania moment of all time. It's definitely up there. Again, I like I told you guys, I watched this again over the weekend, and I got choked up again watching that. So, like, they roped me in 30 years later. I'm watching this crap again, almost like I'm watching it for the first time. Uh, Vince really does not get enough credit for masterful storytelling and understanding what's going to move an audience and when to pull the trigger on the stuff that's going to hurt your feelings as well as the stuff that's going to make you give you that 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 warm fuzzy, and this was the right time for the warm fuzzy um, because he, he he you know the warrior has conquered and the warrior is the big winner and he walks away. But then we just elevated Randy Savage into damn near sainthood at this point in five minutes. You know, Randy Savage went from one of the most hated people on the planet to sainthood in five minutes is absolutely masterstroke on Vince's part. All parties involved, again, very influential in this. Sherry in her, her, her just psychotic behavior over losing her meal ticket. Liz in, in the genuine girl next door. This is the love of my life, my high school sweetheart. You buy into all of it. And she was so instrumental in that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Top five WrestleMania moment, if not a top three. So I found the I found the quote. Do you mind? Go for it. It's Werner Herzog. He's he's an actor, not not very well known, but I think uh, here's the quote. I do, and and you might be slightly offended first. I do watch some trash TV, and this was on Conan. Let's say like WrestleMania. It's very interesting because it's a very crude form of drama that has emerged, and it's a drama set not in the fight itself. The fights are interrupted by commercials, meaning they're not important. But the owner of the franchise shows up. He's talking about a feud that Vince had with Linda with the women back in 2001. But the owner of the franchise shows up in the ring with his wife, alleged wife, in a wheelchair as Linda and blind. He has three sexy women in his arm and rants against his wife in the wheelchair. All of a sudden, you have a form of drama as crude as ancient Greek drama, which started out in the 5th century before Christ. I watch it for number one. 
I think the poet must not close his eyes, avert his eyes. You have to know which word you're living. You know, there's truth to that. That's for sure. Um, you know, what I was thinking while while DJ was talking is that although the Mega Powers exploded at WrestleMania five, this is the end of the Mega Powers storyline for real. This moment right here with Liz and Randy reconciling, it comes full circle. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's not it's not the end. I mean, Hogan and Savage done. But when you think about it started with Randy and Liz. Liz was the catalyst for the mega powers getting together because Honky shoved her down. Randy got hit over the head with the guitar. You had the mega powers forming. You had Liz at the center of the mega powers breaking up. Uh, after Savage is done, he ascends to become the Macho King. Liz is there, instrumental in what happened at WrestleMania six. And here you come full circle. Uh, this is the greatest, one of the greatest face turns in pro wrestling history. Like you were saying, Savage comes into this match hated. I mean, sort of hated. There are a lot of people still cheering for him. I've always loved Randy's reaction after he holds the ropes open for Liz and she leaves and it's just him in the ring and he's getting a massive standing ovation. And he looks out at the crowd and he just he just nods and he, you can see him say, I'm so sorry, like apologizing to them in story, apologizing for what he did with Liz and the mega powers. But he's almost like apologizing. I'm sorry. I got to step away now. You guys have been great. Uh, if this was Randy's intention to retire and this was the end of the road, he did everything perfect. Didn't he? He goes out on his back. He creates one of the greatest moments in wrestling history. He, the crowd acknowledges him. He acknowledges the crowd rides off into the sunset. It's the perfect ending. It is. Yeah. I, I, I like that assessment. Every once in a while, I get something right. Well, I think we've, <laughs> we have broken down the most, the biggest moment of WrestleMania seven by far. Nothing, nothing comes close on this card to this match, to this moment. I mean, we're bringing up ancient Greek storytellers. That, so. yeah. Nothing was going to match that. Nothing was going to follow it. So what they did, <laughs> instead, instead of putting Demolition <laughs> against the Legion of Doom, um, which is what we wanted, Mr. Fuji's there. They get fed. This is the last match of Demolition. This is the end of Demolition. Axe is already gone. Smash is about to become a repossession specialist. Crush is going to go away for a while and then come back with some uh, Hawaiian bullshit, but they get fed to oh, Tenru God, and Katow. These guys from Japan, it's an absolute crap match. No one cares about it at all after what they've just witnessed. Um, Smash and Crush dominate most of the match. Katow is going to save uh, Tenru from the demolition decapitation twice, not once, but twice. Tenru is eventually going to put Smash down for the count with a fucking powerbomb, and that is it. That is the end of Demolition in WWE. What an anticlimactic end to one of the great tag team runs of all time. It just, you know, and I understand Vince is trying to establish some sort of relationship with the Japanese wrestlers. Nobody gave two fucks about this match. A, they're like, who are these Japanese guys? Why should we care? B, after what we just went through, we're supposed to give two shits about this match? So, I I don't know. I give Vince credit. He may just said, look, this is going to be bullshit. You guys go on now. Have fun. Good luck, Tuddy. I, I don't have anything to say except Demolition died when um, Axe was not uh, performing anymore in the ring. <laughs> That's it. We've talked about that. Uh, DJ, you got anything? There's there's not much about this redemption. Not much to add. You know, with Vince's venture into Japanese wrestling, yeah, it's when you've got Tenru and the other guy, but on, on the other side of the street in WCW, we've got Jushin Liger and the great Muda. Um, there's absolutely... <laughs> No comparison here. <laughs> well, 
they're sitting there trying to put over Tenru like he's this major Japanese star, and I'm like, not that I was dialed into Japanese wrestling at the time, but I'm like, I've never heard of this fucking guy. I knew who Masahiro Chono was. I knew who Jushin Liger and Great Muda were. Who is this guy? And you can tell at the end of the match, this guy doesn't even care. Don't give a shit. They're there for the payday. Vincent, they're there for the paycheck. I'll pay you some money. Come and show up at WrestleMania. His real name's Todd. He's been in fourth generation American. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Kind of like when uh, when Vince dabbled in the in the lucha libre stuff into the mid nineties, and they had this big deal with AAA, and then he brought in Cybernetico and uh, some other guy that was probably I don't know, probably Bruce Pritchard under a mask. And called them Lucha Libre guys, and neither one of them did Lucha Libre. <laughs> it was all punches and kicks. Uh, Pretty much. All flips, <laughs> all flips, no fists. FTR was the fucking original FTR. Yeah, there you go. Uh, at this point, Bobby Heenan checks out. He's replaced by Lord Alfred Hayes on commentary, which I love Lord Alfred, but let's be honest, yeah. the chemistry goes significantly yeah, down. He kept, he kept trying to go to commercial every time he, every, every five minutes he'd say, <laughs> You're paid for by the following. That's right. It's the big boss man taking on Mr. Perfect with Bobby Heenan. The Intercontinental Championship is on the line in this one. Uh, so, you know, there's your title match. Um, it's a pretty decent match. I think it's it's pretty good. Uh, at least as far as Perfect's performance is concerned, it's pretty good. Uh, the match turns, though, when Andre the Giant shows up to stop Bobby Heenan's interference. And is going to whack Perfect in the head with the Intercontinental Championship belt. Perfect, however, is going to kick out of a pin attempt at the last possible second. Haku and the Barbarian, fresh off their ass-whipping earlier, they show up, they attack the boss man. This causes a disqualification. I hate these non-finishes at WrestleMania. Andre, however, is going to clean house on everyone as boss man wins the match, but he doesn't win the gold. I think this is Andre's last kind of WrestleMania, I'm air-quoting, appearance. Because I don't think he's not at eight, and he's not at nine, and I think you know, you know, he dies shortly either before or after WrestleMania nine. I think this is the end of, and it's sad to watch Andre here because doesn't he come out like he has to use you know crutches and that sort of thing? Um, it's cool. He walked out on his own in this one though, didn't he? he? Maybe it's um, he walks out on his own accord on this one. I don't know how he made it, but I'm thinking of something different then. But uh, he's probably going to show up at another event pretty soon. Maybe it's SummerSlam. I don't remember. But he shows up. Andre's the difference maker. He helps Bossman fend off all this bullshit. Bossman, not a great performance. Perfect's performance was very good. Bossman wins the match, doesn't win the gold. Kind of makes sense. DJ, I'll turn it over to you first. I know you're, you're a big perfect guy like the rest of us are. Yeah. He um, you can't you can't fault his performance here, but the match is it's okay. But yeah, kind of, I, I I don't even think it was so much that the boss man was bad in this match. It's just there was no chemistry between the two. And I know my co-host on my podcast, Rob, hates talking chemistry amongst wrestlers. Um, but just some people just don't mesh well as far as styles go. And I don't think the big boss man and Perfect really meshed well. I agree with you. It was kind of sad seeing Andre. Um, I, I definitely think this was one of his last big um, appearances. Did either one of you watch the Andre documentary on HBO Max? Yeah, it's they they talk about that and why Andre kind of eventually walked away. I don't think he was ready to come to terms with his own mortality as far as, you know, okay, wrestling is over with. Vince saw it and, and Vince was like, okay, this is the role for you now. Andre didn't really want that role. And, you know, at least Vince alludes to their last conversation together was not a good one. 
and they never got closure on that. And, you know, you got to separate, okay, how much is Vince playing it up versus how much of this is real? Vince was always bothered by the fact that Andre passed before they could um, kind of mend fences. And, and I think that, I think he took that personally. Yeah. Anytime that Vince is asked about Andre, um, he gets choked up about it. Like you're saying, there was some, you know, they never reconciled that. But I think you're right. Andre was the biggest thing in the world. And yes, he had reached the point where his body was failing him. Vince knew it. Vince saw it. He probably got three years out of him that he should. Andre shouldn't even have been in the ring at WrestleMania three, but he was. No. And he did that to put over Hulk Hogan and to make Vince a shit ton of money and to put WWF on the map. So I don't doubt for a minute that he didn't want to let go. And Vince was trying to protect Andre from himself. And Andre sure shit didn't see it that way. You know, at least he didn't clock Vince in the face because that would not have gone over so well as big as Andre was. Tony, you got any thoughts on on this boss man perfect match, Andre's involvement, and you know, kind of the end of the line, unfortunately, for the first ever Hall of Famer? I'll start with guys like uh, Perfect and Boss Man in the ring here, because in a perfect world, those two guys have a hell of a program over like a year and a half. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You know, you got the big baby face against the fit, super athletic heel with the awesome manager. Like, that's perfect. Um, Andre, yeah, I mean, people don't understand. Like, Andre was Brock times 10. Yeah. He was the wrestling business before Hulk Hogan emerged. He really was. He went everywhere. He went literally, literally on the globe everywhere that you could wrestle, made money never lost, put everybody over. That's just the way he was. Weren't him and Dusty Rhodes like tag team champions in the NWA or one of these properties? He was, was, yeah, he held every title that didn't mean a lick of shit (laughs) because he didn't need to, and he knew it, and he'd still won and put people over. He was so good for the wrestling business, it's ridiculous. Um, That's why one of my dream matches is like Brock and... uh, Andre could prime Andre versus prime like Brock now versus prime Andre. Yeah. And I bring, and I bring all that up because in the last week, the undertaker said, one of my only regrets is I never got to face Andre. Yeah. By the time Mark gets there, Andre's done. Um, yeah, but they had like a conversation see, somewhere. Oh, once. I'm sure they talked. I'm sure they talked and I'm sure Andre yeah. imparted a lot of before, wisdom to Mark before, that, before Mark was anything. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, Andre's the kind of guy who would let Brock hit him with the F5, but probably still kick out and beat Brock's ass, you know, that sort of thing. But just seeing Brock get him up in that position would have been like, oh, my God. So anyway, somebody do that match on 2K23 or something like that. But um, from here, this is this is fun. We get Mean Gene, mean Gene interviewing Donald Trump, <laughs> Chuck Norris, the Fonz, Henry Winkler and Lou Ferrigno. What the fuck is going on here? Bobby Heenan's back on commentary. Mean Gene, it's just this random assortment of amazing people. You know, I, I mean, whether you love Trump or not, and I'm not a Trump fan, but still, we're talking 1991. You got Trump, you got Chuck Norris, you know, Walker, Texas Ranger, you got the Fonz and the fucking Hulk. Jeez, I mean, that's that's a hell of an interview panel. And uh, go ahead, Tony. Do you have something on No, no. Oh, no, you're good. You're Meanwhile, good. Bobby's back on commentary. We got Earthquake with Jimmy Hart versus the new... Lee, baby face, I'm saying baby face, Greg the Hammer Valentine 
Valentine as a face doesn't work. It's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> he has resting heel face, and you're yeah. gonna make a resting heel face. face. There you go. There's a title for a podcast episode one of these. Resting days. heel resting face. Heel John, face. Put it in your your notebooks, Tony. <laughs> that, that's that legitimately describes that dude. Absolutely. Though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Valentine's gonna give it a good go in this match, but when he inexplicably goes for the figure four, Jimmy Hart distracts him. Earthquake capitalizes with a big elbow drop, hits the earthquake, and he gets the victory as Earthquake is victorious over the fresh baby face of Greg, the resting heel face, Greg the Hammer Valentine. DJ, I know you hated the face run of Greg Valentine as much as I did. You got anything on this? How much? That's the new way Dave says his name. Resting heel face. Oh my God! How brilliant. much cocaine was involved in the decision to turn Greg Valentine baby? How face? much cocaine is involved in this podcast? That's what I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> We're going to need more if we keep talking about matches like this. Because <laughs> I'm out of beer, I just took my last my last sip. <laughs> I may have to switch to something harder. You got but, anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, earthquake. Sleep, I have nothing on this match. I I vaguely I watched this over the weekend, and I have a vague cloudy memory of this. Because I think I tried to scrub it. Yeah, Tony, you got anything on it other than other? I mean, you've done enough with resting heel face. You've done all you need to do on this match. Watch from me, man. Ah, oh, resting heel face. That you got it. You got to make that a DWI podcast episode title. That is shit. We come I got to I got to see if we can slip that into bandwagon nerds this weekend. Um, <laughs> dude, that's amazing. Um. Power, power and glory shows up with slick to take on the Legion of doom. This match is over before it begins. Roma gets hit with the doomsday device. Legion of doom gets a win. Interesting story about this though, is that Roma landed awkwardly on the doomsday device. It really frightened him later on. These guys meet up in another match and Paul Roma actually goes to animal and Hawk and say, look, I don't want to take the doomsday device. I landed bad last time. It makes me nervous. He's not the only guy to have said this to Hawk and Animal, and they were cool about it. They weren't like these arrogant pricks saying, no, you got to put our big shit over. They're like, no, no, that's cool. Like, And then that one, Animal pins Paul Roma with like a power slam, that sort of thing. Uh, as great as, as, you know, Legion of Doom, I know they needed to get over. We know where they're going to hit in a few months with the title win over the Nasty Boys. They didn't need to get put over this strongly, especially against a team like Power and Glory who had been so dominant coming into this match and had been so good. And then all of a sudden it, this, if you had any hopes for power and glory, it was over. How long did this last Sonny? 10, 20, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Just short of a minute. Okay. That's still Jesus. That's like 30 seconds longer than I thought, but um, I don't know, Tony, you got any thoughts about, I mean, there's not much to say, but it doesn't make any sense. This is the second time that a team that Paul Roma was on that seemed to have like young stallions went away with, barely a whimper and now it happens again i think here they built them up just to bring them down like just to give lod some credibility i mean not that they needed it but just to give them feed them somebody that they didn't that people knew so i don't know it was it was nothing i wouldn't have done it that way but who am i so well you've got resting cool face but uh dj got any thoughts on this uh (laughs) yeah at this point the bloom is definitely off the rose with power and glory as far as vince is concerned i did do a little bit of research on uh paul roma before we did this show and while i because i'm three or four beers deep at this point the 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 history with him and uh hercules 
as far as why they never really made it anywhere, it's kind of escaped me. But the the um, young stallions, apparently Paul Roma didn't get a, get along real well with Jim Powers. Go figure. Um, and that's why eventually they fell apart. Who did? I don't know enough Sh- about Jim Powers. Shane, Douglas during, Shane Douglas during dark did matches. Jeez, oh, Louise. Jim Powers was a body guy with zero charisma. Shane, that's about what I know about Jim Powers. Does Shane Douglas that have resting? Like the, sounds Shane, like a formula for success. <laughs> Shane Douglas has resting jobber face until he's the franchise. Then he doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> I mean, he was also as a dynamic dude. You stop. Yes, that's right. He was a dynamic. Holy shit. Wasn't, dynamic John, dude. wasn't John Laurinaitis his partner? <laughs> Johnny Ace was the other half of the dynamic dudes. They... They they were the, they were Cora Jade before Cora Jade. They brought skateboards to the ring and never wrote a damn one didn't, of them. Didn't they have a god awful theme song too? We got to look that up. I think that's when uh, they, terrible. That's when the Gator, was and I, Gator and I were like, oh my. They probably brought Poochie from the Simpsons to the ring with them on them skateboards. Oh, it was awful. It was a te- that was a Dusty Rhodes gimmick all day long. <laughs> oh, pizza gimmick. Uh, that's pretty rough. The next match is pretty good though. This is an interesting one. Ted DiBiase. Taken on Virgil. Virgil comes down to the ring with a gimpy, rowdy, rowdy Piper in his corner as Piper has been the instrument behind Virgil's. Uh, I'm not saying it's a betrayal of Ted DiBiase because fuck Ted and he can't get betrayed enough. But uh, Virgil finding some backbone to stand up to Ted. Virgil starts strong in this match. DiBiase, though, is going to take command, as you would expect. He's the much better wrestler later on in the match. DiBiase, though, he gets too preoccupied with fighting Piper at ringside. And he ends up getting counted out, so Virgil gets a WrestleMania victory. Shocking. Post-match, though, Ted DiBiase absolutely destroys Roddy Piper's knee with a crutch. Uh, Sensational Sherry, the jilted one, decides, let me be the biggest gold-digging bitch I can be. And she decides to say, hmm, where's the most gold to be dug? This guy, the million-dollar man. So she shows up, aligns herself with DiBiase, to do even more damage. Virgil is beaten. He's had his ass kicked during the latter part of this match. He's barely able to prevent even more damage to being done to Roddy Piper. And then in one, in a great moment at WrestleMania seven, and you know, we got some really good moments, Virgil exhorting Roddy Piper to get up off of his ass, to get up to his feet, Virgil catching Piper and helping him to the back. It's a really cool moment. This is a, I mean, you know, this is a little bit of a better match than I think we were expecting because they do a good job of playing up that Virgil is operating off emotion earlier in the match, taking control early on. DiBiase's skill, and let's be honest, much more skilled than Virgil, takes control later on. DiBiase, though, is his own worst enemy, and he's the only reason he loses his match because he's too busy fucking around with Roddy Piper. Then the stuff afterwards, DiBiase ends up for the first time in his career in WWE with a manager after this. And it's, and it's a damn good one with sensational share. And I, I love it. Like Tony's talking about Sherry earlier. This is so perfect for her. And so in line with her character to just say, Savage is gone. <laughs> I'm going to align myself with this guy. It is fucking brilliant. Tony, your thoughts on, on this DiBiase Virgil match and, and just how they played this whole thing up. The match is nothing special. The storylines that are created from it are great. When I when I remember when I was 10 going on 11, I was like, oh, the next great tag team, Piper and Virgil. Right? No. Oh, yeah. I was wrong. I was 11, 10, 10 going on 11. <laughs> like, it, it kind of makes sense still now. Like, that would have made sense for it to be a cool little tag team there. But, yeah, it's, it's just storyline kind of thing. It's not a match kind of thing. But, yeah, Virgil still... He's he's the juice is running low in that uh, 
uh, whatever kind of fruity squeeze in here. So, you know, enjoy it. Squeeze that fruit. Uh, DJ, your thoughts on DiBiase versus Virgil here at WrestleMania 7? Uh, mediocre match with a great story. I, I bought into the Virgil story. I was, and when they started all this and, and you, you tell this thing with Virgil, you don't know where this guy's going to be as far as an in-ring talent because you have no idea whether the guy can even wrestle or not. Very evident in this match that he's not great. Um, they, they played what little strengths he has and the strength that he had was the fire. And what I really liked was the fire and the emotion that Virgil brought into this, particularly in the closing segment with Piper. And they still leave you, leave you hanging as to an, okay, he wasn't great in the ring, but this guy may still have something here with all that. You know, obviously again, that bloom is going to fall off the rose real quickly in the, in the coming months. But the, the story that he and Roddy told in the last three minutes of this entire segment was amazing. Well, yeah, things are going to fall apart, but not before they have an even better, a really pretty good match at SummerSlam 91, and yes. where Virgil's going to break through and win the title. That's coming up in the next chapter. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with you guys. The match is, eh, it's all right. It's meh. But the story they're telling, like Tony and DJ, like you guys both said, the story they're telling is tremendous. The interaction between Virgil and Piper is really good. And it, and it, and you get some depth in Virgil's character that you really didn't know yeah. existed. And he does a good job of this for at least six, eight months, something like that. Um, the penultimate match of WrestleMania seven, the Mountie with Jimmy Hart taking on everybody's favorite jobber to the stars. Now Tito Santana, DJ's already shaking his head. It's just a garbage match. It's a garbage match. Tito hits the fly. This is, I mean, and every Tito Santana match nowadays is the same one minute. 21 seconds. Yes. Um, yeah, Tito, it's the same thing. He hits the flying forearm in the opening moments. Can't capitalize. When the ref is distracted again, the Mountie rams his fucking Mountie's got his cattle prod now, his electrified cattle prod. Rams it into Tito's abdomen to gain a ridiculously kick, quick and tainted victory. Good night for Jimmy Hart. I mean, I'll say that out of all the managers here, Jimmy had the best night. Every, all of his guys... I can't think of did any of them lose. I mean, I got, think it was a clean sweep. Got for Jimmy the nasty Hart. boys. Got the earthquake winning. Uh, oh wait, Dino Bravo. He lost. So there's the one. Yeah, okay. There's the one. But uh, still, absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Tony's got something. He's got another great, uh, great saying. Or I something. don't. What, what do you I got? really don't. I just you brought up Dino Bravo, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to hell for the Dino Bravo uh, jokes. Everybody's favorite <laughs> cigarette smuggler. God damn yeah, it! I'm I, sorry, he, Dino. I wish you. Uh, he did it to himself. He did do it to uh, himself. There's nothing to talk about in this match, is there? Other than other than the best part is the Mountie's electrified cattle prod, which becomes a big yeah. big part I, of his shtick. Like, yeah, I, I another like, disgusting moment for us Tito Santana fans. That's all know, I got. The only thing I have to add here is I feel like Scott Hall was watching this match. <laughs> he might have been. Uh, there's not a whole lot to, to dissect here. One minute and 21 seconds. Let's get to the end. Let's talk about This it. was a get them on the card match. Yeah, this is like, everybody catch your breath. Here we go. Main event time. Sergeant Slaughter with General Adnan. Hulk Hogan, the immortal one, with an epic entrance to this match. The WWF Championship match comes out waving old glory. The LA Memorial Sports Arena loses their fucking mind. Regis Philbin joins Gorilla and Bobby on commentary. That's a pretty good match, a pretty good job on commentary. He adds a few things here. Me, guys? This is USA personified. It's Hulk Hogan. That's right. Exactly. So Regis does his job. Alex Trebek is the ring announcer. Marla Maples is the guest timekeeper. I, You know, honestly, guys, this is a very good match. As far as Hogan matches go, I thought this was a pretty good match. 
Uh, it's, um, it's, you know, you got two solid and very experienced guys in that. So there's no shortage of these guys knowing what to do in the match and how they work this thing. Um, Slaughter's going to bust Hulk open. This is one of the first times I can actually remember seeing somebody visibly blade themselves in this match. And it's easy to see when Hogan does it. He gets knocked down, and as he's rolling over, he just slashes across his fucking head. Right after the chair shot, you yeah. see him run the blade. Yeah, it's, it's, the most, it's the most obvious blade job that I've ever seen. Uh, so Hulk's busted open and, you know, Regis is like, when he sees the blood, he's like, Oh, Hulk, you know, Regis selling his, 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 his heartbreak and his concern for his buddy Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, Sarge is going to try to put Hulk away with the Boston crab and the camel clutch. None of this shit works when he tries to pin Hulk though, by draping the Iraqi flag over him, Hulk kicks out great visual Hulk, you know, the Iraqi flag, he kicks out. Hulk sitting there with blood all over the crimson mask. He just rips that Iraqi flag to shreds, sort of. Uh, it's not an it's not an even tear, but it's as good as Hulk is going to get here. Hey, this shit, this is live, pal. This is not this is one take. They couldn't have gimmicked the flag a little bit to make yeah, it easier for him. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> he 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 destroys the flag. Hulk's up zero zero perforation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hits the big boot and then the leg drop. To win the match, a Sarge kicks out at like 3.1 or something like that. I don't understand why he did that. But in the course of this, Hulk Hogan becomes the first ever three-time winner of the WWF Championship. So we're talking 91. This is before the big reigns by Flair and Hunter and Randy and Cena and Orton and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, Hulk Hogan becomes the first three-time winner of the WWF Championship. It's a great American party. It's a predictable ending. You knew it was coming. You know Hulk was going to win this thing. The next reign of Hulk Hogan begins. It's probably the least impactful of all of his reigns, except for maybe the fourth one after Tuesday night in Texas, which doesn't last but a day or two. But um, I, I like this match. I know I don't think Tony's going to agree with me. I thought these guys for two veterans got the most that they could out of this thing. These are both guy, big guys. Neither one of them known for their technical prowess. Sarge probably a little bit better. Sarge probably called a lot more of this match than Hulk did. Um, but in the end, Hulk Hogan, three-time World Wrestling Federation champion. Tony, your thoughts on this main event for WrestleMania 7? It didn't seem like Sarge called the match. I think the match would have been a lot better if Sarge did call the match. And I feel like Maybe. an experienced heel should always call the match. Um, but, yeah, I the, the ending's great. Like, the post-match celebration is awesome. Like, Hogan actually grabs a flag from a fan and wipes his blood on it and gives it back to him as a souvenir. Like... That's insane. That's got to be worth something. Yeah. I'm like watching that back and I'm like, how much is that fucking worth? How much can you sell that for? Um, It's just, it is what it is. It's a culmination of the storyline. It's not as good. It, it was about, this was about the journey, not the destination. The end is, um, and I want to, I think like we talked about this previously, the fact that the war is over is, you know, and I know they're not going to say that line until SummerSlam 91, where, you know, the war is officially over after, you know, Hogan beats Slaughter at, at, at SummerSlam. But um, I think having the war be done by this point in time, if the war's still going on and this match takes place, whoo, the heat, the heat would have been like 20 times worse. And, you know, all the reasons that Bob Costas decided not to be involved in WrestleMania 7 suddenly become more reasonable. If this would have been a main event, a Saturday night's main event on the first 
Saturday in February, it would have been a lot different because this was a January operative that lasted like 27 days or so. Yeah, 27 hours, basically. It was over. But um, I know it went on longer than that. But I I always thought that, you know, a lot of WrestleMania 7's problems were like you said it on. I think it was the last one of the last either the last episode or the last chapter. I don't remember, Tony, where you were saying that they probably switched the belt from Warrior to Slaughter for a big reason was because of the war. Um, and so they wrapped this whole story around the war and then the war was over so quickly that it just didn't play out properly. And, and I think WrestleMania seven probably suffered for that. And that's what leads you us to believe that it's more about ticket sales and less about security that got this match moved. This, this pay-per-view moved, uh, venues. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I think and that's very, very much. There was this big hype over this war and then it was like over before it started. And everyone was like, Oh, well suddenly it's in. Because this is what we do as Americans. We forget very quickly and we move on to the next thing. The war wasn't a thing anymore. And, you know, that again, I agree with you, Dave. Your assessment's spot on. This this match suffered because not that I wanted a war to drag on for months and months and months. Let me be perfectly clear here, okay, before somebody misquotes me. But looking at it, what they were going for, it definitely suffered. DJ, your thoughts on, on this match between Sarge and Hogan in general? I... I'm a big fan of nuance and there were little nuances in this match that both guys did. There was one spot in the match that I thought was really, really good on Hogan's part. He's in the Boston crab and he's literally from the ropes this far. He can, he can reach out and grab the ropes and break this hold, but no, he's Hulk Hogan. He's got the entirety of the United States riding on his broad shoulders. He's got to power out of this for the American people for the war effort, for the troops, I have to power out of this. And he tries to power out of it repeatedly, and he can't because Sarge cinches it in, locks it in, and then finally he just reaches over desperately and grabs the ropes and breaks the hold. Absolutely brilliant on Hogan's part. Brilliant character work, understanding his character, understanding Sarge's character, putting over the move and selling the entire story. I thought it was incredible. And, you know, people can feel however they want about the man behind Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, the guy that steps foot in the ring, one of the best to do it in terms of storytelling, in terms of understanding what that crowd came to see. None better. None better. Yeah, I think, you know, like we say all the time that Vince doesn't get enough credit for some of the stuff he does. His storytelling, his crafting of uh, of rings psychology and things like that. Hogan's the same way it's all gotten diluted because of this racism scandal and all that sort of stuff. And now you look at Hulk in a different way, but character wise, like you guys are saying, DJ, like you're saying they're very, he's one of the best promo guys of all time. Easily. His promo work is horrifically underrated. Um, He's not a great worker except in Japan, but the guy better than anybody except possibly Steve Austin knew how to, get to a crowd and to get the desired reaction out of a crowd. And I dare say Hogan does it even better than Austin. Um, but that's debatable. Uh, I think he's, he's very underappreciated at this point in time, just because of a lot of other reasons. Tony, yeah, his, his personal life ended up being a disaster exactly. and it overshadowed yeah. how good. And so many people say, Oh, you know, Hogan sucked in the ring. I'm sorry. He may not have been, you know, a hold for hold work rate guy, but None of your flippy guys can touch him in the other areas that matter. No, but he could have been. He 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 knew he that could he, have been. He was smart enough to know that he didn't want to, to or have to and shouldn't do that. 
Like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, it's well, he's like a, what, six, five, 300 pound guy. Let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. And this is a weird comparison. Top dollar. Right? Okay. I'm, I'm, go ahead. He finally gets up on the main, flubs a couple topes, right? And he's done. He's gone. Yeah. After all they invested in him. And I say this because you guys laugh at that, that don't know right now. And you're listening, but. It takes a lot to put someone on WWE uh, Finding Treasures. And he was hosting that show. And they had a lot invested in that guy. I'll say this. I draw a comparison. I won't do it to top dollar because how can I top that? See what I did I there? Didn't, I didn't mean it in that way. I but know. you you get you kind of get where I was going. Think about. I like, need another beer because I'm still trying to draw the comparison. Tony connected some weird dots there. Top dollar didn't have to do that weird shit. And he made himself look bad. Hogan never tried to do that weird shit because he knew it wasn't who he was. Here's, and that wasn't who he was either. Yeah. Here's the he didn't have to do it. Here's the Why comparison would you do it I if you didn't draw. have to? Right. Here's the comparison I want to draw. Remember Brock Lesnar in his first run in WWE before? No. Who's, who? Brock Lesnar. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Um, remember all the stuff he did before he went away to the NFL? He did all that amateur move. He did a lot more stuff in the ring. When he came back, didn't have to do any. He's just, it's just German suplexes. F5s, Kimura lock. That's all he and everybody and we've all all of us have said it at one point. Why doesn't he break out some of the more of his moves? Because he doesn't have to. There's no need for it. He is the beast. All he's gonna do is just beat the shit out of you. There's no reason for him to do a fucking shooting star press where he almost killed himself. And that may have what had something the, to do with it, but what what story does Big Show tell all the time? The time where Austin told him to kick out of like uh nine stone cold stunners at a house show to make him finally realize he doesn't have to do anything. Anybody else wants him to do in the ring that he doesn't want to do. That's right. right? right. Once yeah. you get are, you're way better off for it. Right. Then you can go out and do things outside of your circle. And Hogan's the same way. He could have done that stuff like he did in Japan. A, that's not the audience that he was designed to portray <laughs> but, to. And B, now, why, you know, I mean, people criticize Cena for the five, the three, what, three moves of doom, five moves of doom. I don't know what it is anymore. Six or seven, it's the five or six. I don't, it doesn't matter, but he didn't have to do anything. It, it's, it's that sequence that is what puts, it's like when you get there, it's like, okay, here we are. Um, and the only time that didn't work, of course, was against the warrior, but you know, the finger point thrown into the three punches, throwing the ropes, big boot, leg drop. It's all over. Hulk didn't need to do you know, like we talked about on, I remember I was listening back to the last uh, chapter where Hulk pins Dino Bravo with a small package and I nearly fell out of my chair. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Hulk Hogan pins somebody with a small package? It's like, give me resting shock face for that shit. But right. um, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, I think I think Tuddy's got a good point. Now, I don't know about the top dollar thing. I get what he's saying. He, he didn't have to do that. Top dollar tried to go outside of his comfort zone and he paid the price for it. Hulk didn't need to do that. He knew what he knew where his comfort zone was. He stayed in his lane and he made millions of dollars for a lot of people. And that my friends is WrestleMania seven. It is time for scores. I am almost afraid to ask Tony. So I will ask DJ you first on a scale of one to 10. What are you giving WrestleMania seven, buddy? As a total show, I'm going to give it a six and a half and I'm gonna give it a six and a half because matches aside, there was some great storytelling. Hogan and Savage, Savage and Liz, Piper and um, Virgil, Virgil and DiBiase, Hogan and um, 
Sarge, great storytelling in there. There was a lot of filler, a lot of fluff, a lot of shit that they they could. There's four matches they could have cut out of this WrestleMania, and I probably would have bumped it up to a seven and a half, maybe even an eight, just because of the storytelling. I'll tell you right now, before I kick it over to Tony, I'm right with you, DJ. I got it as a six and a half out of ten. Uh, Savage Warrior, the match and the moment after that really elevates this to an entirely different place than it otherwise would be. Hogan and Sla- Slaughter, little thing, things like you mentioned, really make that match. Um, I think, you know, other things, Martell and Jake the Snake Roberts, we talked about how unique that was and why that's such a unique and interesting kind of match and how they did that sort of thing. The t- tag team title change, uh, I think that kind of is underrated as far as this card goes. And although Taker squashes Snooker, this is the beginning of the streak. So it's like, eh, I got to give that some level of credibility credibility so i got a six and a half out of ten as well tunny this is gonna be ugly folks ugly no no it's not actually i'll give it a five and a half um uh, it's better than i thought he was gonna do two and a it's, half. it's it's significant there are some really good things that happen here there is there is you know four five-ish matches that are solid but the pacing's wrong we haven't figured that out yet um and things of that nature so as far as a well-vetted mania, we're still a ways away, and I'm I'm judging these against what we're about to get into. Probably, it, you know, it's funny because it's going to take us a while to get where I want us to be, as opposed to, like, we went through seven WrestleManias pretty quick. It's going to take us a long time to get to fourteen, and that's really where I'd like to get to. Yeah, we're going through <laughs> mine and Dave's youth yeah. and Tony's infancy right now, but, but at the <laughs> same time. At the same time, 14, though, sorry, yeah, go ahead, fourteen Tony. starts a fourteen starts a a, a crazy streak yes. of watching these live for me, right? And I think you know, like I think we've all talked about it. We're going to get into this stage where we're going to get into big four events, and and I said that I said it in the message the other day. When King of the Ring starts, this will change to the Big Five project for a little while because King of the Ring was classified as a Big Five pay per view. They switched do, it. Can, can I suggest Big Four Plus? <laughs> it could be, but I don't know. I'll just keep it. I'm going to go with Big Five Project because it just, right. it just, it just. You're the, you're the, you're the Grand Poobah. Are you going to replace King of the Ring with Money in the Bank later? Later on, because that's the other Big Five Project. But that's all right. Because like they, they've said, they've said, I've done the research on it, and there's only two events, despite all the wild pay per views that WWE has done. The King of the Ring and Money in the Bank are the only times that they've called anything Big Five. That's the main reason I'm doing it, and not doing the other ones, but. King of the Rings hugely important leading into this day. I mean, there are some massive things that happen at that oh, event. They, they springboard a lot of things. A lot of the, King Austin. Tony is talking about Austin. Without King of the Ring, that doesn't happen. And without the uh, without the shit that had the uh, the uh, curtain call. Well, we'll talk about that. But um, that what I was saying is we're getting into this time frame where a lot of us, like DJ and I, have openly said to each other, "Shit, I don't think I've seen this pay per view, but maybe once." And probably yeah. not in 20 to 25 years have I gone back. So I'm kind of looking forward. I know there's some wonky ass shit coming up, but I'm kind of looking forward to watching it again because I don't remember anything about it. So it's going to be like watching it the first time. That is not the case for the next chapter, for chapter 10 of the Big Four Project, because we're going to do SummerSlam 91, which I still say might be the best SummerSlam of all time. And we're going to do Survivor Series 91, which is not one of the best Survivor Series of all time. But it does, it is the first time the WWF championship is ever on the line. And it leads to a crazy week in WWE that is going to springboard to 
quite possibly the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, which I think is probably, I'm saying that should be, if we're not doing Brett Perfect, Royal Rumble 92 should be the next watch along. I'm okay with that. I'm down. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll earmark Royal Rumble 92 to be the next watch along, but SummerSlam 91 is tremendous Royal and Survivor Series 91 has some stuff to it. That is really good. Undertaker's first championship reign that is coming up on the next chapter. Guys, thank you so much. Before I let you out of here, let us get some contact information. DJ, where can people check you out when you're not, when you don't have resting pissed off face? I, I do. I have resting beard face. Um, you can find me on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. Again, part of the Chairshot Radio Network to be found on the Chairshot.com, where we remind you to always use your head. You can find me on the app formerly known as Twitter at The Mindless Pod. And if you're so inclined, although I rarely post to it, I am on Facebook at The Mindless Wrestling Podcast. I do throw uh, some things up there every now and then if you're so inclined to check that out. Tony, you have coined a phrase here today that we probably need to get trademarked. Resting heel face. I don't know if you can have resting face face. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, that doesn't roll off the tongue. Oh, your face face. <laughs> Tony, where can people check you out on the social media platforms? Uh, just at PC Tony, wherever wherever you're social mediaing. Um, and just Chairshot Radio Network, all your favorite uh, you know streaming platforms. ProWrestlingTees.com slash The Chair Shot. Uh, check it out because dad your boss your neighbor all your wrestling fans in your life they don't want another tie they don't want a bowl of soup they don't want that hat they want a fucking cool ass t-shirt mindless wrestling podcast uh hashtag nefarious means dave by the way um yeah and uh, so many more uh for and they got a big promo coming up here 50 percent off uh through black friday so get over there to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash chair shot Check it out and continue to listen to great uh, podcasts like the Mindless Wrestling Podcast, Attitude of Aggression, Bandwagon Nerds, etc., etc. Chairshot Radio Network. You think we could convince Greg to do a Team Dadass shirt? Team Dadass! That would be a hot seller, I bet. I think Dadass would be. <laughs> Tony's like, just being non, no comment about it. He's putting his microphone up. That means and he's, he's muted. He's, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Gr- another great episode of the Big Four Project. All right, I'll buy one. Dat ass with a little peach underneath it. Ooh, there you go. There it is. I, I can it. have that shirt and made on in the a back, minute. On the back, it says resting heel face. Dat ass hashtag peach. There you right go. There. That's, That's going to do it for this episode, gentlemen. Guys, thank you so much. We will catch you guys soon for Chapter 10 of the big four project whether that happens before the swaggies or not we're not sure but probably before the swaggies so we got to see what's going on we got stuff happening so that's going to do it thanks again guys so much i'll be talking to you gentlemen soon promotional consideration paid for by the following hey folks pc tony here thanks to our new partnership with angry lemonade you can save 10 percent on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code chairshot head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Okay, guys, welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation about Royal Rumble 1991 and WrestleMania 7. Um, so many great things to talk about with those two events. Uh, probably, as we mentioned, one of the biggest upsets in WWF, WWE history. Sergeant Slaughter beating the Ultimate Warrior for the championship at some at uh, Royal Rumble 1991, and uh, you know we talked a lot about 
some of the behind the scenes stuff that was going on with Savage, you know, actually knocking the Ultimate Warrior legit out. And that match supposedly was supposed to go on for a little while longer. And it, and it obviously it didn't, um, you know, that sort of stuff. We talked about Hulk winning the Royal Rumble, becoming a back to back winner and in a de facto sort of way. Uh, even though we're still two years away from them officially declaring their rumble winner as being the person who gets a shot or getting, you know, going to the main event of WrestleMania, uh, pretty much it starts here, you know, and we talked about that because Hogan is a back-to-back winner. He's going to get granted the, uh, the shot against Sergeant Slaughter for winning this match. And I mean, no one ever said it officially, but all the circumstantial evidence was there. Um, yeah, I mean, Royal Rumble 1991 is is one of those um one of those nights that's going to go down in history, you know, the Vir- Virgil turning on the million dollar man Ted DiBiase after all those years of abuse, um that that's a big deal. And then of course you get into WrestleMania 7 and, you know, I I don't want to beat a dead horse cuz God knows we've talked about it for two chapters now as to what's the real story with WrestleMania 7? Was it supposed to be Hogan Warrior? Were they supposed, what really happened? Why did they move it from the Coliseum? Is it because they wanted Vince to provide security? And he's like, I'm not paying four or five million fucking dollars for this thing. Was that what was going on? Who knows? But, uh, you know, the event itself was a pretty bloated ass card. Uh, some of it's better than others for sure. Savage Warrior is a tremendous match. And, you know, with so much on the line, these guys brought everything out of each other. I still, to this day, think that this is probably Warriors' best match. And ironically enough, you know, I'm watching, I just got done watching SummerSlam 92, and that's going to be coming up in a in a couple of chapters. And, uh, you know, I watched the uh, Warrior-Savage match for SummerSlam 92, which was for the championship. And it's an equally good match, but it's different. The psychology is all different. Uh, everything about that match is different, but it's tremendous as well. So we talked about it. Savage got the most out of the warrior on multiple occasions and you got to see it here. And this was a, a fantastic match, an iconic ending. I think at the end of this episode, we're going to play the, uh, out the last couple minutes of warrior Savage where you know, warrior actually puts Savage down and retires him. Um, you know, Hogan and slaughter is, is one of those matches where, it kind of had to happen. You know, we talked about it. It kind of had to be that way with Sarge being the ultimate turncoat, Hogan being the ultimate American American. And so having him recapture the title and become a, the first three time WWF champion in history was a, a big deal. And it made a lot of sense. And I think as we mentioned, you know, that event, the enormity of it probably got downsized considerably due to the fact that the war was over. Uh, you know, the U.S. had kicked Iraq's ass. Uh, Desert Storm was done. And so I think that kind of that kind of hurt things a little bit, because can you imagine like we talked about if if the war had still been hot and heavy, like let's say it hadn't been going as well as we hoped. Oh, my Lord. You know, and, and you wonder would Vince have actually continued on with that storyline had the war gone south or, you know, not south, but not as well uh, started to resemble too much of a Vietnam ish sort of thing. So. I don't know. I don't know. You know, we had the very unique match between Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick the Model Martel with the blindfold match. Uh, you know, the Nasty Boys breaking through and winning the tag titles from the Hart Foundation and basically ending uh, Bret Hart's tag team run for a very long time. Demolition's last match, really, as a as a team, you know, things like that. So lots to talk about with WrestleMania 7, which was a um, it's a huge event. It's certainly not one of the better 
WrestleManias, but it has some great, great stuff going on with it. And of course, it's got one of the all-time greatest moments, if not the greatest moment in WrestleMania history, the reconciliation of the Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, which will still get you choked up. I mean, if you're if it doesn't get you choked up, then I, I don't know. You, maybe you're a heartless bastard like I am or something. But <laughs> anyway, that's, that's going to do it for Chapter 9 of the Big Four Project. Uh, on Chapter 10, we're covering SummerSlam 91, which I think most of us feel, and I still think it's the best SummerSlam of all time. I don't know if the guys will agree with me. Um, there are some epic matches. Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect for the IC title is an instant classic. Um, so that's coming up. You know, Legion of Doom wins the titles, the match made in heaven, the match made in hell. Savage and, and Elizabeth getting air quoting married since they're already married and everything that comes from that. And we're also going to be covering Survivor Series 91, which is the first time that they kind of break tradition. And it's the first time that it's not just Survivor Series elimination matches. You've got Hulk Hogan defending the WWF championship against the Undertaker and what they called the gravest challenge. And that match is going to put into motion Tuesday night in Texas. And then off we go to the Royal Rumble 1992, which I think we're earmarking uh, possibly for a watch along. It seems like that might be a good one to watch along. And then, of course, WrestleMania 8 and beyond. So Chapter 10 is going to be a really big one, a really good one. And I think, you know, we'll do, you know, we'll talk about Tuesday night in Texas since it happened just a few days later. And, and, and I mean, that rapid fire title changes within a week of each other really shaped the landscape of WWF there at the end of 91 going into 1992. And we'll, we'll talk all about that on the next chapter. Um, as promised, let's touch bases on some stuff that's going on in the current product. Let me talk AEW first. Um, AW just had full gear list last weekend. No, I have not watched it yet. I plan on it. Forgive me. I've been a little bit busy this last week. I did not make it down to Los Angeles, mainly because uh, the ticket prices were just ridiculously expensive. And anybody who's been down to that complex where SoFi and the Forum is, parking's a bitch. And it's expensive as fuck. It's like 80 bucks just to park. It's ridiculous. And I was looking at ticket prices. I'm like, no, you know, I, I lukewarm about this card. Uh, there's some stuff I care about. There's some stuff I want to see. I am going to watch it. I'm going to get it on Bleacher Report Live and check it out. I have watched the pre-show. So I know about MJF and Samoa Joe retaining the Ring of Honor tag team titles, the guns attacking MJF, and that leading to some kind of a overbooked mess from what I hear from a lot of people as far as the AEW World Championship, um, you know, that's all fine and great. I think the Texas Deathmatch has got a lot of attention, the one between Sir Swerve Strickland and Hangman Adam Page, because Adam Page drinks Swerve's blood, and I've seen parts of that. I it's 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 a polarizing sort of thing. So hardcore hardest of hardcore AEW fans ate that shit up. And think that the death match was tremendous. And I mean, you know, you look at Hangman Adam Page knows how to do death matches. I look at what he did with Moxley. And, um, you know, that was a tremendous match. This, I've heard, is even better. I will let you guys know probably by the time we get to Chapter 10. Or you may see that come in at the Swaggy Awards because the Swaggies are coming up soon. And Tony and I have also discussed that we might talk, we might break the Swaggies into two parts just to uh, make the episode a little bit shorter. Uh, make it easier on all of us, that sort of thing. So we'll see what happens. But I think that's the plan is to split the swaggies into two parts. For the first side, it's the swaggies that are too big for one show. I mean, though, I'm not, no, I'm not going to increase the categories. We're not going to 25. 20 is a nice round number. We're going to stick with that. But um, beyond that, though, 
I think the big thing coming out of Full Gear was the signing of Will Ospreay to the AEW contract. And a lot of people thinking this is a, in my opinion, a bigger deal than I think it is because I don't think there were too many of us who thought Osprey was seriously going to go to WWE. Maybe he dabbled with the notion of it, but it doesn't make sense for him right now. I'm sure Tony Khan paid a shit ton to get Will Ospreay into AEW. His relationship, NJPW's relationship with Will Ospreay is also something that made that more... Um, more reasonable i would say as far as osprey staying or going to AEW, you know he does want to kind of come over in the states a little bit more but i don't think you know the thing about AEW is this and whether you like them or not the fact of the matter is tony khan's going to pay you more to work less and unless you're a fucking moron you've got to listen to that you know and you've got to seriously consider taking the money for fewer days working it just it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to ignore that now if you're established with WWE and you've got brand recognition like a Seth freaking Rollins or a Roman Reigns or some of these other guys, then it doesn't make much sense to make the jump. But for somebody like Will who wants to come over now, yes, you could make a bigger brand for yourself in WWE. But again, if you're looking to maximize your profitability uh, with the least amount of time possible, then, you know, he probably made the right choice. Will it be harder on his body in AEW than it would be in WWE? Probably even working less days AW works a much more physical uh, style of match than WWE does. So there is that to consider. Um, I think it was probably the right move on, on Osprey's part. He's very young. This is not the end of the line. He can go make a shit ton of money and then jump ship in three years, depending on where AEW is. Who knows where AEW is going to be in three years? They've got some issues. We've said this before. One of those issues does not appear to be MJF. And there's a lot of speculation and rumors that this whole bidding war in 2024 is absolute bullshit and the war is already over before a shot was even fired. As the speculation is that MJF has quietly, this is from House of Wrestling, talked about this, um, has quietly re-signed with AEW. And so probably through 2027. And if that's the case, okay. You know, I it makes sense. He's He is their top draw. He is one of the most popular wrestlers that they've got. He has had an absolutely phenomenal year. Whether you like AEW or not, you cannot deny the year that MJF has had. It has been tremendous. Every match he's been put in, he's delivered. He's beaten everybody. Daniel Bryan, Kenny Omega. I mean, you just, you line up Jay White. You know, he beats him at full gear. You just look at that and what Adam Adam Cole as well. Um, you look at that, Brian Danielson. I'm sorry. I said Daniel Bryan. Force of habit, guys. I got to get over that one day. Maybe, maybe not. But, uh... Yeah, I think when you if you are looking for people to hitch your wagon to, it is MJF. And I would not be surprised if Tony Khan lets him run with the title, honestly, through 2027. And I know you guys are thinking that makes no fucking sense. Why, why would you do that? Because they're going to try and match what's going on with Roman and establish MJF as every bit the big star that Roman Reigns is, unless Tony gets... You know, unless he starts to lose interest in MJF and wants to pull the belt off of him because he doesn't want him to get a big head in case he does bolt in 2027. But I don't see anybody. There is nobody there who I can see right now who can beat this kid. I, I, I look at it. None of it makes sense. Adam Cole can't. Adam Copeland's not going to beat MJF to take the AEW championship. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, I don't know if somebody from WWE would jump ship. You know, like a Drew McIntyre, now that might be something you would consider. Uh, Will Ospreay is the only other one who, you know, and maybe they dangled that in front of him to 
convince him to sign. It wasn't just that Tony backed up the Brinks truck to his residence and said, here, he may have dangled another carrot in front of him and said, look, you're going to be the one to dethrone MJF. Maybe a double or nothing would seem like a good place for that. I, I don't think it happens at Revolution. Double or nothing was their initial one. Or maybe they saved that for All In and Wembley. Um, I think that would probably make the most sense if they're going to do another, then they are going to do another show in, in, in Wembley in front of all of his countrymen and, and to, you know, talking about SummerSlam 92 that I watched, you know, the Bulldog winning the IC title over Bret Hart in Wembley. You know, you could replicate a moment like that with Will Ospreay being the one to dethrone MJF if it's built right and it's booked right. So maybe he's the only one I can think of, though. So if you're wrapping your company around MJF and Will Ospreay, there are way worse people to wrap your stuff around than those two. Those two can carry things a very long way. And I think with that as their foundation, AEW's in really good shape. And I still, despite some of the issues, I still look at these guys and say they've got a lot of momentum, a lot of things going in their way. Um, one of those things that they don't have anymore is CM Punk. And let's talk about Survivor Series because what we know, or what we think we know, is Randy Orton has is returning. He will be the fifth person in the war games men's war games match against the judgment day plus drew mcintyre um the speculation is running wild i mean and we've had how many emergency punk casts on the chairshot.com to discuss this that cm cm punk will return in survivor series in chicago i'm still right now looking at okay 40 60 i think there's a 40 percent chance punk is there i would say 60 percent chance he's not but Here's the thing about this is the dirt sheets are all reporting that, oh, high sources in WWE have told me this shit's not happening. That's all fine and great. But think about this. Whenever you've heard Triple H talk about this, very respectful about CM Punk, doesn't shoot down anything. Nick Khan talking about it, very respectful about CM Punk, doesn't shoot down anything, doesn't close the door on anything, doesn't say, yeah, it's happening either. But they're noncommittal about it. Nick Aldis has comments about Punk that get taken out of context, whatever. Um, there has been, if you really wanted to put an end to these rumors, you would think that maybe Triple H would come out and say, look, we're not re-signing him. It's not happening right now. Maybe, you know, never say never, but we'll see what happens down the road. But no, it's not happening right now. There has been no announcement like that. As of today, there's a new version, or I don't know if it's a new version, but a rehashed version of a cult of personality that living color released although some people are saying it's already been released wrestling websites dirt sheets got a hold of that and oh my god the speculation has run wild meanwhile bailey posts a picture on her instagram of her oscar Kyrie sane and sasha banks back when bailey and sasha were the women's tag team champions saying i always have a plan and that's gonna get the fucking speculation and wheels on both sides of the fence because you know people like me or anybody WWE fans going to look at it and say, could they possibly be bank bringing Sasha Banks back at this point in time? You know, I think AEW hardcore fans would be shocked if Mercedes Veronato, Mercedes Monet does not show up in AEW because, and I'm like, why? Cause she was in the crowd at all in. So what? Um, doesn't matter. Could she show up tomorrow? I mean, that would be a, a shocking development. Um, but you never know. I mean, who knows what conversations has been going on behind the scenes between her and Triple H and her and Tony Khan and who knows who she feels more comfortable with. Um, a lot of the AW hardcores will take it the opposite way and they'll say, oh, 
This is evidence that Bailey knows she's going to get screwed and she wants to bail and come to AEW to join up with Mercedes. Highly unlikely, in my opinion, that that is what's going on. But could she show up? I, you know, I would give that a 10% chance. I, I think there's a better chance of Punk showing up at Survivor Series than I do of, um, of Sasha Banks returning to the WWE. But with all that being said, I mean, where does Punk fit in? You know, Shinsuke Nakamura has been calling out somebody for weeks now using the GTS. I kidded about it a few weeks ago, but I actually read somebody today say that they're talking about Kenta or also known as Hideo Itami, who does use the GTS as well and who Nakamura has some history with. That would be interesting. It certainly would be the fans in Chicago would shit all over that. So I don't think that that's what's going on. And you can't bring back uh, Kenta just because he uses the GTS and say, here you go. I don't see that being the case, but who else could it be talking about? Lots of speculation could be Okada, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, although at the same time, it certainly seems like Okada's NJPW contract does not expire until 2024. So if he's showing up at Survivor Series, there's some one-off sort of deal in place between WWE and NJPW, which in and of itself would be astonishing and unheard of because they just don't do that. So I have no idea. There's also a lot of speculation. It could be AJ Styles. Why? You know, they had a great rivalry in Japan. We all looked forward to that AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura match at WrestleMania 34. Thought these guys are going to tear the fucking house down. We were thrilled when Nakamura won the Royal Rumble to set that match. And it failed to deliver. And that feud failed to deliver with the exception of the last man standing match at the end of everything, which was excellent. But... Yeah, I mean, why would it be AJ Styles? That that I mean, he does need to return, but I don't know. I mean, why? Because they're portraying Shinsuke differently right now. That makes me think. Now that doesn't mean. Now hold on, and and I want to backtrack. That does not mean that I don't think AJ and Styles, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura, if the reins are taken off of them and they are given way more creative license than probably Vince gave them in in New Orleans all those years ago then, you know, maybe, maybe we get a, a match for the ages sort of thing. And if that's the case then sign me up, take my money. But I don't, again, you look at if it's anybody other than punk, if they do an, an angle with Nakamura and it's anybody other than punk fans of Chicago are going to shit all over that. So I don't know. I mean, I, who, who knows? We're going to see what happens. Will CM Punk return. I would be sh- kind of stunned if it works out, but there's a lot, and you got to give WWE credit. They are being so tight-lipped about everything, and they're doing all this stuff where they're, you know, where you're seeing it. It's kind of like misdirection. You know, they're saying one thing, and you believe one thing, but it's really in the opposite direction, and and nobody knows. Nobody knows for sure. And you know, like fucking Dave Meltzer today posted something that uh, we don't think. It, basically, the substance of it is we have no reason to believe it happened. It's happening, but it could happen. Like. You charge people 13 bucks a month, Dave, for that kind of fucking journalism. It's re- that's like me saying my prediction is that the team that scores more points is going to win. I mean, that's the essential equivalent of what this idiot is saying. So, yeah, if you're paying money for that, maybe think twice about that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to slander anybody, you know, that sort of thing. But it's just that it's just dumb stuff like that. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course, you know. Yeah, you think it's one thing, but it could be the other. Unless you know for sure, why even say anything? It just, you know, just clickbait, get subscribers, get people to listen. Give me your 13 bucks a month and you can have Wrestling Observer newsletter, whatever the fuck their podcast is. I shit it out. But anyway, guys, I don't know. 
We will see what happens. If Punk returns, it is certainly going to be a massive moment. It will shift the landscape of WWE in ways we haven't anticipated. Randy Orton's return is already going to do that. You know, where does this go? Roman Reigns not involved at Survivor Series, which of course is disappointing, but they're saving that for other things. What sorts of surprises might be in store at Survivor Series? It's a big four pay-per-view, and I, I do like the fact that all this speculation is going to draw a lot of eyeballs to Survivor Series. Got the women's war games match, men's war games match. It should be really good. We will see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> you want me to want me to make predictions? I'm not even going to make predictions or spoilers. I still say 40% chance Punk shows up, 60% chance he doesn't. We will see what we will see, kids. And boy, it should be an interesting night, though. But that's going to do it for this episode, Chapter 9 of the Big Four Project, episode number 282 of the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. I'm going to let you guys out of here. Before I do, some contact information. If you want to email the show, uh, let myself, Tony, and DJ know how are we doing on the Big Four Project. Are you enjoying that sort of thing? Um, send your emails to at, what is it? No, I got it right. Attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your stuff on the air and do our very best to answer it. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can follow us on the platform formerly known as Twitter that is now X at Attitude Ag that is at Attitude A-G-G. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Attitude of Aggression. Hit the like button if you're there. You can check us out on Instagram and threads at Attitude of Aggression, all one word. And of course, make sure you're checking out the podcast at Attitude, www.attitudeofaggression.com. That is where the website is. Yes, I know I need to update it. That's, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. But you can also download the episodes there, listen to them there. Um, And if you like what you hear and you think we're doing a good job with the Big Four Project, please be so kind as to leave us like a five-star review. It lets people know that Big Dave and his compatriots kind of know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, you know, it it happens every once in a while. It's not unheard of. That, my friends, is going to do it for this episode. I hope everybody has had a great Thanksgiving weekend. I hope Survivor Series is everything you thought it's going to think it's going to be and more. We will see what happens. But I'm going to let you guys out of here. I'm going to close out of here with the closing moments of the Ultimate Warrior versus the Macho King Randy Savage, the career-ending match at WrestleMania 7. Until next time, wrestling fans and aggressionaholics, you stay aggressive. Do it with attitude. We will catch you soon for Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project and the Swaggies coming up too. Talk to you soon.
Whoever stays, stays. Whoever leaves, leaves. But the call of this man. Look at this. 